It's Friday, April the 7th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have a horse racing heavy episode as it is a big, big weekend coming up. It's the final weekend of Kentucky Derby prep races. So a lot of the horses that you will see running this weekend, you'll also see in the Kentucky Derby in just a month. So we'll talk about first some races on Friday from Keeneland. It's opening day at Keeneland. Then on Santa, uh, Friday, we'll also talk about Santa Anita and the races there. Let's move to Saturday. We'll go four graded stakes races with David Aragona. He joins me to talk about the big races at Aqueduct and the Wood Memorial. Then we get into Keeneland with Chris Larmy. There's an all graded stakes pick five that ends with the bluegrass. We talk about all five of those graded stakes races. Then for Santa Anita, I discuss races five through 12. So you'll get the four stakes from Aqueduct, the five from uh, Keeneland, and then you get races five through 12 all for Saturday on top of the Friday racing from Keeneland and Santa Anita. And now I'm recording a lot more of the horse racing segments on um, a different platform. So that way I can post them on social media and you can actually follow along if you want to watch and see the, the daily racing form past performances that we're using. We'll also have this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. It's another WWE focused one. We recorded on Tuesday night. We recorded all about WrestleMania night one and night two, a full deep dive recap and review all the matches. And then we talked about how everything stepped forward on Monday night. Raw awesome night one, really good night two. crappy way to end the show. And then an awful Monday night raw. It was like a roller coaster of emotions over a few days. And now everyone has sort of like a weird taste in their mouth when we're talking about, uh, what the uh, the trajectory is moving forward. Lots of horse racing, and then we finish up with a ton of wrestling talk with Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, and Chad Cooper. But right away, we get into the horse racing portion of this episode. Let's start talking horse racing, and we'll get into Friday Keeneland and Friday Santa Anita. <laughs> Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. 
one click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone cross device functionality you can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices on the go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf past performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge by Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Daily horse racing contest in that fantasy format that you love. You know, if you play DFS and you played in formats where you have to build a based on a salary cap, that's what Stable Duel is. And they have games all throughout the Keeneland meet. That's like the home track for Stable Duel. If you're a fan of Keeneland and you're playing these races, you have to come play in the Stable Duel games. Every Friday morning, We'll have a weekend preview show to tell you all about which contests are happening, where the big money is going to be. And this weekend, our show is going to be at 6 a.m. Pacific time, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Every week, it's normally at 10 a.m. This week, I got to go over and uh, help out with a little uh, little Easter egg hunt at Milo's school. So we'll be um, finishing up a little bit early. We'll be starting a little bit early. But we'll always tell you what you need to know for each stable duel weekend. Myself, Matt DeSantis, and Barry Spears. Let's dive into Friday. Keeneland, a run through the Keeneland card for Friday. Right now, kick back and enjoy. Maybe 15, 20 minutes talking the Keeneland Friday card. Opening day at Keeneland is Friday, April the 7th. So I felt like we could uh, dive into the Keeneland Friday card, take a look at these daily racing form, the DRF formulator past performances. Those are always my favorite. Those are the, the most helpful for me. We'll navigate through the card and we'll pick out some of the races where we have the strongest opinions along the way. So drf.com for all the help that you need for the past performances. And uh, if you need a little bit more help, Friday morning at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, we have a live stream that's called This Weekend in Stable Duel. It's with myself, Matt DeSantis, and Barry Spears. And we will give out some of our best bets for Friday and for Saturday at Keeneland. We'll also give out some best bets for Friday and for Saturday, Santa Anita. We'll talk about Stable Duel games and contests and all the details for those. And What's really cool about that show, it's called the No Chalk Zone. We only give out five to one 
and above. So we give out all of our best bets throughout the weekend and just horses that are five to one and above. On this show, I'll kind of navigate through most of the card, but let's start in race number two. Race number one is a baby race, four and a half furlongs, so not quite as much uh, information to go off with a lot of first-time starters in there. But in race number two, we kick off the early pick four, and in race number two, it's a maiden special weight for three-year-old fillies, and they're going to be going seven furlongs on the main track. Um, So I'm going to look towards is toward the outside. That's the number 11, uppercase. So uppercase debuted on August the 14th at Saratoga in the Bill Mott barn and got some action that day. It was only three to one. And the race has come back very live. The winner of that race, chocolate gelato came back and won the grade one for Zet. chocolate gelato was one of the top betting choices in the breeders cup juvenile Phillies. Also take charge. Brianna was in that race, came out of that race to win a maiden special eight next out. And this Philly has some ability. They've thrown her in stakes races a, a few different times. Uh, Interpolate was also in that race, came back to win their next start following. And this is a, a stakes winner who recently won the ruthless. You also had firing bullets who was in that race, who came back to win their next start, which was a five for long turf stakes at Woodbine. So extremely live race for the debut for uppercase and just kind of got outrun a, a little bit early on. Um, didn't have the best of trips was kind of in contention before backing up and just put a line right through it. When I see a horse finish so poorly, I'm I'm not using that race really as a gauge, but long layoff to deal with uppercase shows back up on February the 15th at Turfway park. Had a fine start, was about four lengths off, but ran into some traffic, was in between horses, had to tip to the outside, big three wide bid up to challenge, was just second best that day, and was second best behind a horse named Sunday Shoes. Footloose, footloose. Sunday Shoes came back to win a stakes race in her next start. So losing to a next out winner in both races, both next out stakes winners, uppercase will finally get the chance to put two starts together in here. And I think a little more progression stretching out from six and a half furlongs to seven. Second start off that long, long layoff. Second time for the new connections. I like the 11 in here quite a bit. Uppercase, who's eight to one on the morning line. If this horse is anything five to one plus, we'll be making a win wager there on the number 11, uppercase. Moving along, race number three, not the strongest opinion in here. I did think that the one would be pretty tough. Really looks like the one to catch with the inside draw, some legitimate excuses, um, has faced some tough company in South Lawn and, and pretty mischievous, but you're not really going to get a whole lot of value there. And maybe you, you, you know, take a stand with the one um, instead of well, you know one or two of the others that could be shorter prices in here. Not the, the strongest opinion, but I do think this one will be able to have every opportunity to dictate the race from the inside. Moving along to race number five. That's where we head next. This fifth race is a six and a half furlong dirt race. It's a first level allowance. And you have some fillies, a couple that we've seen in uh, in stakes company last time out, like Positano Sunset. We saw Vava in stakes races the last two. We also seen Peak. Peacock last in a stakes race. So we've seen some of these Phillies try a little bit tougher company. And I thought this was a kind of a wide open race. The one who kind of was one that I would definitely want to include in here. Turning back a little bit is Ziarati. And again, not necessarily going to be giving you the 
you know, the biggest prices in the world. So this net, this won't be a race where I'm playing a whole heck of a lot, this one to kick off the pick six, but we do have stronger opinions as we keep rolling along. Race number six is a five and a half turf sprint. The number two frozen solid is really, really sharp. This Philly has done like nothing wrong in her three races on the turf. Her first turf race was back in uh, March of 2022, a little over a year ago. She was a good second that day. And that race was followed by a 10 month layoff. So she shows back up on January the 6th. She's making her first start as a four-year-old, and she wins nicely. Her speed figures improve. She's really handy. And in that race, she beat a horse named Little Jewel, and Little Jewel came back and has won back-to-back races, was really impressive in winning a stakes races. This is the half-sib to Little Mike. And Frozen Solid, when you watch her races, she just seems really handy. She had a good start. She was close up. She was third, about two lengths off. She waited nicely. She angled around three deep. Uh, I just, I think she's a really handy sort of filly. So uh, Frozen Solid is nine to two on the morning line. She's definitely going to be a horse that I build a lot of the exotics around in here as money will come in on the six her world for sure. And for a coffee maker, at six to five, we'll take a ton of money, likely going to be even money or less here. So if you're trying to beat the favorite, maybe you can look to a horse who has some uh, has some upside. The two, frozen solid. Moving along to race number seven, it's the Lafayette Stakes. So in this race, you have some really talented horses who maybe weren't quite ready for the Derby yet and some of the bigger preps. Maybe those races are a little too far. A horse like Gulfport, Super talented, multiple grade one placed. You have Lugan Knight, who maybe he just didn't like the sloppy track last time out. If you put a line through that, that form looks so much better. Hajazi is a $3.5 million purchase. And while he's only won one race, it's not as if his form is bad. He's a, he's a little quirky. He's kind of a big horse who just needs the right kind of ride and trip. He's not one that you can sort of start and stop on. This could be a perfect trip for him just going seven furlongs and trying to send him hard if you're trying to play this race i think the five determinedly may be the value if you're looking to get around some of the others in here i mean i i would throw lugan knight in too as a, a value play if you can just eliminate the gotham but determinedly same sort of thing let's just eliminate the risen star last time out put a line right through it showed speed going long, but the mile and an eighth was just a little too far, and the race was a little too tough. It's come back very live. We've already seen Angel of Empire come out of that race to win the Arkansas Derby. We've seen two fills come out of the Risen Star to go win the Jeff Ruby Stakes over at Turfway, earning a big 101 buyer speed figure and winning that race. So we eliminate the last race for Determinedly, and then let's look at the form. Not bad at all. How about the November 26th race that sort of jumps off the page, going seven furlongs at Churchill, crushed by seven and a quarter, sitting just off? And you start to dive into his overall form. He's been pretty consistent throughout. You don't see a ton of bad races. He just got run off the page in the Arabian night race. No no shame there. And I love horses turning back to seven furlongs once they've shown a little bit of route speed and positional speed going longer, and we know he can pass horses. I think it's a really nice spot for determinedly. I mean, Corona Bolson, obviously an obvious player. He's 
just the, got the one bad performance and it was in the slop and it was going long. It's really tough to knock his overall form. But if you're looking to wager on this race, I think the play is determinedly. I'm, I'm not sure if I could play Hijazi. He's too short. Don't know if I could play Corona Bolt at that price. Lugan Knight, I could get talked into playing him. But I do think determinedly in around that 5-1 to one price would be the uh, the best value in here. No real knocks on Hijazi. No real knocks on Corona Bolt. They wouldn't be a shock. I would probably prefer the two I mentioned to Gulfport. Um, just want to see the first race at three for Gulfport. And he gets the rail draw in here, which may put him in a really tough spot. So I'm just, I'll just be watching him in this in this one. As we move to race number eight, it's the Transylvania. And the grade three Transylvania has a, some nice, nice three-year-olds in here. The horse who will likely be favored is Carl Spackler, who lost to Far Bridge in his debut. Far Bridge is a freak. So is Carl Spackler. They're two really, really nice horses. So um, expecting Carl Spackler to take a ton of money in here. He's three to one on the morning line. It'll probably be eight to five. If we're trying to play the race, how are we going to do so? I like Webslinger. So just kind of navigating through this big field, it looks like Wonderful Justice has some tactical speed, will want to be forwardly placed. You have me, Hermano Ramon, who's stretching out from some quick sprints. I think they'll be forwardly placed in here. Mo Stash does his best running when he's close to or right on the lead. Candidate is going to be forwardly placed. I think the nine Nagjarok is going to be forwardly placed in here. Uh, Mo Visitor stretching back out from a sprint, wants to be forwardly placed. Even Carl Spackler from way out wide and dude in Colorado. I don't think they want to get hooked really wide. So they're going to have to make a decision. Do you want to be close up or do you want to take back? I, I would expect both of them probably want to be closer up than take way back and try to have to close from way, way out of it. The horse who should get the trip because of all of that is the two web slinger. Look at his overall turf form. A bad race not even a bad race in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. He was 11th. He was only beaten four lengths. He had a brutally wide trip from a tough draw that day. He comes back in his first start at three at Gulfstream in a first-level allowance. He wins. And then last time out, let's watch this race on March the 4th. So Webslinger is the four. Dude in Colorado is the nine. And they're both in this race. But the reason why I like Webslinger a little bit more than dude in Colorado is because I don't know if dude in Colorado is going to get as comfortable as a, of a trip as he did. So look at web slinger, the floor right after the break, he has to take up. So he's dead last, not a great start, but he's able to recover pretty well. He settles in the two path. He's right back there, you know, in the seventh spot, seventh of eighth, and he's about six lengths off or so, but look at where he is and compare that to dude in Colorado. Dude in Colorado gets a perfect trip sitting second in a race where they're not going all that fast. I just don't know if dude in Colorado can get that same type of trip. Whereas web slinger should have a lot more pace in this race that we're talking about at the Keeneland race um, on Friday. So he should be able to get a little bit better of a trip in keep in mind, web slinger had that slow start where he, maybe he was squeezed back a couple extra positions. So he's now forced to make it a wide early move. Look at the four going three wide now making that big early move. Now he's up to four wide, really nice energy. And he just can't get by a horse who gets a better trip than him. Really no knocks on this race at all. At the top of the lane, web slinger is what four wide and in between horses here angling out in 
once he straightens out, I think he really has some good, nice energy too. Look at dude in Colorado. It's really good race riding by Irad here to sort of just shift out a little bit late when he could kind of feel Web Slinger coming. He sort of shifts out a little bit, uh, but Web Slinger's still making up some ground and could get some more pace to run at in here. I like the two Web Slinger. He's five to one on the morning line. Anything in that, you know, seven to two plus range, I think is fair value on him. Race number nine is the grade one Ashland. This is a really solid group, solid group lining up. You have, you know, the one pride of the Nile, be very happy to get away from FISA. Almost beat FISA a few starts back in the Starlet. Came back again. I thought was going to beat FISA in the Las Virginis. And then in the Santa Isabel, uh, didn't have the best of trips prior to the Nile. So it comes out to Keeneland. You have Wonder Wheel, your Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies winner, who was a runner-up. It's kind of got caught behind uh, some lone speed, a horse who made an early move on February the 11th. And Wonder Wheel and Julia Shining were both making their first start of the year. And so they could likely take nice steps forward, shaking some of the rust off after uh, that first race. Because remember, for Phillies, like, Wonder Wheel and Julia Shining, the goal wasn't winning the Sun Coast. The goal was being ready to have your A effort come the Kentucky Oaks. So I'm expecting both of them to be sharper in here, both the two and the four. I mean, the three horse comes off of a, a decent effort last time out behind Darth Vader, had a slowish start, was outrun, was about 10 lengths off, then about 12 lengths off, and really got going late. Now we'll make the second start of the year, second off the bench. I could see the three being a horse you want to use in some exotics. I think for me, the way, you know, Punchbowl, obviously two for two, no knocks on Punchbowl, visually extremely impressive. But for me, like a, a horse, if you're looking to bet this race, might be Defining Purpose. So Defining Purpose gets away from wet paint the last two times. They were both on off tracks. So let's eliminate those races. Look at the way Defining Purpose was starting to progress leading into the Martha Washington and the Honeybee. She wins on December the 31st, final day of the year, by five, earns her best big speed figure ever. And so we would expect maybe a little bit of trajectory for her speed figures to continue to improve. Unfortunately, she didn't get the chance for that because her next two races were both on a wet track. If she catches a fast track, she may have a little bit of upside here. I'm going I'm to use her in exotics. A big win on 12-31. Player off that race with some upside trajectory, some upside improvement built into it. Hopefully getting a fast track. Defining purpose, 15-1. to 1. The new close out the card at Keeneland on Saturday. Mile and an eighth turf race. The horse I like in here is the number three. Idle Chatter. Let's watch this replay from the debut for Idle Chatter. Where Idle Chatter was the number six. In the debut was going seven and a half furlongs on the turf. Not an easy distance in which to debut. And idle chatter just misses the break. So your first time out and you're already last. Uh, but recovered nicely, but then kind of moves into a little bit of traffic uh, right afterwards. So they get her to settle at the rear. And she's about six or seven lengths off early on, but she's saving ground nicely. Uh, as the race continues on, She's going to run into a little bit of traffic uh, even more. Um, and, you know, you just expect that seven and a half furlongs first time out. She's now stretching out to a mile and an eighth. That second out improvement. They've continued to work her on the turf 
in between her first race and now. So she's had four more turf works. They had to tip her to the outside here because they don't want to get stuck in some traffic. So she early makes an early move sort of to the outside to kind of get her in the clear to make sure that once the rally starts that she's not going to get stopped. And I thought she ran pretty well in here. Uh, she's still not quite on the screen. You're going to see her pop on in just a second and then start to make her rally as she's able to move through in between horses. She saves ground here. She gets a nice little opening and then she's able to uh, kind of navigate her way through some traffic up, not really traffic, just kind of in between horses up for the second spot. So I think idle chatter, little additional real estate. Idle chatter is a very fair price. On the morning line of eight to one, I thought more like a five to one ish shot in here. So idle chatter is a horse to include in some of your exotics there at Keeneland. Good luck on opening day. Hope all of you crush it. Remember, if you ever need any help preparing for the races, drf.com daily racing form past performances. For me, it's the formulator PPs. These are the ones that we've been looking at right here. Good luck on Friday. Make sure to give us a follow on social media. It's me, Gino B. Subscribe to the podcast. That's what G said. We'll have lots of uh, videos and coverage just like this coming up for the big day this weekend at Keeneland, at Santa Anita, and at Aqueduct. Good luck. Let's move from the Friday races at Keeneland to the Friday races at Santa Anita. Big weekend coming up at Santa Anita with the Santa Anita Derby on Saturday. All the big stakes races on the undercard. So let's build the bankroll. Let's make a little money on Friday's card at Santa Anita. We're looking at the uh, daily racing form, the DRF past performances. You can purchase these at drf.com. I'm always using the formulator past performances because they make it so easy to click and Take a look at a replay to click and take a look at a chart. You can get pedigree information, owner, uh, jockey, trainer statistics, everything you need. Like you can make the stats to get any sort of tidbit, any sort of statistic that you want. You're looking at things from a bigger sample size, from a smaller sample size, the last five years, the last one year, the last six months, anything you need. DRF.com formulator PPs for me. Let's talk Friday. Let's uh, get to a couple of my best plays on the Friday card. In race number one, I like the seven a little bit in here. Over-attracted. So this is a horse who debuted in France, was third going six furlongs on the turf, then tried six furlongs again. It was a heavy track, a heavy turf course that day. You could probably eliminate it. Has a win going six and a half. But a lot of the races have been longer recently. I, I, I do enjoy... The the look at this filly or this mare now, she's six-year-old, cutting back to this five and a half furlong sprint. I think she's gonna get some pace to run at in here. She really fits at the level when you just sort of look at her recent form and who she's been facing. Last time out, that was a first level allowance race behind Jillian Elizabeth, Kitty Catania, and Lady Clementine. That's a much tougher group. Two starts back at this level on the dirt, she's a winner, and she shows positional speed going longer. She's going to be more off the pace in here, no doubt about it. Last time we saw her going five, it was in her first start in about eight months. So she probably needed that race. They were using it more as a prep to stretch her back out. And it was against first level allowance company, tougher than this spot. When she was in this 
25 starter allowance back here against Bye Bye Birdie. This is when Bye Bye Birdie was extremely sharp and was rattling off, uh, I think, three or four wins in a row. Bye Bye Birdie put together four consecutive victories at the starter allowance level, then was stepping up against stakes and then dropped back in at the allowance level and, and won again. So I think overattractive is a fit in this spot at this level on the turn back just needs a little bit of help. So the key to the race will be no can a horse like Ant Opal really make sure this is a fast, contentious early pace from the rail. Cause I think the one's got to go Ant Opal. And when you sort of look through the rest of the field, I think there's at least a couple speeds in here and Opal's coming out of some short sprint races. I uh, also think at the very least, you're going to get baby Kristen who just seems like she's got one way to go, and that's very fast. So those two will make it really quick. Angel Sense just wants to go. Those three are going to help make it really, really quick in this race. So any combinations of those three will really help over-attracted. The number seven, who is 12-1 to on the morning line, race number one on Friday at Santa Anita. We move to like, strong opinion. Um, this second race is just a short race. It's one of these maiden, um, sort of optional maiden special weight made in claiming races where you have horses that have been sold at auction for a certain price or, or you can actually put them in for the claiming tag. I thought the five Riverside was probably the one I liked the most in here. Just sort of looking at the races, he exits behind Skinner, Mr. Fisk and Harlow cap. The reincarnate race was very live Fort Bragg and practical move. So he's faced really tough company. And now on the drop here, getting a softer spot, I think will help Riverside a little bit. That's race number two. Third race, I've, I've played against Dendera the last few times. I, I actually kind of like Dendera. Sort of similar to the, the first race, Dendera will now be cutting back from some longer races. So she just needs a quick early pace in here. But it looks like there is going to be a pretty quick early pace because Stressed is in here. The one midnight vow is scratched. Stressed, think of Anita, Daddy Class, Dill, all seem to be pretty quick. I mean, I don't love Dendera. She's not going to be the biggest price in the world, but I wouldn't be shocked to see a better effort from her third start of the forum cycle, just in a race that could be a lot quicker and have um, some legit pace for her to run at. Let's go to race number. Where do we want to head next? To the fifth. Yeah, let's go to the fifth race next. We'll go six furlongs on the turf. This is a maiden special weight race. The horse to beat in here is. The numbers, number nine, Irish Rose, was really impressive in her debut for Neil Drysdale. She had a slow start. She was last of nine. She was about eight or nine lengths off. Let's watch the race, actually. I can I can talk you through it as we pull it up. She's the five in here. So this is a barn who you don't expect to either to win first time out of the box. So the fact that she runs well in here, I think, shows you that she has some ability. So she's the five, fine start, but then ends up not, not able to find a spot so she's last early she's down on the inside field of nine so she's about eight or nine lengths off of it in here but she does seem to be traveling pretty well and she's going to stick to the inside and, and move there but she moves into a little bit of traffic um but she waits down there uh inside this is a six for a long turf sprint so again it's not one of these uh, turf courses where it plays really well. The horse is coming from way out of it either. You usually want to be really close to a right on the lead at this, uh, at this turf course. So now you see they press the button and she's got some 
um, energy. She moves up the inside really well. She's waiting, waiting, waiting. And oh, now look, there's a great opening. So she's going to shoot right through the rail there. But all of a sudden that opening kind of closes. She can't get there. So she has to shift off the rail and then move in between horses. A little bit green and and maybe she could have hit that hole, but it was closing. So they didn't want to um, even try. She finishes up here for second, wins the photo. And now if she just shows any improvement at all, she'll be pretty tough. She will be one of the shorter prices in this race for sure. From a gambling standpoint, one of the first time starters that intrigued me was the number five, Annie's Joy. So a couple cool things you can look at using Formulator. We can go to Mark Latt and take a look at his statistics with first time starters. So whenever you look down and you see the past performances um, in your DRF past performances, sometimes they'll have the, the stats you know, percentages for what a barn is like with first time starters or first time on the turf. But some of them you'll see, there's only like five, there's like a five horse sample size. I always want more. I think the bigger sample you can get and you really get an idea of, of what certain barns do well or, or what they don't do well. So we can go back from like the last five years here to Mark Latt with first time starters. He has 13 wins and 120 starts. So that's an 11% winning percentage. And if you just bet $2 on every one of his horses, you'd have gotten back a dollar and 84 cents right now. So that's not bad for a $2 ROI with your, with first time starters. And we've seen he's been able to win, win even recently with some first time starters like left-hand man who won on March the 5th, me, Hermano Ramon, who won at the end of 2022. And What's nice about both of those horses, they were solid prices. You know, they're seven to one here. This winner, the nice speed figure winning for Catwin against Calbreds. Me, Hermano Ramon wins going a, a mile on the turf, which is never easy to do when going long. So what I like about looking at things like that, you know, the barn is capable with first time starters. If the horse has the talent and is in the right spot, this filly is bred beautifully. For the turf, she's a three-year-old daughter of Kitten's Joy. Look at her damn bootleg Annie. She was a 14-time winner on the turf. She was a really hard-knocking mare. Annie's Joy was a multiple-time Calbred Stakes winner. You see, she wins a couple of these stakes. And she's produced four other winning turf siblings. Look at Blackjack Cat. This is a grade two winner who was a six-time winner on the turf. Earned over 500000 Smiling Annie was a two-time winner. And Moonshine Annie was a two-time winner. And there was one more, right? Was, uh, I thought we had another one. So I guess three. Uh, we had English Annie who raced a few times on the turf but didn't get into the winner's circle. So between Moonshine Annie, Smiling Annie, Blackjack Cat, we have three winning turf sibs. One of them a graded stakes winner. The dam was really good. So the pedigree's there. There's class in the pedigree. And we know this is a barn that can win first time out of the box. Having a nice meet. Annie's Joy, I would include in exotics along with Irish Rose, the nine. Those will be the two that I'll build a lot around in race number six or race number five. Nothing really in the sixth. Let's go to the seventh race. In race number seven, I'm going to look at the four in here. Love Our Family. Now, Love Our Family debuted sprinting. Career debut was second, going five and a half on the dirt, and was behind a next out winner named Hialeah Hadi that day. And following that, Love Our Family tried another sprint on the dirt, finished fourth that day. Then they stretched out, mile on the turf, in all four races since. And they've been basically on the lead in those races. What I like is 
she actually showed in her first few starts that she can maybe sit off uh, like she did in her debut. Now she will be fit after four consecutive races going a mile. She's going to cut back now. And I think that'll put her in a really good spot. I'd love to see her sit in third or fourth in here early with some punch. The number four, love our family. I like on the cutback here, 10 to one on the morning line. Let's move to race number eight. It's a second level allowance on the dirt. And I'm going to look at the number six in here, red flag. He's five to one on the morning line. And he's finally going to get to put a few races together. Let's go through his career. So he debuts back in September of 2020. His first start doesn't really run all that well. He's off slow. But he comes back in his second start. He breaks his maiden. And then in his third start, he wins a great, the grade three Bob Hope going seven furlongs on the dirt at Del Mar. His fourth start, they put him in a grade two in the Los Al Futurity. But doesn't run all that well that day. Drew the rail. He's off for a few months. He shows back up. He runs one time in February in the Pasadena. He actually finishes behind Rock Your World. And then after that, he's off from May of uh, February of 2021 to May of 2022. So we're talking 12, 15 months off. So he shows back up. He runs twice. And look at who he runs into in those races. Um, in the June 22nd race, he's behind Air Force Red, who's a graded stakes winner. So, I mean, we've seen him behind... Graded stakes winner, Air Force Red. Grade one winner, Rock Your World. Uh, recently, some of his other form, he's behind Lane Way and Turn On The Jets. So look at Lane Way, who's a recently uh, graded, who's a stakes winner and multiple graded stakes placed. Turn On The Jets is a recent stakes winner. Just won $100,000 stakes last time we saw him. This form is pretty good. When you start diving into it and you just look at all the layoffs that he's had to deal with, you know, the long layoff from February of 21 to, to May of 2022, then he shows back up, he races twice and he's off again till November. So he's off from June to November. He shows back up in November, runs once, and then he's off again for a few months. Look at the improvement we saw from January 15th to February 19th. His most recent race, he was Two or three lengths off. He was in the three path. He made a three wide bid. And he was honestly second best in that race. He moved all the way up into second in the stretch. And he just got beat uh, and passed late. He'll now go third start off the bench. And this horse has some ability. He could take another big step forward here. Lightly raced with just 10 starts as a five-year-old. Red flag I like quite a bit in here. Anything over seven to two will be making a play on red flag. Let's finish up the card. Race number nine, a couple horses who I'm looking at in the ninth race for Friday at Santa Anita. The number nine Mamba Cool will be a major player in here. Uh, Mamba Cool, just tough to knock the, the recent form you see from Mamba Cool. And I think we'll get the trip third start off the bench. But one other to mention is the number three. Now, Anita New Mercedes, nice name. Can he sit off just a little bit? If he can sit off the pace just a tad bit, this is a nine-time winner in here. And he's been facing open company. So while this looks like a step up to a first-level allowance, it's a cowbred first-level allowance. And he's going to be forwardly placed. To me, it's just, can he sit off a little bit and have the, and have some finish? But I'm going to use the three along with the nine 
in some of the exotics there in race number nine. So there's a look at Friday at Santa Anita, the great race place, having a big, big weekend. Anytime there's racing at Santa Anita, we've got you covered. We'll always have some best bets, uh, some analysis, and some coverage to help you out over at Santa Anita. Good luck on Friday, and we'll have a lot more coverage for Saturday on That's What G Said podcast. If you need some help, you can download that anywhere you get your podcast. And anytime you need help playing the races, drf.com. We shift the conversation from Friday to Saturday, but before we do, we have to remind everyone, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is the full-service realtor, Cindy Carava. Now, that means she can help you out in many different ways, buying, selling, leasing. If you need help with home improvement, she can connect you to the right type of vendors, gardeners, landscapers, all sorts of painters, folks that she has experience with, folks that she's used in her own homes to help her get things improved. Now, maybe you need help with a a home loan. She can help you by connecting you to the right type of lenders that'll make that process much easier for you. That's her job, making everything easier for you, letting you know what the market looks like. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Now we shift to Saturday, and we'll start Saturday talking about Aqueduct and the Wood Memorial, four graded stakes races on the card. David Aragona, handicapper from the NYRA, he makes the morning line over there. You also hear him doing great work with Timeform US and with DRS, all sorts of great podcasts and video stuff there. David joined us to talk about all four graded stakes races for Saturday at Aqueduct. What a fun weekend of horse racing coming up. We have Kentucky Derby prep races at Santa Anita with the Santa Anita Derby and a great undercard there. We have Keeneland and their opening weekend in the Bluegrass and a great undercard there on Saturday. And Aqueduct has the Wood Memorial, four graded stakes races on the card and a very very good wood memorial where you might be able to find some prices if you're against the favorite, or you may see a horse or two that you think may have a legit shot come uh, come derby time or some of the uh, the triple crown races. We've been very lucky over the last few years on a lot of the big days over in New York to have David Aragona join us. You know, David as such a great handicapper for daily racing form for time form us host podcast does all sorts of videos there. And David does a great job making the morning line for the New York races. David, as you've uh, piled on all the handicapping for, I'm sure, more than Aqueduct, have you you settled in now as we record on Thursday evening? Yeah, feels like the bulk of the work is done now, so that's definitely a good feeling. It, it's also helping that they're not racing at Aqueduct on Sunday, so I'll have a little bit of a break before Wood Memorial Day actually arrives on Saturday, and definitely looking forward to it. It's always an exciting time of year in New York when turf racing comes back, which it's happening on Friday, and uh, obviously Wood Memorial Day Saturday, so definitely psyched for the weekend. Okay, we're going to take a look at the four graded stakes races. If you're following along with us on social media, we're pulling up the daily racing form past performances. We've got the formulator PPs up here. You can also click on Timeform US. They have those that uh, new tab if you want access to those past performances. So David, race three is where the first of the stakes races begins, and it's the grade three gazelle. And it is a sh- smaller field, but it feels pretty contentious in that I don't think it would be shocking to see maybe five of the six of these win. Yeah, I agree. I mean, people complain about small fields a lot, but this one uh, is pretty contentious. You can would make you a want case two or three other 30 to one shots in this race? You know, if that's what it was going to be right, you have a good, it's not just like a one or two horse field. 
Totally. I mean, maybe some people might say you get a more competitive pace situation if there are more horses, but there are cases to be made for almost everybody in this field, as you said. And it's not like there's a clear standout on paper. So I'll be interested to see how it gets bad as well. Yeah. Um. So just kind of going inside out, Capella and uh, Sheeta Booty, they were one, two in the busher on March the 4th, which was on an off racetrack or Capella was third in that race. Sheeta Booty was uh, Sheeta Booty was the winner that day. And um, Capella had a fine start. Uh, they kind of tap on the brakes, was behind horses a little bit, and then settled well. Got a little shuffle back though, so did have a, a little trouble at that point. But um, it wasn't anything crazy. Sheeta Booty, you know, was a little bit better that day. Got nice position, and this horse hasn't really been tested yet in the three starts. Those two coming out of that race, where do you stand on them? Yeah, I'm a little concerned about the added distance for Sheeta Booty. Uh, she's a horse that's only gone one turn so far. And being a daughter of Practical Joke, watching her races, she doesn't strike me as a typical horse that's going to get better going the mile and an eighth distance, especially at a place like Aqueduct. So I, I'm downgrading her a little bit off that victory last time. And I much prefer Capella out of that busher. Um, as you said, she was right down on the inside. I'm not sure that was the best place to be yeah. on Gotham Day, especially in the stretch and she was actually doing some real running at the end of that race i mean she could have just thrown in the towel and finished fourth but she was really battling back at the end actually galloped out okay and just strikes me as one that's going to appreciate the added distance especially if breaking from the rail they decided to revert to front running tactics that have worked for her in the past yeah the those two i'm, I'm in total agreement with you i prefer capella over uh, the outside uh runner sheet booty now we can sort of talk about another grouping of two because they were both in the Busanda and that is Occult and Gambling Girl. Gambling Girl has run one more race since then. She went over to Oaklawn Park in the Honey Bee and uh, that race came up sloppy. So actually for Gambling Girl, David, she may be a little unlucky in that she's had three consecutive races on off type racetracks. And with a horse who doesn't have as much early speed like like she does, sometimes that can be a, a little bit tough. She also ran into a really sharp runner last time out in wet paint. Yeah, Gambling Girl, I think there's little doubt she's going to get the distance. Uh, she is a strong finisher who's typically running on at the end of her races. She's just as always picking up minor awards. Uh, that Demoiselle actually has come back okay when she was third at this distance uh, last year. And since then, she's run fine at a couple of races. But I didn't see a big excuse for her when she lost to Occult in the Busanda. And Occult just seems to have a tactical edge where she's yep. going to pull that nice trip, probably stalking Capella in the early stages. So I was kind of leaning towards those horses that could be more forwardly placed. One uh, horse that's interesting right next door is Frosty O'Toole, who comes in from Tampa off of back-to-back -back victories. Um, Frosty O'Toole will now step up and face Graded Stakes Company. What do you think about her chances in here? If she's an interesting one, uh, I'll be most interested to see how the public approaches her from a wagering standpoint. Uh, I kind of conservatively pegged her at nine to two on the line. I won't be surprised when she takes a bit more money than that. Um, she hasn't been beating the toughest fields at Tampa, but I like the way that she finished last time. And when you watch yeah. her replays, she's got a lot of size to her and it makes sense watching her that she's one that would relish these longer distances. There's actually a ton of stamina breeding on the damn side for her. Um, 
I looked up some stats in Formulator specifically for Pletcher with these kinds of trainer switches um, in stakes races. And the numbers are worse than you might expect uh, over the past five years. He's just one for 19 with a pretty low ROI uh, first off a trainer switch in dirt stakes. Uh, so that, that was a slight negative for me, but she's certainly moving in the right direction. So I wouldn't be surprised if she did well. So it just sort of sounds like talking this race out with you. Uh, you know, we had Promise Your America, who we didn't speak a whole lot of. That was a, a nice win, and she's improved in each of her three starts last time. Uh, in each of her three starts, she'll again get a, a much tougher test here. It kind of sounds like you're maybe hoping to get some uh, an aggressive ride from Capella down inside. Yeah, I, I picked Capella in here, uh, hoping she's somewhere near that three to one morning line. Five to two would probably be the lowest I would take on her. Uh, but just thinking she's going to get the right trip and she feels like one that has a step forward off her last. Yeah, I like the I like the inside horses. I, think, I feel like with Capella, hoping they establish the position, like you said, with Gambling Girl, I'm not worried about the distance with her. And we may still have that question with a few of the others in here. Frosty O'Toole is just kind of a wild card. You know, she, like you said, we're not sure who she's beating, but visually she's been pretty impressive. And for a, a Philly who's sort of big, she seems kind of handy too. Like they were able to like maneuver her around a little bit pretty nicely and kind of ask her and maybe press the button once or twice if they need to. So... Yeah, this is a contentious group. While we don't have a field of 12, like we may see in some of the other stakes races, you have legitimately five horses. And honestly, I'm not trying to act like Promise Your America is even that far below the rest of this group, just based on speed figures. No, I mean, there's a case to be made for her too. She's improved every race with more distance and now she's getting even more distance to work with. So maybe she's just one of these horses that wants to go longer, uh, but uh, she does need to step up her game. Let's move from race number three to the next graded stakes race on the card. This one will go as race number six, and this is the grade three Bayshore for three-year-old sprinters. So generally, this has been a race that is for horses that may have been trying some Kentucky Derby preps earlier or you know that wanted to get some Kentucky Derby points maybe they couldn't go quite too that long or maybe the caliber of competition was a little too much for them or maybe they're just sprinters but we usually see some horses that we maybe seen in a race or two that would be a horse like Gilmore who was a uh, in the Baffert barn was favored in the El Camino Real Derby up at uh, Golden Gate after an, a nice maiden breaking win at Los Al and then tried the synthetic at Turfway and really just kind of ran like a horse who didn't really want to go all that far. Um, what do you think about this one coming back to the dirt? He's definitely going to be a major player in here and be probably one of the horses that, that take a lot of money. Yeah, I like him getting back to the dirt. I like him going a little bit shorter. I'm just not sure about his overall quality. Uh, he ran out agree. Of like, how good yeah. is he? That I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, the maiden races that he ran in out in Southern California last year are just okay. Um, the horse that he beat, Roll-On Big Joe, when he broke his maiden, has come on to do some decent things to at least validate that 81 buyer, but not the kind of runbacks that say those races are better than they look on paper. And, I mean, I like him turning back because he hasn't really been finishing his races as strongly as you might like to see. But I still have some questions about where he's going. Often these horses that leave the Bob Baffert stable will sometimes hold their four. You don't often see them improve after leaving Bob Baffert. And I feel like he might have to take a slight step forward. I know he went from traveling really well to just like all in too in his yeah. last start. And I, it might look like the cut. And I agree with you. I think the cutback will help and getting back to dirt will help, but just enough for him to win or for enough for him to run like a good 
second or third in here, there might be a couple that I just like their upside a bit more and maybe the price uh, a little more. Another horse who will take a good amount of money was right next door, and that's the number three, Victory Way, who won going seven furlongs in his only start. He kind of hopped a little bit at the start. He was up to third inside, and then he just sat behind the leaders, moved around three wide uh, to the lead at the top of the lane, and then he did hold off a challenge from the four to five favorite in that race. So I thought he was able to show a little positional speed and even um, maybe a little finish holding off a contender. What do you think about his chances in here? Yeah, I saw all those same things about his trip. Uh, I feel like he's a horse that might show more speed this time because he actually Mm -hmm. broke fine on debut. And it seems like the intention that day was to show more speed than they ultimately were able to, kind of having to sit in the pocket for maybe longer than Jose Lescano and the connections wanted to. But I like the way that he responded once he got out into the clear and finished off that race. I'm not sure that was the toughest maiden field that's ever been run, but uh, this horse just has a nice frame on him. He was touted before that race that he'd been working well into it. So feels like he's one that might be a little better than that 76 buyer indicates. Though, Billmont does not have great stats, if you look this up in Formulator, uh, with last out debut winners. Uh, he, he can do well with horses making their debuts, actually. His reputation of not cranking horses up early is really not one that's supported by the stats. I mean, he does great with debut horses, but when they come back off those debut wins in their second starts, the stats are not great. Uh, just feel like this one could do well here, but um, again, not sure the value is going to be there. Yeah, we were watching uh, the race right here where he could have been right there battling for the lead, but instead of battling inside with two other horses at the outside, they took back a little bit, which did show some nice versatility that they were able to settle. And like I said, maybe he does have multiple gears. They tip him to the outside. Then he also had to hold off this horse uh, that was making that four deep move um, who actually was your four to five favorite. So overall, not, not a whole bunch of knocks, but not necessarily a horse who's going to offer us a ton of value. Um, Didn't talk about the one Arabato. Do you, did, I mean, while we're going through most of them, did you think this horse could compete with these or just a little bit overmatched? I, I was probably generous pegging him at 30 to one. Yeah, yeah. As we get to Daydreaming Boy, who's done a lot of his best work over at Parks, he came to Aqueduct um, to get a little test and see if he could fit with some of these legitimate stakes horses. And then he just didn't really have a great start. Um, is he anywhere on your radar here? I tried him in the Jimmy Winkfield and was disappointed with that effort from him. So it feels like he might just be a cut below. Yeah, I think so. Joey Freshwater actually dealt with older horses last time out. And Joey Freshwater got shuffled a little bit early on. He was inside. He was about four lengths off and he angled widest of all in the four path. He he just had a tough time switching leads and, and that felt like he hung a little bit because of that. He really seemed like he had nice momentum, but he did lose to a four-year-old graded stakes place runner named surprise boss. And he does own a big win at six and a half furlongs two starts back. He was chasing lone speed of Drew's gold. So you can probably pick at those last two races and you know, the speed figure came back really nice and it's, it's a nice positive that he did face older. Yeah. That last race is definitely legitimate. Uh, the 92 buyer, the horse that actually he finished right ahead of his stablemate majority partner is a really nice horse for Linda Rice. Who's earned mm-hmm. a series of speed figures that say that form is legitimate. Yep. I, I just don't know where that race came from. I mean, he is an improving three-year-old. 
I, I just know if that race was not showing in his past performances, I wouldn't like him at all in this race. So I kind of have to wrap my head around that 92 buyer and how it fits here. I will note that was his first start with Lasix, and that's something I'm trying to pay more attention to, what horses just really do improve with Lasix. They don't all, but some really do mm-hmm. move forward with that medication. And now, of course, he's coming off Lasix, running integrated stakes in New York. So I just have some questions about him. I don't really know how to view him. I do know if he's that two-to-one morning line that I pegged him out, that's too low for me. The two outside horses feel like maybe we could get bettable with with them just based on their prices. Expected value, maybe he has some improvement built in. We haven't seen him since he was two. He did take a nice step forward from start one to start two. And and then even in start two, he was just outrun early. And he's kind of grinding away with some good late energy. Um, is long, maybe even longer for him, just sort of like by based on his running style. But can you project some improvement for him and, and maybe him be a, a value play in here? I know some people don't like these Klarovich names, but I love the name Expected Value. Right. It's just a great name for a horse for a horse players. Um, you, you know, he's a horse that um, when I went back and watched those races as a two-year-old, I actually liked them a little better than I thought I would, even though the speed figures are somewhat depressed. Um, he got never got close to Echo again in that debut, but that was a very slow-paced race where they came home fast. And he was one of the only ones that was passing horses at the end of the race. And then the mile race last time, I mean, it wasn't the most visually impressive. He's kind of a grinder who was running down the center of the racetrack in a race that was kind of falling apart at the end, almost got passed from behind, actually, by the runner-up at the end of that race. But what I most noticed was that he's such a big horse with such a large frame to him. Feels like one that maybe this time away has really given him the time to sort of grow up and develop into that frame. So I'm interested that they're coming back off the layoff in this tougher spot and you might be able to see in the small print i actually wrote the closer look for this race in formulator and i did put a stat in there for trainer chad brown where he does very well uh with three-year-olds that are returning from layoffs of this type in dirt sprints positive roi with a 40 horse sample over the past five years uh so just feel like he's one that might have a license to take a step forward yeah you know maybe even being bigger a little mature they just don't have to be so far back in a race like this, you know, not expecting him to be on the lead or anything, but just not have to be dead last and try to pass every single horse in the race. We'll see how the, uh, the pace shapes up because to the outside, it'll be a horse that should be forwardly placed in here. And that's the number seven prove right. Who was a very impressive winner last time out at Laurel park with a, a big speed figure there, uh, an 89 buyer speed figure last time out prior to that. He was in a stakes race at Parks. We've seen him at Aqueduct before a couple times. He took a shot in the Nashua, the Remsen, the Withers. What do you think about Prove Right's chances here? If you just parse his form and kind of cross out those races where he was badly overmatched or going distances that are way too far for him or running on synthetic, uh, his form looks, the outlook is a little more positive for this horse. Still, that last race represented a big improvement on his prior races. And that also kind of like with Joey Freshwater was his first ever start on Lasix. Now he's coming off Lasix here. He's also coming back in just eight days. And it sounds like the plan was not originally to run in this race. Uh, James Chapman had another horse that was being targeted here, Drew's Gold, the horse that won the Jimmy Winkfield, but that horse had a setback, so this one's kind of subbing instead. I will say his speed is supposed to play very well in this race because there's not a whole lot of pace signed on here. So he figures to be able to control from the outside. I don't totally trust him. He just feels like the kind of horse that could offer value in a race where I don't think that many are going to. Yeah, that's that's really the key, right? From a 
that how to play this race uh, were to just sort of end with some uh, some final thoughts on the Bayshore. Yeah, as you can probably tell from my comments, I'm kind of leaning toward these outside horses. And yeah. I did make expected value my top pick. Uh, I'm I'm afraid of Prove Right. He's definitely a horse that I want to include, uh, especially if he drifts up from that six to one morning line, which I think is possible given the connections. Uh, so I'm kind of focusing more on them. And while I acknowledge that horses like the two, three, and five can win this race, I'm just I'm just not seeing the upside and taking them on the wagering standpoint. That is race number six, the grade three Bay Shore. We move to race number eight. It's the grade one Carter. And this is an, an intriguing race because while it's not grade one in quality, we do have a grade one winner in here in White Barrio. We have some horses who are trying stakes company for the first time. You have a couple like real wild card horses who are just mm-hmm. in like really good form. Um, you know, the, the one today's flavor has won four races and just not even been tested. Gets a really big, you know, test in here, though. Even this isn't a great one. This is for sure a step up for, for this guy. Then you know, obviously you have uh, Repo Rocks, who's going for five in a row. That's a great three winner there. Little Vic came off a, a big victory last time out, as did White Abario coming off of a really nice sort of class relief bounce back win for him so you do have some horses who are in really nice form heck even express man threw in a 107 buyer speed figure in debut going seven furlongs a lot of horses capable of big races in here for sure and i think you could probably say that if the horse with the biggest outlier race repo rocks runs back that 111 buyer from the toboggan everybody else in here is running for second i mean there's no doubt about that um but you have to kind of ask yourself i mean while he's been more consistent for jamie ness and has won four in a row that one speed figure just really sticks out in his past Mm -hmm. performances and in this entire race so um there are reasons why maybe he didn't replicate it last time much slower pace in the stymie um just got a strange ride that day where it seemed like uh, Andrew Wolfson had every chance to go forward from the inside and just was really intent on getting this horse into the pocket like he had been in the toboggan, even though the, the journey to get into that position was very awkward and, and not the prettiest to watch. But he ultimately did produce that kick in the stretch and and, and just was just superior to that field. So I kind of view Repo Rocks as the horse to beat, even though, as you said, don't really view him as grade one quality just feels like he's in better form than a lot of others in this race. And um, he's got that experience over the track. I just seems like he's going to pull another good trip and probably deliver an effort. That's going to be good enough to win. He work. You can say he, he hasn't that nice running style where he's just going to put him himself in pretty good striking range. He Mm -hmm. probably won't be coming from way, way out of it. So yeah, the conversation definitely uh, was starting with him. Now, right next door is a horse who he defeated pretty uh, handily with, when he earned that big, big speed figure. But then little Vic comes back on March the 4th and he runs a really big race. He just had a perfect trip. He was third, about three lengths off in the two path. And he just crushed a group in the slop. And now he's shown that he is two for two on an off race track. So do you think, was that him showing some improvement now? He's only making his you no know, third start as a four-year-old or do you sort of, uh, chalk that up to maybe an off track that he may relish more than some others. I think in a weird way, he shows how tough Repo Rocks is going to be, be in this race because yeah. I mean, he ran his race in the toboggan and just got drowned by that horse. And it's, it's not that surprising to me that he came back and ran well in the Tom fool. I think he was an overlay that day at six to one. He's just a horse that always shows up and can get a stalking trip. He's versatile. So uh, I expect him to run well in this race. I just, 
I wonder if his ceiling is quite as high as the two that are drawn alongside of him in the starting gate, but he's a horse that sometimes gets lost in the wagering and can outrun his odds. And then uh, next door, it's White Abario. He is the grade one winner. The major fact when you're talking about White Abario is it's not as if he hasn't run fine at some other tracks, including here at Aqueduct when he was third in the Cigar Mile just a few starts back. But the bulk of his good work has come at Gulfstream Park. And that's where he won last time out, earned a big 103 buyer speed figure in a race that has since come back live. We saw it was one of those uh, races at Gulfstream on their big days. That's like an allowance race disguised as a stakes race, because these are a lot of like stakes quality horses that for whatever reason, aren't in top tier form at the moment injuries. Some stuff happened. We saw Weyburn come right back out of that race to win the Sir Shackleton. He earned a nice speed figure in doing so collaborate dropped in and won. he's, he's a little bit quite a little below the like stakes caliber. What do you think about White Abario outside of Gulfstream here in this spot? I mean, I'm never one to really uh, put a lot of stock in the horse for course angle. So I'm going to try to change the conversation. I'm right up yeah. White Abario. I Please. feel like... I feel like he's a one-turn horse. And I think sure. if you're going to isolate something in his PPs, isolate his one-turn races. Because, I mean, he is just a half length in the cigar mile shy of being undefeated in one-turn races. And recently, uh, when his form has kind of gone the wrong way, the two times that he's shown up has been these one-turn races. And he just kind of strikes me as a horse that has really responded to this turn back in distance. Uh, his last race at Gulfstream, I would say he was on the best part of the racetrack because I think you wanted to be out outside on Fountain of Youth Day, but other horses were outside in the middle of the track like Weyburn and Collaborate, and he easily ran away from them. So I believe in his current form, going the right distance, he could be pretty tough in here. It, it all just comes down to whether or not we see the toboggan version of Repo Rocks or not, because yeah. that's going to dictate how tough White Abario is in this race. So those are the three horses in the middle of the field that are going to take the bulk of the action. Let's talk about a couple other uh, maybe wild cards in here. From the inside, you have today's flavor. He changed barns. He was out here in Southern California, and he he teased of talent. He had a couple races where he was second to some nice horses. Essential Wager is a nice horse. Um, and then in his final race in the Doug O'Neill barn, he just didn't really fire. And, you know, you can put a line right through that. That was his first start in New York. Following that, changes barns. He's off a couple month break. He shows back up and he rattles off three wins in New York Bread Company. And then he steps up against Open Company last time out. And so he passes the next test, which was can he do it against Open Company? So he did that. They take the next test here. Can he face Grade One Company, uh, a tough group? Today's flavor will probably be the one to catch from the inside. Yeah, it seems like he's supposed to have a pace advantage here. I was looking at the time form U.S. pace projector for this race, and it's got one of those favors on or near the lead uh, characterizations with him in front of this field. And that kind of checks out when you look through the running styles and the form in this race. Uh, it's a really big step up in class. He's been in great form. Uh, he's got to get the seven furlongs. And furthermore, that 99 buyer last time, that's the one that kind of puts him in the mix. I felt that that was a day at Aqueduct where the rail was a bit of an advantage. So I feel like that figure might be a little bit inflated, but look, he's in great form right now. So, I mean, I don't want to knock somebody trying to wire this field with him. He's just might need a, another career best to beat this group. One more to ask about before we uh, put the finishing touches on the Carter. Um, we see horses like this um, quite often, a horse like Expressman who is 
awesome in their debut and they run so fast and such a big figure and they can't really get back to it, but it's not as if his form has been bad since then. He has a a, a victory in two other seconds and the two runner up efforts are, you know, on the opposite sides of a short layoff. So he made his second start back. He was going a mile and an eighth. It's kind of a weird race because he had a good start. He crossed over. He looked like he was kind of cruising and then he got headed at the top of the lane, but he battled back at a mile and an eighth. Now you get a cut back to seven furlongs. Do you think this horse has a shot with this group? That day that he earned the 107 buyer on debut at Saratoga is such a weird day when you go back and look through the charts in Formulator. August 13th, it's like, I don't know what was going on. It's hard to say if there was a track bias. I mean, I guess it was a little speed favoring if you had to say anything about it. But the horses that won the dirt races those that day did it often by lopsided margins. Most of them earned career best numbers. But if you look at their PP since then, a lot of them look just like Express Man. They've just kind of regressed by 20, sometimes 30 points and haven't gotten close to those efforts since then. So I just feel like that August 13th day at Saratoga sort of lives in isolation. And I wonder if we'll ever see Express Man deliver a performance like that again. Uh, but uh, he definitely has it in him somewhere. It's some brilliance. We just haven't seen it since. Bold Journey and uh, Doppelganger, a couple of the bigger prices in here. Give us some of your final thoughts on the Carter, David. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of race where I just didn't really have a clever angle. Uh, I picked Repo Rocks over White Abario. They're the two favorites. I just kind of feel like from a talent and speed figure standpoint, they stand above this field and they're both likely to get good trips, the kind yep. of trips that they typically produce their best efforts from. So um, I, I could not make a case for too many of the bigger prices in this Carter. Yeah, I had a hard time trying to get cute with this race too. I felt like Wide Barrio was was really the one to be. Maybe like we what we were getting at, maybe his form overall is a little more consistent at the one turn at the top tier levels than a Repo Rocks who might be st- still in really nice form, but maybe one or two of those figures might be a little over exaggerated. Um, yeah, maybe you know, maybe a, a small flyer and somewhere underneath on a today's flavor. If this horse can just like sneak away, if everyone tries to track back and let this horse get a length or two, maybe he's a wild card, but yeah, I couldn't, couldn't really make two, uh, two great of cases for the prices. It did feel like one where the form, um, of these horses recently should, uh, should hold up. So let's finish it up with the final of the four stakes races on the card at aqueduct on saturday big thank you one more time to david aragona for helping us out and taking time out of a very busy schedule on a very busy week to help us talk some horse racing and promote the great product over there at aqueduct so let's finish up the uh graded races with the wood memorial grade two in just from a talking standpoint the horses who are your likely betting favorites will be on the inside and the outside you have a maiden dreamlike and then you have really the most proven of these runners to the outside with hit show. Who's three of four and won the grade three withers one of the New York prep races. So let's talk about those two from a, at least a, a discussion standpoint on um, which one of them you like, or maybe don't like the maiden dreamlike has not won, but has two pretty good races visually. And they come back really good on speed figures, even though he was beat as the heavy favorite last time it, you know, he had, he was four wide into the turn. He settled the length off. He asked, he kind of moved three wide. He took the lead. It wasn't no, no excuses that day. He just lost to a first time starter. That was a little bit better than him. It might be a nice horse. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's a maiden, I don't think that really takes away from his chances to have success in a race like this at all. Uh, he's clearly kept some good company at Gulfstream, as you said. I mean, he's been beaten by a couple of Bill Mott horses that look like they might be very good. Um, I don't know where last out winner Empire Strikes Fast is going to run next, uh, but uh, I'll be I'll be watching it with interest because he was a very game to get that win last time. And Dream like, I mean, some might view it as a negative that he lost that race at one to five and he kind of ranged up on the turn like he was going to win. And then Empire Strikes Fast sort of wanted it more. Uh, but still, I mean, he earned a fast number, whether you look at Buyers or Time Form US. He is one of the fastest horses in this race. And I mean, he really won the post position draw because a lot of his main rivals are drawn towards the outside. He's got the right running style for this draw. I mean, he's got uh, some tactical speed, but doesn't need the lead. Pletcher's putting blinkers on. So you'd imagine they want him to get that kind of trip pretty up close in the pocket. And and it just feels like he's going to run well. He's uh, been the workmate recently of Tappet Trice uh, for those that are interested in that kind of thing. And uh, his workout two back was in the blinkers with Tappet Trice. And he kind of hung with that rival all the way. It was the best workout in company with that horse that I had seen from Dreamlike. And it just feels like he's probably going to run well, whether he wins or not. And what how short a price you're willing to take on him. Those are, I guess, other questions to answer. But I think he's a major player. And then on the outside, we have Hit Show, who has not done a whole lot wrong in his four races, but he did not get a great post-position draw here. He's shown that nice speed figure progression in each of his starts to put him on a great pattern. If he were to take a, a step forward here and just improve a, a few points in speed figures, that would be very nice heading into a race like the Derby. But... What kind of trip can a horse like this work out from from way out wide? And do you think he'll probably be shorter than he should be with with that outside draw? Yeah, the draw definitely concerns me, particularly because he got such a perfect trip in the withers when he earned that 91 buyer. Like they, yep. they couldn't have drawn it up any better. I mean, there was a duel on the front end, very fast pace. And it looked like on it was... paper like he was going to get sort of that trip, too. Right. With a couple speeds and he did get it, you know. Totally. I mean, he, he was six to five in that race for a reason. And now he's landing in a much tougher spot where it's almost guaranteed that he's not going to get as ideal a trip as he did in the Withers. So not only does he have to run back to that race with probably a worse trip, but potentially improve on it. I just I have some concerns about him potentially being bad value in this race. So when I handicap it, um, it it's pretty wide open behind these favorites. And it feels like there are a lot of different scenarios that can play out with regard to pace and trip. So it just makes me want to downgrade a horse like this. One of the horses that I'm uh, going to give a look to, um, and I think might fit from a price standpoint, is the number five Slip Mahoney, who was in the Gotham last time out. And, and Slip Mahoney had shown in his prior two starts going long a lot of positional speed. He was right there with Tappet Trice all the way throughout. Uh, he just got beat at the wire, but he was on the lead. Then when he broke his maiden, he was right on the front end again, and those races came at Aqueduct. March the 4th, slow start and just a completely different complexion for this horse who had all, who had been really close in his last two. So if we're watching this race right here, Slip Mahoney, he was the he's uh, the number 11 in this race and just has a really bad start. And he's going to be just completely outrun early on and off racetrack. And, you know, his buyer speed figure was not great, but we can pick this race up like towards the, um, you know, towards the finish line here and in, in the in the stretch. And we see him way out in the middle of the racetrack and he's making up some ground here. 
And I actually thought that he ran really well, David, for a horse that had to deal with something completely different than he had dealt with in his first two starts. Horses like that, when they get those kind of trips, they have every right to just kind of pack it in and back up a lot of the time. Um, and I feel like because he's shown a lot more speed in those races, he can get a more forwardly placed trip in here. What do you think about his chances in this race? Yeah, I... I'm of two minds about Slip Mahoney. I mean, I, I liked the races early in his career. I thought he was coming along nicely. Um, there are some some buts that I have to emphasize when I talk about a few of his races, though. I mean, I thought he got a very good trip in a soft pace when he was so close to Tappet Trice, three back. He was on a gold rail when he broke his maiden, uh, beating Krupy two back. So I feel like those speed figures maybe a little bit dressed up. And then last time in the Gotham, I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said about the slow start, but it's like, where did that come from? I mean, he hadn't he hadn't broken why, slowly why? in his two prior races. It's like he took a step backwards from a development standpoint, and I I don't like to see that. And you know, the the hope is that he gets back to a more aggressive style with Dylan Davis getting back aboard, and you know, just turning the page from that race, getting back on a fast track. But there's still that lingering question in the back of my mind, like what happened last time? Because it's like a different horse was running. Um, I think the added distance is going to help. I just, as much as I think is positive about him, I also have negatives. So I, I kind of, it's hard to make up my mind. In that next tier of horses would probably be Arctic Arrogance, who's also six to one on the morning line. He was your runner up in the Withers. He's been a runner up in three straight and he's never run a bad race. It is he as good as some of the others, or is he one of those horses that might be just a little bit trip dependent when he catches fields that don't have a lot of speed he might, or do you think he fits? Can he show some improvement here? Oh, I think Arctic arrogance fits really well. And you know, hit show beat him by five lengths last time. That's a margin that I think might be significantly reduced in this wood memorial, if not yep. reversed, because I mean, whereas hit show had everything go his way, Arctic arrogance had to be used early to set that pace with two sprinters hounding him to the outside. I mean, if you look up the time form us pace figures for that withers, I mean, they were going really fast early and I mean, they did come home much slower, but Arctic arrogance actually hung in pretty well to only be beaten five lengths that day, especially when you look in the chart and see how far those horses that were involved in the pace along with him finished behind him. I and mean, one of them was proved right. We just talked about in the Bay shore, and he has since come back with some much improved speed figures after being involved in that Withers pace. So I feel like Arctic Arrogance is better than that last race indicates. Um, the question is, what kind of pace setup is he going to get here? They're taking the blinkers off. Maybe that gives him some added versatility to sit off arrival if somebody's really intent on the lead. But you know, if he's around that six to one morning line, I think he will be. Uh, he's a horse that I could definitely consider. Yeah, I think he's going to be in the mix too. He, turning for home, he, he was in a nice spot. It was him and Hit Show. And like I said, on paper, that race just looked like it was set up so well for Hit Show. And it did. Like everything it looked like in the Withers played out on the track that day. Arctic arrogance in that next tier of horses. So one more to ask you about. We we just sort of mentioned him in the Slip Mahoney race. He's been behind Slip Mahoney in Classic Catch. Kruppi was in the Risen Star last time out. And that race has since come back live in Angel of Empire coming back to win the Arkansas Derby. We saw two fills go over and win the uh, the Ruby at Turfway here in a big speed figure uh, in winning that race there too. Do you think Kruppi fits it all in this race? And then let's talk about any others that are on your radar. Yeah, Kruppi, I mean, he's kind of like, if you take Slip Mahoney's Gotham and then just like hit copy and paste, I mean, that's every race for Kruppi. I mean, he just walks out of the starting gate, is often way too far back. He will come with a big late run and pass tired rivals at the end, but like, he just, 
he just can't quite get there. I mean, he's obviously still a maiden coming into this race over six. And, you know, I think a lot of people saw how much pace was signed on in that risen star and thought maybe he's the kind of horse that could pick up the pieces, except, I mean, he was even slower than he usually is in the early yeah. stages of that race. He was like in another zip code and he was running on at the end and galloped out strong, but like, how much does it really matter when you're so He's far 20 back lengths out stages? of it and literally yeah. 20 lengths behind it at, at some points in that race. Um, as we continue on uh classic catch, it's probably, you know, another one that will get some, some support in here coming off of the, the recent win at golf stream. He has his form on paper does not look bad, but he does look like he's going to need to improve a little bit to compete with this group just on a speed figure standpoint. What do you think about his chances? Yeah, I definitely want to talk about Classic Catch. Um, he, so I, I like all of his races. I'll just put that out. Even though that they're, the speed figures seem like they're a little bit lower, when you watch his races, he's just one of these horses that really runs through the wire. He's a strong finisher. We saw that uh, that attribute in his career debut, his next out at, at Aqueduct, when he actually beat an out-finished Kruppi, uh, who's known as a strong finisher, right? He was just going away from him at the end of that mile in an eighth race. So that really points him out as a horse that, gets better with more distance and stamina is like his main asset so i like that in this wood memorial especially given the way it's supposed to set up and then last time out that allowance race at Gulfstream only got a 79 buyer but mr ripple who was easily beaten by classic catch that day he came back and i thought ran a big race in the florida derby um he was fourth in that florida derby but he was the one that was pushing a pace early that came apart so you got an 88 buyer in there a number that could be higher when you factor in pace yeah. so i mean that this that, that allowance race might be a little better than it looks and classic catch again was really going away from him at the end going the mile and an eighth distance i watched one of his recent workouts it was in company with classy edition that four-year-old filly for todd pletcher and i thought he was going really well in company with her and the fact that pletcher would pair him with that older horse seems like a a good sign i saw some comments todd pletcher made i think to uh, my colleague uh, dave gretting in his preview for this race that kind of hinting like don't underestimate classic catch. there's and a little he, something there yeah yeah th th this horse should not be flying under the radar and I, I think i think he um some people might view him a little negatively because of those low speed figures but i think he's a major major player in this race so give us a, a final bow on this one man because this if you are doing sort of what I, i'm going to do too and if you can eliminate hit show just from a, a win candidate here because we think he's going to be a little overvalued be, because of the, the trip last time out was perfect and now he gets uh, a really bad post it opens this race up quite a bit and especially if you're not sure if you want to play the maiden from the inside who we still haven't seen win and, and that horse might be a little too short for you then we're talking about everybody else five to one and above who are some of those horses that you want you want on your tickets if we're you know we're closing some exotics right here in uh in, in aqueduct yeah, so I picked Classic Catch in this race, um, and we'll see what price he is. I, I think that he deserves to be in that 6-1 to one range, and yep. I think we might get better than that. Uh, so uh, I, I, he's definitely one that I'm keying on. And yeah, what you said about the favorites, I agree with. I'm, I'm downgrading uh, Hit Show for all the reasons that I stated, and I, I expect Dreamlike to run well. I don't want to pick him. I don't think he's going to be you know, the best value if he's around that seven to two, three to one. Uh, but I do think he's going to run well from that post position. So I would say he's a horse that scares me. Uh, but I think that others are going to offer some better value like Arctic arrogance. Um, you know, 
I, I didn't even mention the number 12, Mr. Swagger, who's yeah. a little a little tough to make. Um, he's not the most likely winner by any stretch, but he, he got kind of a tentative ride in the Gotham last time. He was glued to the rail. I'm not sure that's where you wanted to be. His debut was good. I mean, sometimes in these races, you know, the horse that's drawn the farthest outside gets the most aggressive ride, and maybe he winds up on the lead. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of different scenarios that can play out in this Wood Memorial and horses that have upside that are going to fly under the radar. David, we always appreciate your time. We always appreciate your insight. Uh, talk to us about what kind of stuff you'll have coming up this week. Timeform US, daily racing form, selections for the NYRA. We're talking Keeneland, Santa Anita, Aqueduct. What can we find from you? Yeah, I did uh, some video previews you can find on the Daily Racing Forum YouTube channel today. I handicapped all of these Kentucky Derby preps, uh, a couple of other stakes, both at Keeneland and Aqueduct. Uh, I'll be doing my typical Timeform US podcast. I'm recording that tomorrow with uh, the Timeform US speed figure maker, Craig Molkowski, my podcast partner, will be handicapping that all stakes pick five at Keeneland. So you can check that out again on the Daily Racing Forum channels where you get your podcast. So uh, that's the bulk of it. My Aqueduct picks, uh, they'll be available on the Nyrus. Site. Um, I'm also this weekend, uh, we're reprising our daily racing form betting strategies that I team up with Mike Beer to do. Uh, so you can find out more information about that on DRF.com. And I'll, of course, be focusing uh, on uh, the Wood Memorial Day card. Well, don't forget to uh, take a breath like uh, like after Saturday <laughs> night for sure, because then, you know, Sunday you can take a little bit of a, a relax. So have a nice beer and enjoy Easter with your family on Sunday. And thanks again, buddy, for uh, for all the hard work. I'm going to uh, send you an annoying message in about a, a month or so before Kentucky Derby and Oaks weekend so we can maybe pick your brain on a couple of the big races. Sounds great. This was fun. Thanks so much. And we're going to make sure to follow David on Twitter at horse to watch. You can check out all of the great work there. A lot of times he'll post and copy and uh, paste everything right on over there for everyone. So good luck to all of you at Aqueduct. And if you're looking for more coverage on the podcast, we have help for you from Santa for Santa Anita this weekend and for Keeneland with Chris Larmy talking about that all stakes pick five. Good luck everyone out there on a big Saturday at Aqueduct. A big thank you to David for helping us out with Aqueduct. We move from one Saturday Kentucky Derby prep to the next and an all-graded stakes pick five. Chris Larmy joins me to discuss the Saturday Keeneland all-graded stakes pick five. So we talk about Keeneland Saturday races five, six, seven, eight, and nine that ends with the bluegrass. Opening weekend at Keeneland is upon us. Recording this on Thursday night, so we actually have not had opening day yet uh, by the time we are talking here. And the we is me, Gina Bacola, and my good friend Christopher Larmy, who we uh, have had on That's What G Said podcast and different forms of uh, of uh, live streams and video streams through the years. And Chris is one of my favorite people to talk racing with because he's uh, an excellent handicapper and he's also someone who's always looking to find value and uh, very, very sharp. Chris ha hosts a couple podcasts himself. He's done a lot of work uh, for contest players through the years. And Chris, I always like to bring you in on the big days and, uh, and pick your brain a little bit. What a cool Saturday this is. We have three big days at three different racetracks. So if you can't find something you like at Santa Anita, Aqueduct, or Keeneland, I'm, you're doing something wrong. There's plenty of opportunities out there on Saturday. Yeah, it's almost too much. I mean, it is. it's it's a it's a embarrassment of riches. I wish they'd spread it out a little bit, but it is. You know, everybody wants to time these triple crown preps, uh, you know, to be ideal to head into the Derby. So here we are with three major you know, Derby preps all on the same day, and we'll be taking a look at the Keeneland 
Saturday Pick 5. It's an all-graded stakes Pick 5 that finishes up in the bluegrass. So not only is it really quality racing, but we will see horses that are trying to get some points to get into the Kentucky Derby next month. So it's a very important weekend with uh, three different prep races all around, the Santa Anita Derby, the Wood Memorial, and at Keeneland with the bluegrass. So, uh, Chris, I'm glad that they put an all-stakes pick five together like this. It's actually in the middle of the card, and we really get to to try to sink our teeth into the best quality racing on this Saturday card at Keeneland. There's always going to be great cards at Keeneland, and uh, we'll have the privilege of diving into the, the DRF past performances here. I'm a big Formulator fan, so if anyone ever needs any help handicapping the races, I always recommend DRF Formulator. makes it so easy to watch the replays and click on the charts and then you have pedigree information owner trainer stats everything you need chris let's talk about the commonwealth and let's talk about race number five which kicks off this all stakes pick five I, you know it glancing through this field doesn't seem like there's a ton of early speed in this race for like a seven furlong sprint graded stakes like this totally agree it looks like there's no speed at all and i think uh, an aggressive ride would be very advantageous in this race. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you'll have some horses that are, you know, cutting back a, a little bit. The one to me that I just, it won't necessarily be the biggest price in the world, but a couple things just jump off the page when I was looking at run classic in that he really does look like a horse who has some distance limitations. When you just watch his races and you just look at the past performances He's usually in a really nice spot. He's tracking, he's stalking, and then turning for home. He's right in contention, and he just doesn't have quite enough. He tries hard, but I just don't know how far he wants to go. And his career best race was a seven furlong sprint at Keeneland. He earned a big speed figure in doing so. He sat a really nice trip. Like, I'd love to see him aggressively handled in here. Um, and I think he's going to be a major player in this race. So what'd you think about him and then others that you may be looking at? Well, we're on the same page. I, for all the reasons you said, I always like horses cutting back that have speed. Totally agree with you. He's probably a sprinter. Seven furlongs should be perfect. He's run well at Keeneland. There's no pace in the race. He drew well, uh, and from a post position standpoint. So absolutely. I think he's the most likely winner. And since he's not the favorite, um, he's the kind of horse you could lean on in the pick five. I'm not mm -hmm. sure you'll get a lot of value in the wind pool, but, um, you know, as a pick five, uh, we're talking about the sequence and it is the start of the pick five. He seems like a good place, you know, to start. And I think there's a couple of price horses you can maybe hook him up with in, in this race as well. Yeah. Uh, so who are, I completely agree. He would be, you know, if I'm playing multiple tickets, he would be a horse. I'd be fine taking a single with right off the bat on one and then using him, like you said, and maybe a couple other prices along the way. Um, who are some of the other horses in here that would be on your radar that you might want to include in a pick five? Well, I, you know, Nakatomi, I think will be over bet. I don't really think he's any better than any, many of these so you know i'm certainly against him which might create some value in mm -hmm. in like the exact is and to me uh heart rhythm the four horse and hear my song the nine both have run well at keelan before both have some numbers that that fit with these horses um and there's no reason why they couldn't you know maybe run second to run classic at a big price um even the one horse hoist the gold yeah uh is one that might be forwardly placed and from the rail there now cuts and back. He cuts back. He really is a sprinter. They were just trying something there, and he has a really nice workout since. So, 
you know, those three try to beat the favorites, Nakatomi, and get her number, um, and you know, get one of these price horses underneath. You know, that might be the way to play it if you like to play, you know, verticals. But in yeah. the horizontals, I'd lean on Run Classic probably. Yeah, I agree with you. Just been sort of waiting for this kind of a spot for him. As it's it's just got to be when you're when you have a horse like this and you're and you know you're you're an owner or a trainer of this horse. He's so he's really talented and he's so close to being able to go a little bit longer that it's kind of a tease. You you want to keep trying and hoping that maybe he'll catch the right type of a group or the right pace shape. But I really think this is going to be like just a, a top top level. Uh, spot for him uh, in yeah. here for uh, for Run Classic. So yeah, maybe a, a nice spot to lean on right away with Run Classic. Me and Chris were both looking at that. Only horse that you uh, we haven't really mentioned at all that I might throw in if I was using a price would be Pro uh, Occident, who we talked about how there's not that much speed in this race. Pro Occident has been forwardly placed going six in the last two races. They weren't going all that fast last time out, but I don't think he'll have to be too far out of it. And he also was a very impressive winner at seven in his debut. Um, you know, if you're looking for some price horses underneath or another one to throw in, um, I didn't mind the eight pro Occident. as uh, we finish up with the fifth race. Anything else to mention on here, Chris, before we move along? Well, the only other thing, I mean, if you're going to play the verticals and I, I would maybe include the 10 long range toddy. He's 30 to one. He does have some speed. He has a little back class mm -hmm. and, and junior Alvarado is not always the most aggressive rider, but if he is, and you know, he could be one that's forwardly placed at a big, big price. So that's sort of the other by, one. by forced by post even. Yeah, you know, maybe. from way out there, they even just say, Hey, we're way outside. Let's just try to get as aggressive, aggressive. So we're not hooked as wide. And the race that he comes out of has, uh, come back very live so far. We've seen Last Samurai, West Will Power, and Law Professor all come back to win their next starts. Uh, West Will Power won the New Orleans over at Fairgrounds and earned a 109 buyer speed figure, beating Art Collector that day. So the race has come back very, very strong that uh, that, that one exits also. Yeah, and, and he's run well. At, uh, you know, he had no chance going two turns, so that no. was a toss. And the Sloppy track race, he didn't run well. But you, his last time at Keeneland, in a grade two, he was only beating a neck. Yep. You know, so, and he was up near the lead in, a, in a, what was probably just as good a field or better than this, given a grade two. So, you know, he's not impossible. And if he's anything close to 31, 30 to 1, it's hard to leave him out if you're going to, like, play some exactas. Say, if you do like run classic, you know, he's one that you might want to use. That is the start of that all stakes pick five. It is race number five on Saturday at Keeneland. We'll move to race number six, which is the second leg of the pick five. It's the grade two Appalachian, and it'll be a mile on the turf for three-year-old fillies. Some of the horses in here who will likely take a, a good amount of support. The three Cairo consort has been a very honest filly. She was third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf behind Pleasant Passage, who will also be in this race. She is the five to two morning line favorite. She'll be making her first start of the year and her first start since she was second as a two-year-old in the juvenile Phillies turf. So Chris, from a wagering standpoint, those two will probably be, you know, the top tier of betting choices. You have the more uh, recently raced Cairo consort, and then you have Pleasant Passage who beat Cairo consort, but we haven't seen in, in quite some time. And, and maybe this horse is the type that you play against and needs a race. Or do you think she's just better than this group? How are you seeing it? 
Well, between the two, Cairo Consort and Pleasant Passage, um, I would prefer Pleasant Passage. I think she's a better horse. But you're right. You know, the they probably have big plans for this horse, although people like to win graded stakes races at Keeneland. So my guess is, you know, she she's ready be, to fire a big one at least. Probably. At least run as well as she was doing as a two-year-old. She probably mm-hmm. will have some forward move, you know, maybe her next out. But I think she'll run well. But she won't be any value. And there, there's a horse in here. Actually, a couple, I think, are alternatives that you could consider. And the one I really like is just inside a Pleasant Passage. The six-horse, Be Your Best. Sure. Um, she came comes out of the Breeders' Cup. Um, and uh, she was actually the horse I bet in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. And, and it was her, her race was kind of representative of my Breeders' Cup. She had an absolutely horrific trip. She got caught in traffic on the turn. So as you're talking, get out. she's the six. I'm going to pull up the race and we can watch it a little bit as you talk. But okay. uh, yeah, she's the six in this race we're watching. But go ahead. Yeah, you might want to run it up to like, I don't know if you can fast forward, but run yep. it up to where they're on the turn and you'll yep. see her buried in there. And you'll see. Side. She's surrounded. Yeah. She can't get out. She can't get in. And the horses in front of her just keep backing up. So she just has no chance. Right. Right here. You'll see her completely check out of it right now. And that was the end of her race. Right. But she was she had a lot of horse and, you know, finally she gets in the clear, but it's way too late. I think she has been beaten twice by Pleasant Passage, but one of them was that race where Pleasant Passage had a clear trip and she did. And another time was on a yielding track. So, yeah, I, I thought she was good enough to play in the Breeders' Cup last year and beat Pleasant Passage. So I certainly think She's worth a play now, and she will be a pretty good price. Mm-hmm. And she gets Luis Saez, who I hope will be a little more aggressive um, than her rider was in the Breeders' Cup. And, um, you know, if she gets a good trip, there's no reason why she couldn't win at a price. So yeah. I, I like her quite a bit. Be your best. I think I'm going to make sure that in the pick five, I have the nine on the ticket, just in case she's the type of filly who can run away and hide with this group. I really don't know how good the group she's been beating are, but they've been a little more aggressive with her. She's drawn to the outside and you start going through this field horse by horse. There's not that much speed. You know, like we've seen pleasant passage and Sabalinka show some speed in races. I think well into is faster than those for sure. And you kind of keep diving through and all of a sudden you're like alpha Bella probably sits close. Heavenly Sunday can really sit close. Cairo consort is pretty versatile and, oh yeah, the nine might have a chance to sneak away in here. So I just want to make sure, um, I think there are versions of this race where she could get clear and and um, make that three in a row. She's on the ticket for me. And then a um, couple horses that might be uh, intriguing, um, depending on how you're playing the race down towards the inside. Um, the one comes in from Fairgrounds. But the race was fine last time out. It, it wasn't bad. And this horse should offer you some nice value and be able to save ground. Then you have the two Papilio. And both Papilio and Cairo Consort come out of the same race. And they both sort of had some legitimate excuses. They they went really slow in that race. And Papilio was hooked about four wide throughout. Cairo Consort was even farther back and was hooked pretty wide. And they both kept trying. The Cairo Consort's really honest. She's just always going to be like an undervalued horse. She's never going to be like a fun, sexy horse to be betting. But she really does try. I, I was kind of impressed with that last race even more than the race where she had a bunch of trouble and then came running because the last race she was wide and, and just kind of kept grinding. So she's, she's tough. I, I think this is a fun race, Chris. And I don't, I don't think the seven is necessarily a, 
you know, like a slam dunk in here off the bench. So I, my approach will probably be to use three or four and, uh, and hope pleasant passage isn't quite up to her best. And your be my bet, be your best is definitely on them because if, if someone's watching and wondering, so why would you maybe play pleasant play, maybe play, be your best and not pleasant passage. It really all comes down to the price. If be your best, who's had legitimate trouble that we've seen and you can make, as you did legitimate excuses for why pleasant passage got the better of her a couple times. Well, now if they're both coming off the bench and one of them is going to be four times the price of the other one, I don't knock, you know, you have less knocks for horses when they're bigger prices. Cause it's built into their price. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to graduate from being, um, uh, you know, you want to go to the next level, you have to understand that, Horse being a good horse player is not about picking the winner. It's about finding value. And, you know, the only way you can make money or improve your results long-term is playing horses that have the price that's higher than you think they should be and never play a horse that um, is a price that's lower than you think it should be. And, um, you know, Pleasant Passage maybe is just as likely or more likely to win than be your best. But, um you know, definitely from a value standpoint, you're not going to make a lot of money long-term playing a horse like that. Whereas be your best, that's the sort of horse you can actually make money long-term if you play those kinds of horses. So you have to learn that. You know, that's part of what in my, my new podcast. New pod, right? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, that's a perfect way to plug it. Go ahead, talk a little bit about that show. Yeah, because, um, you know, I'll use a golf analogy since we're, we're in the middle of the Masters right now. Um, in golf... You know, everybody wants to be able to hit that long ball off the tee, right? You know, drive it down the fairway, pull out the big dog, give it a whack. You spend a lot of time and money buying a, a fancy driver and practicing on the driving range and maybe even get some good irons and get where you can stick the irons. Um, and you get on the golf course and you make a good drive and you hit a good iron and you get it in close and then you blow the putt. And, mm -hmm. you know, you don't cash it in. You waste um, your good drive and your good iron. Um, to me, you know, so you, know, so you, you need that long game, but that, that's not where you make the money. The difference between a, a good golfer and a great golfer or an average golfer and a good golfer is their short game. It's how good they can chip, in particular, how good they can putt. So they can cash in on those good shots they make from tee to green. And, and, you know, Bay and Horses is exactly the same. Everybody wants to pick winners and handicap the races, and you have to be good at that, but you also have to be able to cash it in. And to do, to do that, you need to know how to bet. And right now, you know, in the betting world, you get inundated with picks, and there's, there's quite a bit of information around handicapping, like what we're doing right now, but very little about betting, and it's just as important. And in some of the more exotic wagers, probably more so than the handicapping. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I, I'm trying to address and with some new content with the bet with your bet with the best podcast is get some, you know, really smart, articulate horse players that have had long term success talk to you about how they approach the the betting side and you know, how you, you improve that short guy game so you can cash in a good opinion. Um and you know, that's this is a great example where if you're going to bet, think about it from a betting perspective, you know, you don't want to just focus in on a short price favorite, even though that might be the most likely winner and your best chance to cash. It's not your best chance to make money. It's, uh, 
Yeah, it's not always, you know, at the highest levels of everything, it's not always the biggest gaps between the pros and the best of the best. And then then that the next groupings right below them, it just is the difference between, like you said, cashing it, finishing the job, like having the right opinion, but how do you take advantage of it and, and making the most money out of it? Is it the pick four? Is it playing in different ways, pick five, whatever you're doing? But I know one way you're not is betting a lot of chalk and, horses that you don't love as chalk, right? That That's the key. If you love a horse and they're a favorite, okay, and you don't think they're worth beating, don't waste your money. Don't play something else. But it's when we all talk about playing a little bit scared, throwing the horses in that you don't like, trying to play it a little bit too safe. You start wasting money here and there, and it's just never a long-term recipe. And I've uh, I've enjoyed listening to a couple. You've had a, how many so far of the episodes of the new podcast? We had two. I two, started right? with Marshall Graham okay, and thought, Tommy Mass. Yeah, and Tommy Mass is the most recent. And then tomorrow I'm going to record one with Matt Miller, another really nice. sharp, articulate guy. Um, and it's different than it, it's it's sort of evergreen content. So if you want to try to improve your game, you know, learn how to put it into the cup once you get it to the green. You know, cash in on your opinion, maximize your opinion. You know, this is that's the podcast for you. I I don't think there's anything quite like it out there. In fact, I'm sure there isn't. And so um, and I encourage people to do that. They can follow me on Twitter on Derby 159 and 2. And I tweet out, you know, links to the shows. Um, and so, you know, please give it a listen if you're interested. Yeah, that was a perfect uh, uh, place for us to talk a little bit about that and plug that as we move into the grade one Madison, the middle part of this pick five with a heavy favorite on the morning line, your Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint winner, Goodnight Olive, who has won six consecutive races. Her only defeat was in her career debut when she finished second. She's won every race since. She's won back-to-back grade ones. She won the Breeders' Cup going seven furlongs over this course at Keeneland, but we haven't seen her since November now. So, you know, like some of these horses that are coming off uh, the bench at a short price, you do always wonder what will it be like for her? But she did prove herself, like even last year when she started the year, she won from from a layoff of November to June, even a little bit longer than the one she's dealing with now. She won going seven furlongs really impressively at Belmont. What do you do in this race, Chris? How do you approach it with Goodnight Olive? Well, you make it sound like she can't be beat. Um, <laughs> but She's got a, an imposing resume, but she does. this is the time to try to beat a horse like this making their first start back when you just don't know if she's going to be as cranked up you know, as she would be at the end of the year. And honestly, there are a couple like legitimate fast horses and like quality Philly sharp horses in this race. Like society was four to one in the breeders cup last year. This horse has won five of seven and it's really quick. Usually is also in, in pretty nice form and is very quick also. So sh- these are horses that are, are honest. How about Mary quite Quintrary, who's been kind of racing at a cup below levels, but she's won six of her seven races. It's really tough to knock her overall form. Um, so it's not the biggest field in the world and she is very, very good on paper, but I think there's some quality with these, uh, these horses lined up next to her. Can she be beat? How are you seeing it? Well, yeah. And she will be heavily bet for all the reasons you said. I mean, she'll be one to five and that means if you can beat her in the pick five, you create lots of value. So these are always the kind where I like to try to take a shot. Um, Me too. 
And, and keep in mind, you know, she was the best sprinter last year, but that was a terrible group of sprinters last year. They were just terrible. I mean, she was the best of a bad lot. She's a good horse, but, you know, she's winning these races easily because there just wasn't any competition. Whereas society was a three-year-old in a crop of really tough older mares. I mean, that, well, that think was about a if stacked she was, division. If she ran in the Philly and mares sprint, she would have been the favorite. Been, I completely agree. And she and should be the favorite time, in here. She should be the favorite time, in here. Yeah, she would have been favored, I think, over Goodnight Olive. I completely agree. And yeah, I, 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 I'm trying to be Goodnight Olive, and I think you have a couple opportunities. And I, I keep talking about society, Chris. Well, I just think you know Malathot, Clarier, you know, um, Secret Oath, all these horses that she was going up against, and you know she was trying to stretch out her speed and. You know, maybe she's just better sprinting. Um, she certainly has run well at seven furlongs in the past. And I think she's got a lot more upside than Goodnight Olive. And I think she's just as good, if not better, already. So to me, she's the most likely winner and she's great value, not because she's going to be a big price, but if you want to play the pick five and you can knock out Good Olive, you know, she's only going to be, you know, three to one maybe in the race, but she'll be maybe 10 to one, you know, maybe 90% of the money going through or 80% of the money going through Goodnight Olive. So, you know, to me, you single society, try to beat Goodnight Olive. That's the way to play the pick five. Yeah. I think the same, I think the same thing. Um, and depending on if you're out there playing and you're looking at this race differently to approach, I, I think the two horses to the outside are a cut below them, Chris. I want to I want to try to make a case for them. I don't think I can get there, but like Ujieri's last two races are good, and what I like about her is she's actually won going a mile in a sixteenth. So she's also shown she can sit off a little bit if she has to. And then Mary Quite Contrary, you know, she stepped up and proved she can compete with Graded Stakes Company. I I just don't know how strong the company they've been keeping is to come and knock heads with Society and Goodnight Olive, who are both real real quality. Like these were two of the top. Phillies and mares last year, like overall, I mean, society was four to one in the distaff and uh, Goodnight Olive was favored in the sprint. Like you know, society was the third choice in that race. As you said, in a loaded distaff with Malathat, Clarier and nest in that group. Yeah. I mean, it, it, she was just facing knocking heads with much better horses. I think she's the best horse in the race. I do think the two favorites are a cut above the others, but I think you could make a, a case that if, Society and Ujiri go slow early and then get some separation late. They might be able to hold, you know, maybe Ujiri can hold on for a second and you could get an exacto, you know, with Goodnight Owl about it. It's still not going to pay a lot in this small field, but, you know, if you really want to play verticals, that might be the way to go. But in the picks, I would just single Society. It's the grade one Madison. We both feel like society has a chance to just run them off their feet in here. Society, very, very quality Philly. She'll be making her 2023 20, debut along with Goodnight Olive. First start at four for society. First start at five for Goodnight Olive. Let's move to a turf sprint. Five and a half furlongs. It's the grade two Shaker Town. And these are uh, fun trip races if you're one of those trip handicappers that likes to watch replays because you'll generally see a lot of horses who have had some troubled trips or horses you can make cases for and against based on the uh, the trips they've recently received the horse who i want to start with from a talking standpoint that's definitely uh, on the radar for me chris is the number five uh mr mm, who's just really good 
overall form and the turf sprint form is excellent. This is a horse who's been on the turf five times. And if you look at the last three turf races, they're open length victories. They're extremely impressive. The one at fairgrounds last time out earned a really big buyer speed figure in doing so, but this is a horse who's actually kind of classy on the dirt too. And so there are other speed figures. So it's not just like a, a real outlier for that, that one. I think there is, some just real talent with this horse. I like the versatility. He's got some speed. He can sit. Uh, he had a good start. He just kind of settled behind the leaders and he stayed out of traffic. I, he seems a little bit handy to me too. So he's, he's in the mix for me for sure. Mr. M um, probably a couple others in here, but I, I know my one approach I'm playing against Caravel. I, I'm going to let Caravel beat me in here. Her form heading into the breeders cup turf sprint wasn't up to to snuff with the best of the turf sprinters. She was 43 to one that day. She's a Philly uh, now a mayor and she's was facing the boys. Um, and when I see a speed figure that, that it seems to me like that one is a bit of an outlier. I'm going to see if she, if she can pull right back again and prove it, especially coming off the bench. So my approach from this race is going to be no Caravelle. I like the five and a couple others. Tell me, uh, who are some of the others I need to use? Well, I don't disagree with you. Caravelle is good, but she just got a dream trip in the Breeders' Cup, uh, and she is coming off the layoff, and she's not even getting a weight break now with against the boys in here. So, and she'll be, uh, you know, the big favorite. Uh, so I'm with you there, Mister Um. I like him too. Like you said, he's done really well recently in turf sprints, and he has a good workout since his last. So. Nothing not to like there. If you can get six to one, that's value. I think the most likely winner is another horse I played in the Breeders' Cup and, and didn't work out too well, and that's a 12 horse, Arrest Me Red. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, has a ha habit of getting kind of becoming a hot, washy mess before the race. So uh, we won't know that heading into the pick five, but that's something worth looking at before the race. If he If he's really washed out, before the race, that's not a good sign. Sometimes he, he waits to wash out until he starts heading towards the starting gate. That's what happened in the Breeders' Cup, you know. But he still runs pretty good even when he's washed out, but it uses a lot of energy. And he didn't get a good trip. He got parked wide in that Breeders' Cup. They didn't get an aggressive ride. He kind of washed out early. Um, this time he draws outside with Rosario. He's got tactical speed, I think. Rosario gives him a smart ride. He could end up tucking in behind some, you know, the, the early front runners. And, and that I, race will just give him, a, because the race, is, he didn't get a good trip and it, it's just a poor finish on paper. You'll get a little value built in with him because that, like if that, if, if he just didn't run in the Breeders' Cup and you're playing him off of the September race, he'd be a shorter price. But even though he ran in the Breeders' Cup against Tougher, some people might dismiss him a little bit off of that. And I, I think he's in like, in trying to beat Caravelle, he's absolutely one of the horses I'm using. Yeah, and like you said, it's all about price. At nine to two, he's really good value. I don't know if you know Wesley Ward horse at Keeneland is going to go off at nine to two. Um, I'd be a little surprised if you get that price. So he may not be a good win bet, but I, he's the one I'll lean on the most in the pick five. And Mister. Mm, is one I would definitely use and consider playing him if he's six to one or higher yeah. um, as well. And then I, the other long shot I like in here is the 10 horse yep. Oceanic. Um, 
you know, he's a little inconsistent, but his good races are pretty good and, and definitely good enough to at least hit the board. And he's a, he'll probably be a big price. He probably will be at that 15 to 1 in the morning line. So, you know, I, he's another one I would use, um, especially in in the verticals. Yeah, you just eliminate his Breeders' Cup race last year, and he put together back-to-back races at Colonial, and then he came over to Keeneland, and he showed it was good. He was a runner-up behind Golden Pal, and he finished in front of, like, a horse who's a player in here, like the three, Artemis City Limits. You know, he was finished in front of that horse if you're just playing, you know, the like the measuring stick game and Artemis city limits was fifth in the breeders cup was only beaten a couple lengths. The other one I, I, I uh, would like to mention in here is the nine bad beat Brian. So if you get to bad beat Brian last year where, you know, he's winning at Kentucky, he's coming right back in the Woodford and being really competitive in that race. We're talking oceanic and Artemis city limits. And he's right there behind golden pal with them with a little bit of traffic with a really nice speed figure that would fit. And then since then he has three races on the synthetic and it, and they're not bad. He's just obviously a better turf horse. They, they were at turf way and they were decent enough to give him one more shot and then one more shot. But now they get back to the turf and He's a little bit sneaky, at least as an under horse, because we know he's got some speed. We can also pass horses that he's shown. Um, I, I could see him. It's all about the trips that you're getting, Chris, but because he's got a little muddied up form off of three synthetic races, he should. he's probably a little bit better value than, than maybe his actual chances of winning this race. Yeah, I always like it when they, they have three straight races with obvious excuses like that where they're, on the wrong surface and now they're back where he belongs. Yep. I'm not sure he's quite good enough, but yeah, he may not be, he may be a couple low, but, but we'll he's the kind in. of horse. Yeah. And you're looking for value. And a lot of times that muddied up for him, you're going to get a bet. He's going to be a better price than he should be. I, but I think his chance of winning are pretty low, although hitting the board, you know, underneath, I could see that. I'm glad you mentioned oceanic also uh, a race where uh, we're both again, looking to toss, a favorite that we think is beatable. And we see a few of these um, this weekend horses that are starting their year and keep in mind horses that are starting their year that are at short prices. Are they trying to be 100% cranked up and ready this weekend? Maybe some of them are because like you said, people like to win at Keeneland or they're showing up in big races, but they still may be at a B plus or a B level and this might be a fun time to try to beat some of these horses in their first start back because they may be prepping for a month from now for a big race on Derby and Oaks weekend. And that might be where some of these horses are better making their second start back. So uh, we do see Caravel as your heavy favorite on the morning line in the Shaker town. Chris, let's finish up the pick five with the bluegrass as we get to one of the three Kentucky Derby prep races this weekend. It is a grade one, and there are derby points on the line. The morning line favorite in here is Tappet Trice, was your Tampa Bay Derby winner. He has won three in a row, uh, won pretty nicely at Gulfstream back in February, and then the Tampa race was just kind of weird. He was way out of it, and he really kind of kicked into stride late. Not sure how strong the race was. The figure didn't come back all that strong for him. He and Verifying are sort of your top two choices and, and probably the two that'll maybe be like a tier above on the uh, uh in the wagering of, for most of them the, the six 
or the uh, the eight blazing sevens wasn't all that impressive last time. I'm kind of curious how he'll get bet in this race. But Chris, let's talk about the bluegrass. So of the like major players kind of starting, who do you think's the horse to beat in this race? Well, first of all, I think Tappet Trees is the most overrated three-year-old in the country. And I yeah. think he'll he'll be a big favorite in here just based on the the future wagering, he was much lower priced than verifying. So I'll be shocked if verifying is, you know, I think Tapatrice could be even money. Um, I might be exaggerating a bit, but I don't like him at all in here. Uh, he's the kind of horse you love to bet against. He always makes it tough on himself. He's by Tappet and they never get smart. They're always stupid and they don't, they certainly don't get better as three-year-olds mentally. And he draws an inside post. He's probably going to end up getting shuffled all the way to the back of the pack and have to run everybody down and short stretch. And there's not yeah. a lot of speed on paper early in this race, maybe two or three horse. There's not a ton of early speed here. No. And so I, you know, he's a big underlay, so I'm definitely against him verifying. I'm kind of ambivalent. I, he just hasn't really run well, uh, lately, but you know, he, he has some upside and he's got some speed. So, I, I no. just didn't love – I really didn't like his trip that, that much last time. I thought th – I just didn't think he was handled very aggressively. He just sort of waited, and then spots kept closing on him, and he kept getting shuffled back. I, I'm glad – I, I'm glad to see a jock change just because I think it'll it'll mean they're going to get a little bit more aggressive because I I don't think he wants to come from way, way out of it. I don't think he needs the lead. He could be fine sitting just behind, but I figure he's going to be more aggressive. It, it'll it'll probably be what him. We have Major Blue who was setting the pace going five and a half last time out. So he got the lead in a legit sprint race. He's pretty quick. Um, I'd imagine he probably gets the lead and then maybe, you know, verifying tries to carve it out right behind him. I could see even the outside horse, maybe trying to get more forwardly placed, but there's not, there's really not that much pace. No. And that's why verifying is a little dangerous. Lucas usually sends his horses. So I do think it'll be an honest pace, but you know, verifying can sit off of that horse and then get the jump on everybody. Yeah. He might be able to win the race. you know, it, it's, uh, but he's not going to be a great price, and you know. But I, I am a little bit concerned that you know he might get the right trip. But yeah, to me, I mean, of the short prices, I definitely for prefer him over Tappet Trice. Like I'm not using Tappet Trice. I'm pro the way that we're talking this pick five out. I'm going to be tossing enough of the favorites earlier on that verifying is is okay for me to have on my ticket here because I I do think like you said I, he could get a really nice trip in here. And he may not be a horse I bet in the Derby, but in this particular race, in a race where he does need the points also to get into the Derby. So they are going to try to win this race or, you know, Brad Cox has a ton of horses. He picks out spots all over. He could have gone a bunch of different ways with this horse and they show up here. Like I do think he's really well meant and of the short prices, I probably won't be chucking him, but you and I are looking for a much, much more fun horses to sink our teeth into and to bet from a, a wagering standpoint. So. Who are some of those horses that are on your radar? Well, the one I like the most is uh, one thing to keep in mind about Keeneland. There are certain trainers that really do well at Keeneland. And one of those is Ken McPeak. He, his horses always run well in this Keeneland spring meet. Um, and, you know, the horse I like is 
is Sun Thunder. Uh, um, we're on the same one, Chris. Yep. I, yep. I thought he had no chance the way that race unfolded. It was a glacial pace uh, last time. Um, you know, you know what's funny? Barn. I should have I should have guessed this because you're a pretty big fan of Disarm, right? Right. And Disarm got in, in some traffic trouble, and Sun Thunder was right behind Disarm. And it was sort of like the traffic that was impacting Disarm and the race shape also sort of hit Sun Thunder the same way, just like he was another tier right behind them. Yeah, I definitely. I totally agree. And his race before that was good enough to win this. So, you know, he, he is the kind of horse that's trip dependent. But like I said, uh, McPeak does really well. His horses really run at, at um, Keeneland. And this horse does need to do something in this race. You know, they're thinking Derby with him. He's coming back kind of quick, but... You know, that race was so slow, and he didn't really have a chance to do much running. I don't think it's it's a problem at all, yeah, the turnaround. Feel and like McPeak, it took a lot out of him. No, and McPeak does this all the time with success, I mean, even with his best horses. So he's not one He's one of the few trainers out there now that still, you know, don't mind running their horses every two or three weeks or once a month, even the best ones. So, yeah, I, had a, I, I think this is a time to, to catch Sun Thunder after that last one. You, you probably will get a price. And uh, if he gets the trip, he definitely could win, I think. Yeah, you just go through his four races in a row now since he's been stretched out and he's gone two turns and he's gone a, a mile and above. He wins impressively. Then he's in the Southwest behind Arabian Knight, who has been extremely impressive the only two times that we've seen him. And he just goes wire to wire that day. That was also on a sloppy racetrack. And he still finished in front of like nice horses like Jace's Road and Corona Bolt in there. Following that race... He's in the Risen Star. He runs a bang-up race, his career best, and you could see like his speed figures are on the upswing, and they're improving. So if we're playing him off that 89 buyer speed figure to take a nice another step forward, four or five points, or just some more progression, and that would put him right there, um, I like looking at horses like that. And Angel of Empire came back in his next start, wins the grade one Arkansas Derby. How about two fills? Who wins the the uh, the Jeff Ruby stakes over at Turfway and earns 101 buyer speed figure in doing right. so? You know, like big races and again, buyers aren't the end all be all. I just sort of like using them as a talking point to show how strong some of these races come up. But I I like horses like this where it all makes sense to you, like every race that he's run. Yeah, and that Risen Star, you could definitely say was the strongest three-year-old prep to date. I mean, Angel of Empire came back and won impressively in the Arkansas Derby. Two Phils came back and won the Jeff Ruby impressively with big figures for both of them. You know, and you could argue Sun Thunder was just as good or better than both of those mm -hmm. in that race. So, um, you know, there's no reason. I'm not saying it won't, it will win or it's going to get the trip it needs to win, but it could and the values there, it kind of the gets back to that to discussion. one above. Yeah, exactly. Like his chances in here to me at like anything above the six to one range would be really fair of his chances in here. And um, just not thinking there are any monsters in this race, honestly, right. the two horses that we, you know, are going to be the short prices. Like we're both a little warmer on verifying than Tapit Trice because of the trip. But I don't think they're, they're horses that scare you off. One that I, I kind of like a little bit too, um, I'm going to throw in in a pick five or two, is Scooby Quando. This horse has been only on synthetic in three races, and the synthetic speed figures always come back a little lighter than dirt speed figures. They just always do. But Turfway has really improved 
their their product the last couple of years, they had a huge handle year again this year. And if you watch that Battaglia back, he was really, really good that day. He was, you know, sitting about five lengths off. He was in the sixth or seventh spot. Then he got shuffled back on the inside. He kind of moved back into contention, but he had traffic. He had to wait. He had no room. He took back. He angled all the way around, and he got up late for second. It's just one of those trips that I like seeing a horse overcome a whole lot. And if those speed figures are a tad low and he can transfer this over to the dirt, I'm going to throw him him in on uh, on a ticket for sure. Chris, um, anyone else in here that you want to mention or that you, uh, that you might be using? What do we, what do we think about raising, uh, I guess the horses towards the outside blazing sevens, who was good as a two-year-old, but I just didn't really find much of an excuse. I mean, he got bumped around a little bit, but he, he was just not in that race at all. And they just basically eased him. Now they put the blinkers back on. Well, he's dangerous if he runs back to his two-year-old, two-year-old form. So uh, it's all about price. I have a feeling with Irad riding and, you know, Chad Brown training, you're not going to get anything. You're probably a bit down, maybe yeah. below the six to one. So I don't know if there's a lot of value there, but I wouldn't be shocked if the horse won just because he was the best two-year-old in this field right now. Yep. He had he one bad race. Yeah. Yep. And He's I had... think I said blinkers back on his first time blinkers for him. So maybe that could be something that perk him up a little bit and get him more focused and more involved in the race early. Yeah. The other horse I kind of like is the, uh, as another McPeak horse, a uh, Hayes strike who, uh, his, he hadn't really done much running before his last race, but his last race, he, you know, really took it to the next level at Laurel. And like I said, McPeak horses tend to run at Keeneland. So, you know, if he could run back to that last race, he's the kind that can maybe hit the board and he could be a really big price. So, in, you know, that's when you're, when you're looking at progression too, cause I know a lot of people like to play patterns off of their, uh, you know, sheet numbers or rag numbers or speed figures. And if you look at Hayes strike moving from the street sense on a sloppy track where he's behind two fills, who's come back and run well. And then in his next start at, in the jockey club, he takes a nice step forward and improves there. And that race is good. Instant coffee was, uh, was in there and has come back and run a couple good races following that. Then on December 26th, he's in the gun runner and he's just chasing lone speed that day. Uh, Jace's road just gets out front. And if you look at the chart too, just cruises like nobody's making up any ground in that race. And the race came back pretty live determinedly. And the winner is both came out of that race to win their next start. So you look and see the horse got beat by eight and a half lengths, but you sort of look at the way the race shaped up and nobody was passing that day. And it's actually come back pretty live, probably a little better than the speed figure would suggest easy toss on the January 21st race. They took a shot on the synthetic, just didn't fire, put a line right through. And then he comes back last time out with, like you said, an, a nice win. We don't know who we beat, but I, I have no problem with him in underneath spots. And if this is a spread race for you, if you're approaching this race, like you don't like the one and the three and you want to use prices, I wouldn't talk you off throwing him in Chris, if you're, you know, talking 15, 20 to one. Yeah. I, I, you know, even those races last year, third by one behind instant coffee. And like you said, second behind two fills as a two-year-old, he wasn't a bad horse. And that last race showed that, and he can still run and he's on the, uh, you know, he's on, he's on the improve. So why not? You know, the only thing I would mention just again is 
I think it's really the favorite. I think Tappet Trees is going to be yeah. much the favorite. Verifying's going to be a distant second choice, I think. So it makes him so much more playable. Yeah, in, in make, that sense. yeah. Because yeah. if you can beat Tappet Trees, um, if they bet that horse down to like even money, and then odds on everybody are going to go up, and you might have a you know some really good prices on horses like some of the ones that we mentioned, Sun Thunder and Hay Strike and. Scooby Quando is going to be a big price no matter what, but I like the way you're thinking. He's he's a wild card, right? You don't know what kind of horse he is on the dirt, and he did have an excuse in his last, and he has a good workout at Keeneland since, so you never know. You never know. We're always looking for some prices, and I love listening to Chris uh, on the podcast, on the Sport of Kings podcast, on the Bet with the Best podcast. Chris is uh, an NHC Hall of Famer. Chris is someone that I met Gosh, already like 10, uh, coming up on like eight, 10 years ago, uh, talking on the elite racing network about some races. And we've had a lot of fun conversations since, and you've helped steer me to many horses, many angles. I feel like I always learn a little something from you. Every time we talk, Chris, I know you are someone who is an advocate for the players out there. We've talked about value a lot throughout this podcast. You're always someone who is trying to find um, the takeout rates for tracks and let everybody know which are the best wagers to play. Hey, don't get in those high takeout pick fives or play this lower takeout pick four instead. So um, thanks again for all, uh, all that you do, man. I always, I love following you along on Twitter because you always direct me to uh, one or two things I didn't know before. And uh, I love, love chatting the races with you. So plug your, uh, plug your podcast one more time for everyone out there. All right. First of all, back at you, Gino. I always love talking um, races with you, and thanks for inviting me on. But um, yeah, we I've got two podcasts going now. I'm not quite anywhere near the Gino League of you know constant um, podcasts, but I you're we doing have well. You're doing well. <laughs> I'm proud. <laughs> um, I have the uh, Scott Carson. We do the Sport of Kings podcast, and that's one where we we take a pick five. And we're actually going to end up covering these same races. So this, I'm all ready for that now. I don't have to do any more preparation. Um, uh, but we usually have a guest uh, each week. And this week, uh, we'll actually have the uh, the NHC champ um, from nice. this year joining us. So that'll be fun. And we, we every week, we drop that pot on Friday. And it's a different pick five, usually at you know one of the premier tracks in their premier card. And then I just started, like we mentioned before, the Bet with the Best podcast. That one probably will come out every week, although it's evergreen, so it's not really dependent on races. Um, and that one will drop uh, sometime tomorrow, too, my third one with Matt Miller. And there are other two with Marshall Graham and Tommy Massis. You can listen to those. Like I said, they're evergreen. It's all about becoming a better better at betting. Um and then I'm at on Twitter, Derby1592, Derby1592. You can follow me there. And I'm always tweeting out links to the pods and all kinds of other stuff, especially with Kentucky Derby coming around. I do a couple things like I have a little Derby uh, computer model that I put out there and you know talk Derby as we come up uh, to the um, the big race, which is not that far off. And one thing, Chris, I can I can guarantee we we can't guarantee a whole lot in the world of gambling. We have good days, we have bad days. But the one thing I can guarantee is that whenever I listen to you, you always have come prepped. You've always done your homework. You're ready to rock and roll. You have great reasoning, great analysis, and that's what I like as a handicapper. You're never going to hear a show where Chris 
uh, comes on his show or mine or any other place you'd hear him and just say, I love the favorite in all the races all the way through. That'll never happen. And you'll always be, uh, be probably led to a horse or two that weren't on your radar at all. So again, Chris, thanks for uh, all the hard work. And uh, I look forward to flipping those podcasts on. Uh, they're part of my weekly rotations too. I always flip that on and, and get a horse or two to throw into my pick five many times from you and Scott and, and your great guests. So I'll, uh, I'll be um, sending you another message in about three or four weeks right before uh, Derby. And I'll, I'll try to get you back on if you're available to talk about the big one and, uh, and maybe a prep race on the undercard. Looking forward to it. Thanks again, Gino. Thanks so much. That's Chris Larmy there. And uh, thanks to all of uh, you for hanging out with us on our Keeneland All Stakes Pick 5 conversation. We have uh, more if you need help with the Woodbine races. David Aragona helped me out with the stakes races over there. And I'll also be posting a uh, a little look at the Saturday card at Santa Anita. So whatever you need help with, we've got it taken care of on the DRF past performances. Thank you to Chris for helping us out with the Keeneland big day. So I decided to take care of Santa Anita myself and I'm going to run through the Santa Anita card for Saturday and give you some of my best bets from races 5 through 12. We'll talk all about the pick 6 sequence and all the graded stakes races on the card. Remember it's Santa Anita on Saturday. It's a mandatory payout in the pick 6 and they also have the Pick'em contest back. Pick'em.sananita.com totally free to play. $500 to the winner every Saturday and Sunday. Pick'em.sananita.com Let's talk about the Santa Anita Saturday card on Santa Anita Derby Day. Anita Derby Day on Saturday. It's a big one. So we have the Santa Anita Derby that will go as race number six. We have the Whittingham that's going to go as race number five. Couple graded stakes races there. We'll also have some stakes action in the seventh race, which is the Echo Eddie for Calbreds. That kicks off a mandatory pick six payout at Santa Anita on Sunday or on Saturday, excuse me, probably about $3 million or so in that mandatory pick six pool. And then following that, you have a couple competitive allowance races. Race number 10 will be the grade three Monrovia down the hill on the turf course. Race number 11, it's the Santa Anita Oaks. And then we end with a very competitive 12th race going a mile on the turf. So kick back and enjoy as we dive into the daily racing form past performances for Santa Anita for Saturday. So I'm going to take a look at races five through 12. We'll hit both of those graded stakes races before the pick six, and then we'll go through the mandatory pick six sequence here. And remember daily, daily racing form drf.com. That's the place to go when you're looking for a little help, when you're looking for additional research, when you want to handicap the races and use these Great daily racing form, past performances. I'm always using the formulator, past performances. And as we take a look at race number five, I thought the one Opry was a bit interesting in here. I'm hoping they get more aggressive in this race because it looks like it's Opry and then Master of Foxhounds, who I think will be the major speeds in here. I, I wonder if with the rail draw, Opry can even beat out Master of Foxhounds uh, this horse got bumped around at the start a little bit last time out and then had to settle a little farther back than they would have liked was in the third flight about three lengths off and was inside and then tipped out to the three path. 
I hope they get more aggressive. Detori has been very aggressive in his time at Santa Anita so far. I like the one Opry aggressive from the inside. Anything over seven to two feels very fair. We move to the Santa Anita Derby, and I'm expecting some major improvement from the number three Go Rocket Ride. This is a good prep race for the Kentucky Derby. I think Go Rocket Ride is a very legitimate horse. Practical move is honest. He's done so little wrong, and his back-to-back victories have been excellent. Multiple graded stakes winner. National Treasure is going to be making his return. He missed about a month. He is really honest. He's multiple grade one placed. Skinner is a late runner who you know will come closing. He just needs the right type of race shape. Mandarin Hero is a total wild card. This is a good, good race. The one I don't get it doesn't feel like he's all that far behind this group. His last out race, he settled about two or three lengths off. He was in the fourth, about the four path. He challenged at the top of the lane, and then he drew off late. He had some trouble in both of his first two. He's on the upswing. But I do land on the three, go rocket ride. We can watch his race in the San Felipe last time out. So the top three finishers from that race, practical move, go rocket ride and Skinner. They're all back here and they are the number three practical move in this race. The number eight, go rocket ride, the number 10 Skinner. So a good start from go rocket ride. He's right on the lead, but they decide to sit second with him and get a really nice trip. Sits just off Hajazi. We'll see Hajazi running this weekend at Keeneland in a stakes race, cutting back. And Go Rocket Ride ends up sitting in the two-path about a length off. And this is a good trip for him. But keep in mind, this is only his second start. And he's stretching out from six furlongs to a mile and a 16th. It's a lot to ask in career start number two against a bunch of other seasoned horses who have a lot more foundation going a little longer. The three is practical move, just sitting a beautiful trip down on the rail and just waiting for some opening, just waiting for some room. And then Skinner's at the back of the pack. That's the number 10. He's just loping along back there, waiting and waiting to to press the button. So we'll see that it looks like Go Rocket Ride, when he tries to loom up, he's kind of all in. And it, it seems like he might tire and back up at about this point. Like he just doesn't seem to be traveling quite as well when they hit the top of the lane as a few others in here. Uh, even looks like Fort Bragg to the outside is going to go by this horse. Looks like Hajazi has more left. And the three, practical move, just waiting for a room, gets that opening down on the inside and moves through pretty nicely. But what I like in here, watch the blue cap of Go Rocket Ride. He shifts down to the rail, and he really keeps coming here. Like Hajazi sort of stops, and as Skinner's making his big move, he flattens out a little. It's the eight, Go Rocket Ride, who comes back on and runs second. And this is just in his second start. Like, he's really figuring things out. Um, I think it's a good a good spot for him. He needs the points to get into the derby. A horse-like practical move, who's awesome. He doesn't need the points right now. Remember, he's in the derby. If he runs a really good second or third, that's fine for him. He's not necessarily going to be all out to try to win this race. Then, uh... National treasure. I I hope he runs well enough here to get into the Derby because I would play him in the Derby. I think he just needs a race, but he's really honest and he's a a little under the radar. I feel like he should be able to run all day in this particular race. I like go rocket ride in here. And if you're looking for a a value horse, maybe to throw in underneath uh, the one, I think will run well and maybe not get, uh, uh, not get disgraced by this group. Race number seven kicks off the pick six, the rainbow pick six. It's a mandatory payout. Six horse Austonian is scratched. The number two kangaroo court 
is really, really nice. And I believe if he runs well or wins this race, we will see him in a stakes race on against open company, maybe something like the Pat Day mile on the, the Derby undercard weekend. So kangaroo court is the four in the race. We're watching buzz. Buzz is the three They're rivals again in this race. And for kangaroo court, he had not raced since August of last year. So this is a long layoff. This race we're watching is on March the 4th. And Bus Buzz gets the lead, gets about a two-length advantage on Kangaroo Court, who then has to exert some energy just to get back into contention. And Kangaroo Court's able to engage nicely. I just feel like with these two horses, Kangaroo Court has a little more bottom and a little bit more upside. Second start back off the long layoff. Now, in the Saturday race, in race seven on Saturday, the post positions will be flipped a little bit. Buzz Buzz will be outside of Kangaroo Court. Will that matter? Does Kangaroo Court try to let Buzz Buzz go and then angle to the outside and sit off? Here's a look at Kangaroo Court asking for some run. And it's not as if Buzz Buzz just backs up and stops, but I feel like there will be even more out of this from Kangaroo Court if you're looking at the two of them as short prices. Now, so I prefer the Kangaroo Court... The horse who I'm, I'm intrigued by is the four Clovis connection. He has enough speed to stay in contention. He's been a mile and now he'll go second start off the bench. He'll make a second start at three. So he's a, a player in here for me as well. Moving to the eighth race at Santa Anita on the DRF past performances, these formulator PPs, the top tier of horses for me in this one are going to be the three and the eight, the three silver surfer missed a lot of racing time. He showed up here as a two-year-old in the U.S. in September of 2021. He ran a really nice third in a stakes race behind McKinnon. Then he came back and ran second behind McKinnon again in a stakes race. Following that, he's had 16 months off. He shows back up facing older horses. So we haven't seen him since he was two, and now he's four. And it was a really good effort. His speed figures improved. He's had plenty of time to recover from that race because it was on February the 11th. And I thought that was cool too. Like if you look at what he's done, he's run on all sorts of different styles of turf courses. He's run on heavy, yielding, soft, good, and firm turf courses. He's had seven turf races and five of them have been on like different styles of turf courses, which just shows that he's got some ability and he's really not fired bad efforts in, in many of his, his races. I think he's going to run a big one in here. The number three, Silver Surfer. The number eight, also on the radar for me, Colding Road. So if you just isolate his turf form, January 7th, he wins on the turf in a Calbred stakes race. The other races around are not bad, but they're dirt races. Behind the Chosen Vron twice, second in, uh, in the stakes race up at Fresno. Prior to that, when he's on the grass, look who he's facing. Prince Obama. Prince Obama is a multiple graded stakes winner. Like He just won the San Marcos. He's also won the Hollywood Turf Cup. This is a legitimate horse. Um, you dive back. Into the uh, into the past performances for Koalinga Road, you see Air Force Red and Motorious. Well, they're both graded stakes winners. Air Force Red is a graded stakes winner. He won the Hernandez a few starts back, and he's been honest. He was against Grade One Company last time out. Uh, Motorious came back recently and won the Grade Three San Simeon with a massive speed figure. Look at how good some of those races are, and they don't. They're not graded stakes races, but he's facing graded stakes winners in there. There's really nice form for Koalinga Road. Now, so 8-3, my top tier 
following them, the horses who I'm a bit interested in would be this sort of group in the, of the five, six, and seven. Reckless Spirit's going to take some money. The Tories aboard. Um, Reckless Spirit, second off the short break, second time to mono. The six, seven wonders showed a lot more speed last time out. He had some trouble trips leading into that. Uh, second off the short little break, I'd love to see him sit a little more, but just closer, some positional speed. Lost in space is maybe a fun long shot. He was off for quite a while, and this is sort of the second start off the 21-month break. Um, he was off for a while, and then he's had two months off, but he came back and started working pretty quickly, like two weeks after. It wasn't like he's been off and then off again. I think they were just picking out a spot for him. He had to take up and move outside. He was showing some pretty good late energy in his last start, lost in space. Yeah, there's a, a lot of ways to go. In this one, it's a pretty fun race there. I mean, towards the outside, both the 10 and the 11, I wouldn't talk you off of if you wanted to include them in big prices. General Mathis, he got bumped around at the start. He was back to eighth. He was about eight lengths off. He made an early move outside. He was in the three or four path. Then he was five deep at the top of the lane. Agatino had trouble in four straight races. I loved him on March 9th. I played him. He was getting a great trip and he just didn't fire at all. It was so bad though. You almost want to give him a shot back and Pratt takes the call and he's going to offer you some value in here. Really contentious race in race number eight. Let's move to the ninth race. We'll go to a starter allowance, 25,000, six and a half on the dirt. A couple of horses uh, for me. The number four Teton Valley is going to be the best bet of the day for me. And, and maybe a horse I even single. Um, I, I think Teton Valley is a horse who's better on the dirt, but he came off a long layoff last time out, a 13 month layoff. And he raced on the turf and he had legitimate trouble in that race on the turf. And even after getting stopped, he kept coming. Now let's go back to some of his dirt form before the layoff. February the 6th, he's behind Principe Carlo. It's just a 25 starter allowance though, right? So it's not that tough of a group. This horse goes after that race and finishes back-to-back -back seconds in grade twos. How about some of the other horses that Teton Valley has been facing? We see... Essential Wager and American Theorem. Essential Wager is three for four and a grade three winner. His only defeat came when he finished second in his career debut. And he's earned big speed figures in his last few. American Theorem, this is a grade one winner, multiple graded stakes winner. He became like the top sprinter in Southern California last year in the summer. So I, I really think it's a great spot for... Teton Valley, second start off the long layoff. He's a major pace factor, but he can sit too. We've seen him sit off the pace and pass horses. And we know he can get the distance. He has a win at six and a half furlongs. He has a bang up race where he was only beaten in nose at six and a half furlongs. I think it's a really good spot for him. I will uh, I will play him and I will single him on one ticket. I'll play him to win if we're five to one over. Other horses that I will use on a different ticket along with him, the number seven, that is Lovesick Blues. His grass races recently are not bad at all. There's a little bit of sneaky trouble in there. Um, his most recent race, he ran into a horse named Lamplighter Jack, who was in good form at Gulfstream Park and came over here, just loves to win races. Before that one, you'll even see a other tough company that Lovesick Blues has kept on the dirt. So if you go back to the dirt race, the last time he was on the dirt, he's behind Straight No Chaser and Traeger. Straight No Chaser just won a race at... Uh, Oakland with a 101 buyer speed figure and Traeger has won back-to-back -back really nice allowance races. He's a little, like a legitimate stakes horse. 
So the seven I would use if you're spreading around. Uh, the three Manitowish, he's just really honest. Like he always fires a good one. He fits really well with this group. The nine would be the other, Clem Labine. I mean, no real knocks, and he's dropping out of you know a graded stakes race last time out. So the the second level allowance races he was in before, there's the horse Traeger that we were talking about where uh, Clem Labine was in that race. So that would be how I uh, see race number nine. One of the best bets on the day for me, the number four, and then others, seven, three, and nine, if you're looking to include. Let's move to the 10th race. This is the grade three Monrovia, six and a half furlongs on the downhill turf course. And I like the three, Canoodling. Really fun betting race. Canoodling has not raced since May, but has been going a little longer and showing route speed. I think it's a perfect spot in which uh, for this mare to, to come back off the bench. Running down the hill makes it a little bit easier when you return. And I think canoodling can sit a really good trip in here. She was in a grade one last time. I was only beating a couple lengths in the grade one game league. She's a grade three winner, two starts back. Uh, multiple graded stakes winner in her last four races. This is a really honest horse who's been very good on the turf and should get a great trip in here. Canoodling should be the final race for legs uh, galore who we'll see in just a moment, but I thought the four of Tom's beauty stepping up. This horse is pretty good. The two start back race on February 4th shot through from the inside and, and flashed some speed last time out was like really, really honest. Just kind of sitting behind horses and has some speed. No knocks. The six Christian Bosch is a bit intriguing to me too. Facing graded stakes company on the dirt recently, but Look at the last couple turf races behind Quatrell and what's Quatrell been doing lately. Oh, Quatrell has won back-to-back graded stakes races right now. And prior to that, you see Ray Moon. And what has Ray Moon been doing? Oh yeah. Ray Moon is a multiple graded stakes winner recently also. Has won 3 in a row and just won the Grade 1 American Oaks. So again, you're you're looking at a horse who's been facing graded stakes company in like legitimate horses who have been in good form. And a lot of them aren't even integrated stakes races, like the Quattrell race and the Rhea Moon race. That's in allowance races. These races are way stronger than they just look on paper. But of course, I mean, even from like a starting point, you have to start with like Amy C and legs galore because Amy C is perfect down the hill. And Amy C has won three of her last four. And all those, th- those three wins were down the hill. So like, what a, Really, really difficult race and challenging race. I'm, I'm a little cold on legs galore. This is her final start. She's been good down the hill, but I, I think she's maybe lost a little bit of a step. It's race number 10 on the 12 race card at Santa Anita. The 11th race is the grade two Santa Anita Oaks. And I very much like to play against Faiza, who I've played against all four times She's beat me all four times and she just sort of wins in a workmanlike way. So we always try to beat her again, but she, she able, uh, she held off and tell me no lies. And that was the first start for and tell me no lies since November. And that was her first start at three. I think she can take a step forward. That was also the career best speed figure for and tell me no lies. Is there another small step forward? Can she turn the tables on FISA? I think so. Or so I like the most though. And here is the number six window shopping. Now, this one has a nice pedigree. Her dam was a graded stakes winner and won three of the six starts. 
She is beautifully bred being a daughter of American Pharaoh. They paid a ton for her. So they obviously think very highly of her and her debut race was on the turf. It was going a mile. She had a brutal trip. She got bumped on both sides. She got crossed over on. She was last of 10. Then she moved inside and she ran into traffic. And the horse who won that race won impressively. She should have been second. The difference between sixth and, and second was not much. Honestly, without a little bit of like hesitation there, she could have been right there. Then she comes back on March the 17th. She crushes in a race off the turf. But just watching her, she has foundation with two races at a mile. I really think she's got some ability. Window shopping. The seven princess Bettina, she's only been on the dirt twice. They were both her first two starts of her career. Since then, she's stretched out, and she's just been way better. Was it the turf, or was it the, the stretch out in distance? I'd be willing to give her one more shot on the dirt and see if maybe it was, you know, that she improved going a little longer. Spoke about and tell me no lies. I mean, the three was extremely impressive winning her debut. Clearly unhinged. She pushed through the rail. Seen her come back on March 12th and work. It was really nice. Good gallop out. I'm going to play against the five, Fiza. I'm going to use the six and like the next tier of horses. I'll go six, eight, three, seven in chuck out Fiza. The one Vingaza is, is nice. She's got ability. Just a lot to ask. Stretching out from six all the way. But she should be on the front end. Her dam was a, a Philly I liked. Um, Avenge, who was third in the Breeders' Cup Philly in Mirror Turf. She ran some good races out here, uh, winning the maybe in the Rodeo Drive back-to-back and was nice. She was she was bettable. You could play her. She won three in a row at 9-1, to one, like 8-1, to one, and 5-1. to one. So There's a look at Avenge, the dam of Vengaza. That's the Santa Anita Oaks, race number 11 on Saturday. For me, 6, 8, 7, 3, and I'm going to check out the 5. Let's close things out. Race number 12. And in this one, some first-level allowance race going a mile on the turf for Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and up. The number one Corporal Violet comes in for Patty Gallagher, raced in Ireland, and now will be in the Patty Gallagher barn for the first time. Tori jumps aboard. I thought her race on September 19th was pretty good. She was inside. She was fifth, about two or three lengths off. She was looking for some room. She had to wait, but she shifted out to the three-path in between horses. She just missed second that day. She's on the ticket for me. The four ultimate high, second start off a, a year-long layoff, stretches out. He had to take up, she had to take up early inside. She actually closed pretty well um, after an inside trip. She shifted out and was closing well. I wouldn't really talk you off her. The, I mean, the five is a horse who I wasn't quite as high on. The eight is definitely in the mix for me. One, 12, and eight are my top tier. Scarabia is... Never won on the turf, 0 for 14. But the and 0 for the last 10, just overall, her win came on the synthetic. But since then, she's been in six graded stakes races, two other stakes races, and then two allowance races. And the only time she was in a race at this level on the turf, she was a good third. This is where she fits. She's going to be in the mix for me as well. And then the 10, Shocking Gray was really good last time out she had a slow start she was last of eight she was about six lengths off she tried to move into traffic she had to wait she had to duck to the rail then angled out around and split horses it was really impressive that was shocking gray the number 10 so for me i have one uh eight 
10 and one as my top three that I'll be using all over the place. The 11 and 12 are both interesting. Uh, Ancient Peace will, will likely be on all my tickets as well. This might be just a really, really nice filly. And she comes into the John Sadler barn for the first time. Chloe's crown, uh, no real knocks on her effort last time out, but she, you know, both of these are going to have tough posts to deal with, but both of them fit in a very contentious group. I'll be chucking out the three, spreading out a little bit with one, eight, and 10 as my top tier. 11 and 12 would be the, the next grouping of horses to use. Good luck on a big Saturday. It's the Santa Anita Derby Day. Don't forget, you can also play in the Santa Anita Pick'em contest. The website pick'em.santanita.com. It's a free game that combines horse races, gambling props from baseball, from football, from basketball, from all sports. So for this weekend, there will be NBA, MLB, and Santa Anita Saturday questions for the prop contest. It's totally free to enter, and you get 500 bucks if you're the winner of that thing. That's every Saturday and every Sunday. Good luck this weekend at Santa Anita. Tons of racing coming up this weekend. Hopefully we can steer you in the right direction a few different times. Thank you to Chris for helping us out. Thank you to David for helping us out. And uh, yeah, fun time to kick back now and see where uh, where it's all going to play out this weekend. Before we dive into the WrestleMania review and Monday Night Raw review, we'll talk a little bit about Sarah Candles, C-E-R-A candles.com. If you're someone who burns candles, if, you're, if you know someone who burns candles, let them know about these candles. They are different. They are unique. They are soy wax candles. No toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants in these candles. They're going to make it smell great around your house, and it's going to be healthier for you. They're going to be longer burning because of that soy wax. And Sarah Candles will give you a little bit of a uh, discount when you use the promo code G-I-N-O. 10% off your purchase. C-E-R-A Candles.com. Time for this week in wrestling. And this one is another WWE-focused edition where we talk all about WrestleMania Night 1, WrestleMania Night 2, and Monday Night Raw. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, and Chad Cooper join me for this week in wrestling, WWE edition. Coming off of WrestleMania night one, night two, and Monday night raw, we had to return with the WrestleMania roundtable to talk about everything that happened and uh, share some of our thoughts. We've got Andrew Champagne back. We've got Darren Zocali back. We've got Koopaloo, Chad Cooper back. And I have to give credit where credit is due. We all make different predictions when it comes to wrestling. We previewed the show. We went through all the matches. Some of us thought certain wrestlers would win. Others thought different ones would. But I'd say over the last two years, there were two matches that were almost 100% dead set results that if you would have listened to any podcast anywhere, if you would have talked to anyone, they would have told you absolutely this result is happening at WrestleMania. Last year, Ronda Rousey was going to beat Charlotte and you heard Andrew Champagne feel strongly that that may not, that might not happen. And then this year got to give it up to DZ because not only has Darren been a fan of Roman Reigns for a long time, this was more than that. He actually was reading into things that had happened, things that he felt. So DZ just going to start off with you and give you a little bit of credit. Like you called the main event, like not a lot of people did. And, uh, power to you the roman reigns era continues on yeah i appreciate i appreciate it uh 
Yeah, you know, look, it, it just came down to a, a variety of factors. You know, maybe the injury kind of changed the trajectory of what this WrestleMania was going to be. And by that, I mean the torn pec that Cody suffered uh, shortly after WrestleMania last year. But, you know, him coming back at the Rumble, winning it at 30, only having like one or two televised matches in the two and a half months since then, it all felt kind of rushed to end what what was and what is the you know biggest story that WWE has told now for well into you know two years basically of this kind of bloodline part of this story and you know it, it, the fact that the Usos were wrestling on Saturday was was actually a really strong part of it because the Usos couldn't win if the Usos won you know Roman can't lose. You know, the, 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 mm -hmm. it makes no sense whatsoever to take the belts from Roman, but leave them on the Usos. And you couldn't, that was a story that had to be finished. Yes. That story could not have been told in any other way. Right. Roman losing the title to Cody wasn't really the story. We just felt like Cody was the right guy. They booked him really well. They've treated him like a big star. Yep. It wasn't really a story necessarily for Cody to beat Roman. They did a good right. job in the build up to WrestleMania with it, but right. you're right. That the that was Sammy, the Sammy Zayn part of it and the Kevin Owens part of it was still the you know the the the, the major piece of the of the story. And yep. it, it was kind of weird. Because you had these kind of two parallel stories running at the same time involving the person in the main event, which was kind of one of the things that was gnawing at me a little bit that didn't make much sense. And when you start to add it up and you say, well, the Usos can't win. We know that because it just it, it makes the, the main event on Sunday a foregone conclusion. Well, then if the Usos, are, you know, are losing and Roman loses, that means the story completely ends like turning off a switch. And you have to literally take everything that you've done on television for almost two years now and have something ready to go and brand new starting on Monday. Now, that's why I, from if you were and, and Sammy may not have been the guy that they wanted to win the main event of WrestleMania, yeah. him beating Roman for the title would have made a, a lot more story sense. It would have at any point. Yeah, right? it would have 100 percent. And yeah. It, like it's just they had that built in already if he's mm -hmm. the guy to dethrone roman whether or not you thought he could carry the company for another six months or a year or whatever it is whether right. or not he deserved to be he was a big enough star to be the one to end that streak for roman and just in sense. the story yeah. Yeah. he made way more sense as the one to do that well and, cody just happened to be the guy that won the royal rumble yeah and and I understand that he told the story. My dad never won. And, and, and this is why I came here and blah, blah, blah. But that all felt a little bit rushed to me coming back at the Rumble. The last thing I'll say is this. I wasn't upset at the result. As you know, I've been a big Roman guy for a long time. And I wanted the Bloodline story to continue. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want them all to go away just because I've enjoyed it. So I thought that coming into the Raw after Mania something from that storyline would continue. Now, me thinking that Roman winning was a good thing was contingent on that. On that. On the Triple so H storytelling of this, right? right? To like, say we're... that I am now on a Tuesday disappointed in what has transpired in the last 24 hours of W or 36 hours of WWE 
would be a, a serious understatement. Andrew, when we've looked back at WrestleManias and done the old wrestling rewatches on a bunch of them, the, the, the good manias are always the ones that have a few incredible matches and, and really well-built ones. When you look through the matches on these two nights, there are 18 overall. I think two or three of them are just the makeshift matches that The Miz was involved with. So there was really like 13 matches on the card. If you can honestly have to decide between four or five matches, which might have been the match of the weekend, in a good way, you may talk to five different people who might slightly like one match more. But I mean, if you're telling me that you liked Ray Dominic, Rhea Charlotte, Sammy KO versus the Usos, Gunther, Sheamus, Drew, uh, Roman, Cody, any one of those matches could have fallen for your favorite match of the weekend. And then there's another tier of three or four matches right below them that were memorable, that had great spots. The tag team men's match over-delivered. Seth and, and Logan had another... A really good match, a great showing for him. Overall, the in-ring quality, Andrew, was very good this weekend. Just a little sour now how we feel after watching Raw. First of all, I would like to point out that this first seven minutes of this recording mirrors the way I get treated on horse racing Twitter a bunch. And here's why. (laughs) You briefly mentioned that I called Ronda losing to Charlotte at Mania when everyone was going the other way. I appreciate that. I do. But... In the weeks after that mania, it was more a begrudging, yeah, Andrew got it right. Darren gets the main event right, and bless his heart, I'm happy for him. Let's throw him a parade! I was going to say the streamers are coming down still right now, Lex Luger, SummerSlam 93 style. I feel like Owen Hart at the end of WrestleMania, (laughs) where he walks out as everyone's celebrating, going, wait a minute, I beat that guy. You know what I think I'm going to do to celebrate? I'm going to Disney World. There you go. <laughs> That's the yeah. spirit. Well, I'm, I'm um, actually getting on a plane tomorrow. I'm going to Disney there World. There you so go. <laughs> More power to you, man. Happy for you. And seriously, that was a great call on your part. In case anybody can't tell, based on the last couple of years of us doing this, that was entirely tongue-in-cheek. We love doing this. We love being able to talk shop about this for any number of reasons. Answering your question, Gino, there were a lot of very good matches on these two days of wrestling from a bell to bell standpoint, it might be the best WrestleMania we have ever seen. And a large part of that to me hinges on a match that threatens steamboat savage at WrestleMania three and the first HBK undertaker match as the best WrestleMania match I have ever seen. And I am referring to Gunther Sheamus and Drew McIntyre beating the ever-loving hell out of each other for 16 minutes, 18 minutes, whatever it was, that was so much fun, and it completely got me in within five minutes going, oh my God, this is going to be entirely different from any WrestleMania match we have ever seen because over the years, WWE, for better or for worse, has the reputation of being entertainment first, not necessarily the most stiff. There's a WWE style. You work 250, 275 days a year. There are certain things you just can't do. And then you have Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew McIntyre, who um, did not pull their punches for 16 or 18 minutes. It sounded different. It felt different. 
it was different. And it's just a real shame now as we record this on Tuesday night that over the past 36, 40 hours or so, whatever it is, a lot of WWE's momentum seems gone. The last six months, it's been post-SummerSlam when we could feel that Triple H was taking over. Yes. And that there's been really good faith, like, from the fans, good energy. A lot of people saying, let it play out, let it play out with things, and people trusting the direction of a lot of the storytelling. Ratings have been good. They've been telling one of the better stories ever with Roman and the Bloodline. Now, I want to wait, like, one or two more weeks before I am am like really, really going to start getting nervous again because maybe we had a situation where Vince goes around. They just had the sale. They sort of let Vince tell a little bit more of the stories here, but Triple H will really have his finger on the pulse because Coop, this was not a good Monday Night Raw and we, we were coming off of such a really good WrestleMania that something only WWE can do when they are... um so good in the ring, so good out of the ring. The entrances that we had, and we're going to go through the matches individually and sort of talk about how those played out on Monday. What what were a couple for you, Chad, that sort of stole the weekend for you? What was some of your your biggest moments, memories uh, for the, the last couple of days? Well, first, hopefully you can hear this. Let me pay tribute to DC, uh, DZ with his call. So hopefully you, you, can, you can hear that. <laughs> There we go. There we go. Okay. Beautiful. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, you you smelled that from day one, and you know, from the opening odds, and then you let us know as the odds were trickling down uh, throughout the week. And uh, where was my fanfare last (laughs) year? Come on, this is exactly what I mean. It is. Conspiracy. It's we're a all conspiracy. Andrew, you're not in the group chat with me, Coop, and DZ where we're texting each other and we're saying, Oh, all this I'm stuff not in the group chat. We got a three person group this chat just to really screw with you. This is approaching late 90s Chris Jericho standing outside <laughs> the Washington Monument talking to all the nut jobs about his case against Dean Malenko <laughs> and the championship committee. And boy, that's a reference he probably thought you weren't getting on the show. I couldn't, I couldn't queue up Doink the Clown's entrance music fast enough last year, AC. Okay, <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, uh, two very, very good calls, and I'm glad I could be a part of uh, uh, the two preview shows that uh, that did have a hell of a call. Because yeah, I, I even though I didn't think it would have been the right call because you know I thought Sami Zayn was uh, the guy to do it. Uh, DZ nailed it. I, man, you know, it was, uh, you know, Seth Rollins, Logan Paul, um, I, I thought was just phenomenal. Uh, you could pick a number of these, uh, Gunther, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, probably to me. Um, I even watched the NXT stand and deliver. And I thought that ladder match for the oh, NXT North American really championship good. was probably the match of the weekend up it until, was good. until the triple threat for the intercontinental championship. But I'm with you at, I'm going to wait. The buzz is gone, you know, and I think NXT is probably going to feel the wrath of this first because Raw had a massive rating, what, 2.2 million, uh, a little up from last year's post-Raw, post-Mania Raw. Um, I think NXT probably takes a big dip because you do have some angry fans out there. And we'll see on Friday night. Friday night's going to be big here. 
Um, I, I mean, because if Roman, I, like, if Roman shows up and they have some sort of a direction, even if they're continuing to tell the stuff with the Usos, that's fine. If the reason why Roman won is because he will be around more, even if I want to see him wrestle a little more, but even if that's not the case, if he's going to still be on TV in segments telling the story with the Usos, then I'm fine with it. But if we're going to have him just not show up for a while and for a few weeks, it's sort of like he's not on TV anymore until we kind of get the next challenger. That's going to frustrate me. And I think the fans, too, because we we it's, I don't think it was that people wanted Roman to go away. I think it's just starting to get to the point now when you've only had this one title for so long that. We're feeling like ah, they're not going to be defending the title a little bit more. And there's some guys that may not be getting the opportunity for it. So that's sort of the uh, little overall initial thoughts as we head into the, uh, the first you, couple, you know, you brought up night. a good point. I, yeah. and, and I was kind of thinking about this when we, we've, we've talked about this a couple of times, like how do you get away from him having both belts? I think I, I cause I, you can't have him, I don't think, lose no, one of them. No, I don't either. Time. I think you need no. to basically have a new universal championship. You just have to say we're going to have a tournament for Monday Night Raw. And, you know, and Monday Night gets gets the world heavyweight title or something. I mean, I, yeah. I don't, you know, but it, you know, but, but then you run into the issue where you have like a paper champion that never beat Roman, which actually could be a cool story. If but, you at some point have to have yeah. him come back. But I, I that, and I will say to counter my own point, it sure has elevated the other titles because like we said, we have Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew in an awesome triple threat that anyone could have said was their match of the weekend. And we've got John Cena opening the show in a match for the U.S. title. So at the very least, they have done what we had hoped and really elevated those mid-card titles again to make them feel more important. So Andrew, we kicked off the weekend with John Cena with Austin Theory. This went 11 minutes and 20 seconds, and this was about as basic of a match as you're going to get. There wasn't any botches. It wasn't bad. But at this point in his career, you're probably just not going to get a whole lot from Cena. The guy has a packed schedule. I don't think he's going to try to chance and really push anything. He's not in the greatest ring shape in the world, but this wasn't bad. Austin Theory cheated for the win here. He picks up the victory, and now this is something he will get to use to gloat over. He beat John Cena at WrestleMania. He came out on Monday Night Raw. He used it uh, to challenge Rey Mysterio and, and talk trash to him. And he was involved in a match with Rey, and he ends up winning because Dominic gets involved there. But tell us uh, what you thought about the way they kicked off Mania with Theory and Cena. So polling here, the three of you, how many of you, like me, thought, wait a minute, Cena is coming out and shaking hands with Make-A-Wish kids. He's not losing this. He's not losing, is he? Yeah. Anybody else think that? Okay. It's I not did, just yeah. me. Opening match, even when they, even having it, I think one of you had said, I can't remember who, so I, I just want to give credit to whoever said it. You're having, it, you specifically said he's going to open the show. Yeah, that, that was me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That may even be a tell that he could win and get the crowd pumped up and happy right away. So that, yeah. I was surprised they didn't like like the match was very basic. I'm surprised. I know they did this the the STF you know tap out with no referee thing. I was shocked that there wasn't a single AA false finish in the match. I know, not one. Really basic. Just yeah. just didn't get to that next level, Andrew. But 
again, being there live, the crowd was happy to see Cena, a cool entrance for him. Um, the, the right thing happened in that Cena doesn't need wins anymore. And this is something theory can use forever. It just wasn't a really banger opening match. And it seemed like both nights, they kind of almost went like in a crescendo, right? They like, they were like building a little bit to the main event and sort of getting some of the least maybe important or like impactful matches out of the way first. Yeah, that's the way it seemed. And that's not saying this match was bad. It wasn't. And by the way, for as little as John Cena has worked over the last several years, for him to be able to come in and work a decent match on a big stage. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was bad, honestly. It wasn't, it's not like he was out there looking old or, I just, they're not chancing stuff with him. No, no, that's what it is, you know. And the only thing that I wish John Cena would have done differently. John, you are worth approximately $11 kabillion. I know where you're going here. <laughs> Please fix the bald spot. Come on, man. Knew, knew where we were going there. Koopa Loop, what'd you think about All theory? you gotta do is throw a little Rogaine on there. I had a little spray, I was gonna <laughs> say. A little spray. Yeah. You know, and he starts sweating and it starts running down. You know, Cena and I, that's the only thing we really have in common is that spot. <laughs> I have the exact same bald spot i do i don't have the same physique i may have had some jorts uh yeah you know, some of the jean shorts uh some jinkos maybe back in the day that's the only thing i, I have in common uh the entrance uh, again uh i think we have gino you and i have talked about cena for years and years about uh, you you could hate his runs you could hate uh the way he buried this person or didn't do this person but what he's done for make a wish has just been phenomenal and what's really cool is uh, a personal story to that there was a young man on that stage who i wrote a story about really uh, a week ago who was from here who uh, was a make a wish wow. uh, there was a, there was a local company here um that uh bought plane tickets for him and his family. And I saw him on stage, a young kid, eight years old, JJ Stanick. He's in remission now. He had lymphoma. Wow. Uh, and, and I got to see him and he had a belt with him. So that was, that, that was really, really touching. But I thought the same. I thought, okay, yeah. Cena's going to win this title and lose on Monday Night Raw, probably back to theory again. Or Lashley some or something, or right? Lashley yeah. Or Lashley comes out. But I, yeah, this was a safe, safe opening. I, you know, I'm a, I'm okay with being announced, you know, matches are, are going to be this or that, but it kind it kind of does give away a few tidbits when you start putting matches at certain placements. But you know, did they need the title in this match? Probably, maybe. I don't know. It was okay. I I didn't think it was the greatest of openers, but I, yeah, the, a false finish would would have definitely uh, a couple of couple of would would have helped me along. But I thought for sure Cena was walking out of WrestleMania night one with this title after that entrance for sure. DZ the men's tag match, the Fatal Four Way was only like eight and a half minutes, but it was a really cool sprint between the Street Profits, Braun and Ricochet, Gable and Otis, and the Viking Raiders. The spot of the match that people will remember is Gable doing the the, the roll-through suplex on Braun Strowman, which was just unbelievably impressive. And, I mean, all of these guys are really talented in ring, and they all know... Like they know their work well, they know their spots well, they know what they can do. Uh, this thing was really, really fun. What was weird though is what follows on Monday Night Raw 
you have the yeah. Street Profits come out and have a match with Sammy and KO, which the, the in-ring work in the match on Raw was fine. Like, it was good, but it really felt like you could have had them come out on Monday Night Raw, the Street Profits after winning, and say, hey, we won this match. We want to challenge you to a match next week in the main event. And you even had a week or two of a build, and this thing could have been like a nice 20-minute main event on a TV show. I think they could have made a little bigger deal of it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I don't know why you would waste that in that spot. Um, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, I I didn't anticipate the Street Profits winning no. with Owens and uh, Zayn winning. I, th I thought you would get like the Viking Raiders to set mm -hmm. something up between the two of them. You mentioned a great spot. I thought the ricochet jumping onto the top rope kind of catapult outside with the flip was insane. Also, <laughs> so impressive. Um, you know, I, I mean, we, I understand that these guys are in tag teams and obviously the street profits have been one of the better tag teams for the last couple of years in WWE. But I mean, I would, I would pay big money to see Montez Ford versus ricochet in a big singles match. Absolutely. That would be, that would light the building on fire. Um, this match, I thought, was very, very good for the time that was allotted for it. I thought they hit all the high notes. Um, I thought that uh, that that the spot from Chad Gable was sensational. They got the crowd involved in a match that was on paper kind of funky, but turned out from my standpoint to actually be a, a ton of fun and a match that I thoroughly enjoyed that I didn't really anticipate enjoying as much as I did. Koopa Loop, uh, what would you think of the, the tag team four-way? Oh, it was great. It, I thought it was, uh, you know, if you're looking at matches and times other than the, the McAfee-Miz uh, uh, little gimmick match here, I, I, I thought it was fine. Yeah, a lot of good moves here. Um, the Street Profits, uh, really, really solid. You know, Ricochet is just one of those guys that's a rocket. And, yeah, I'd love to see him and Montez go at it. Uh, even if it were one of these house shows that, uh, that, that one of us uh, – could go see if they're on the undercard of this. It was very strange on Monday night. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Sammy and KO um, defend those titles. I think the rumor was it was supposed to be their first title defense. It felt a little odd. The match was pretty solid. I thought the ending was a little, uh, and I'm talking about the, the match from Monday Night Raw. I thought the ending was a little... Hmm, I don't know. Flat, if we were maybe flat. Yeah, we were waiting on Sammy a little bit for for a move on on Montez. But and you know, but, like this was a lot to ask of these guys. Like it was Sammy and KO. Obviously, have a huge. They had a huge week because they were doing a bunch of press and promoting everything. And then they flew Monday morning, and they were on the Today Show. Um, and then flew all the way back. So these guys were tired at the end of like. A, a lot going on for them, especially Sammy and KO. I've been doing a lot um, over the last couple months. So, it, and hey, look, you know, I was thankful. You know, after we watched Raw and digested it, uh, I was thankful that they had a match and, and they got their due. Because if you were watching the the press conference, uh, you know, they were uh, they were emotionally they yeah. they were they were they were very emotional. So I am thankful they did get to come out and have a decent spot and a good match on Monday Night Raw. So Andrew. Uh, Finish us up with your thoughts on the men's tag. Uh, this was the showcase. Absolutely loved this match. It was clear they got together before the match and said, okay, we've got, oh, 11, 12 minutes, including entrances. What can we do to tear the house down? They all did. I'm going to make a bold statement. Braun Strowman's best ever match in WWE. 
was this match. He sold more for Chad Gable than he has for just about anybody at all ever in giving him that suplex spot. That was really cool. And then we got to Monday night, which we can sum up in three very simple words. Vince gonna Vince. Third match on the night one mania card was Seth freaking Rollins beating Logan Paul. KSI got involved. Coop, you said that you like this one quite a bit. Let's start with you. This, uh, this was, I mean, really good between these two. Obviously, Logan Paul is so much better in this heel role. He's pulling out all the bells and whistles here. They got KSI in the in the big uh, <laughs> energy drink, uh, like a mascot. Um, and you're just getting great athleticism from both of these guys. And, and seeing John Cena in the opening match and the, the rumors that there may have been a John Cena-Logan Paul match, I'm way happier that they went in this direction because Seth just felt like a much better dance partner for him. And speaking of dancing, that's what we saw from Seth. He basically just danced out in the ring to the music, to to his own music on Monday while everybody uh, sang him out. So the coming out of WrestleMania, they didn't really give him much of a direction on Monday, but when you look at the lay of the land, I've been one of the biggest Seth Rollins supporter for a long time. I mean, with Cody losing right now, if the plan is not for Cody Rhodes to be the guy to beat Roman Reigns, there are not many other choices on the roster and the other best choice. And really only one that would make sense would be a Seth Rollins. Yeah. It looked like you were having a good time with the post-match celebration. Yeah. This, this was, this was a crazy match. I, I, just imagine what Logan Paul could do if, if he was more than a once or twice, pay-per-view timer with like yeah, NXT man. And, a, and a year or two under his belt you know man, like- I'm, I'm telling you it would be exciting stuff and, and look i'm seth freaking rollins fan right there with you uh i you know he he could do no wrong in, in these type of matches and i i think you know if unfortunately i have a feeling they may go back to cody roman at SummerSlam, but uh this 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 is a guy and i think he's even said it over the weekend with numerous interviews on press road during mania that, uh, you know, he's the guy he, he was jealous. He didn't want Cody to be, you know, to have the spot. It's his spot. I, he just delivers in any situation needed to be in. The only thing that kind of really, not really irks me, but just, I don't get is the goofy little laughing stuff. I just, he would, would let's pick one Seth Rollins, you know, character and let's, let's go with it. I, I'm not with the, the goofy laughing stuff, but uh, man, had a really, really good match last weekend. DZ, a guy who has become like the new Mr. WrestleMania, right? In our last decade or so, this guy always delivers in, in the big matches. It's just, it you're not going to find many, any bad Seth Rollins matches on big stages. No, tremendous performer. Um, you know, he's his issue has never been his in-ring work. His issue... No has been when he's been a forced baby face. A lot of times the character hasn't worked. They screwed it up the one time when it was the most natural. He got hurt. He came yep. back. The crowd wanted him right there. He came out and then he beat up Roman. The crowd was loving him. And the next night he tur- he was still a heel. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, this one is working because it's been an organic development because this character, Absolutely. this character was a heel character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it got so outlandish and, you know, 
ridiculous in, in its kind of over the top presentation that the more he did it, the more people responded to it. And it was an organic, organic face turn with the character, uh, which is why this has worked. It's not the, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Monday night, you know, Monday night Rollins, you know, going out there and giving the speeches and that, and that was kind of my concern with Cody winning, right? It was the crowd is only going to sit there and, and for so long, you know, cheer, you know, uh, I did this for my family. I did this for my dad. They're going to start rolling their eyes at some point. Eventually it gets cheesy. It gets corny. It gets old. It gets dated. Um, Rollins has been able to kind of, you know, morph his, his character into this, you know, wild baby face character that everybody loves, but his in-ring work has never been an issue. This match was a lot of fun. The KSI stuff was a lot of fun. Um, I had no, 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 uh, holes to poke in it thoroughly enjoyed it. And a- Andrew, it's sort of like, um, I'm, I'm just likening it to real sports for Seth. He just sort of wants to like stay relevant because he's one of the few people you can put in that conversation with Roman Reigns because so much of the history is built in and in their interactions, he's always been treated really well. He He's not ever gotten really beat or looked foolish or looked like he didn't belong in the ring with Roman. So for Seth, it's one of those things where if he can just sort of hang around and stay relevant, Maybe he ends up being the guy, he's been the company guy, and this is a more natural, like Darren was saying, a natural baby face for him. And then as soon as you just put him back with Roman Reigns, you have all those old stories to tell. Uh, what do you think about this and, and Seth and Logan? I like the match very much. I think it's a four-star match. If you haven't seen it, you should. Logan Paul's entrance was really, really good. It was his take The on- Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. Because that- Shawn trained him. Yeah, of course. And Logan Paul is a very willing student. We have said this on this show. Logan Paul may very well be a despicable human being. Certainly, he's made a lot of money making you think he's a despicable human being. But the guy has taken to wrestling better than just about anybody in his position. And it was a good match. Two things. One, I had absolutely no idea who KSI was, and I legitimately <laughs> thought it was our truth in the prime bottle. Um, <laughs> I understand now who he is. I just, I, he, I, I'm not his audience. I have no sure. clue who he is, but I looked it up and I went, Oh, okay. This makes sense. And to be to his credit, that guy took a heck of a bump through the table. So more power to him for that. Good on you. KSI. You deserve your payday. The second thing coop, you mentioned some of the interviews that Rollins did. Uh, leading up to WrestleMania, I found all of those positively cringeworthy. And here's why. If you're the locker room leader, you don't need to tell everybody you're the locker room leader. That is a thing. They'll tell you. Did you ever see or hear in any interviews The Undertaker did from the early 90s until he retired, him talking about how he was a locker room leader? No. Say less, Seth. And I think, and you're right. He and I, that I, I, that I comes agree. out poor. And I think he doesn't. Un, I think when he says it, he's trying to stick up. You know, say, "Look, I'm the company guy. I'm like, I love this company." But it just it comes out weird. I know what you mean. Like, I'm the one that leads. And say, "I love this company more than anyone. I'm willing to do anything for the you know things like that." But I'm the Mountie. There we go. Right. 
uh, he, we're the Mounties, and then they changed it to we're the Mounties for the Quebecers, which was just great. So uh, didn't have to really redo that uh, that intro song. Andrew, while we've got you, let's move to the uh, the women's six-woman tag team match. And we can kind of overall talk about the women's division a, a minute because it's in a really weird place because we have two fantastic women's champions right now. They both had great matches on the weekend. Rhea beat Charlotte in one of the better WrestleMania matches you're going to see and one of the best women's matches at Mania of all time. And Bianca Asuka was very good in ring, as we all expected. But when you look around, Becky is in a weird spot. She and Trish and Lita get the win here. Cool to see Trish. Lita doesn't look like she's got a whole lot left, unfortunately, just maybe not in the greatest of shape. These gals are much older now. They've been around for a while. She had um, a black eye too, right? She, on Monday, on night. Monday night yeah. she did. Um, Becky, she looked like she wasn't in a great headspace on Monday when she was cutting her promo back there with them. Oscar has recently made comments. Charlotte made some comments recently. Bailey, we have no idea what's going on with her. They did not mention Bailey at all on Monday night after this. No mention of, of her on Raw. She's tweeted a couple cryptic things about, you know, a romance ending and, you know, her possibly being done. Um, Ronda's not been in really great spirits with the company for a while. So at one point, we have on Monday, like Rhea and Bianca standing in the ring against each other. And it's like, wow, this is a main event of WrestleMania next year, maybe. Like these two are incredible. Then on the flip side, you look at a lot of the other women who don't seem like they're either in a great place. I mean, Alexa Bliss is out there. She's recently had um, some health issues, but for a while she's just kind of been shelved with not a whole lot to do. Um, it's it's weird because it feels like they're both in a great place at the top, but maybe the depth overall uh, right below the top isn't isn't very good, Andrew. It's not, no. And We've hinted at this a little bit on this show. We've talked a little bit about what happened on Monday night. Bailey is nowhere to be found. You get a number of other members of the women's division, both on television and on social media, in indirect ways, voicing support for her and voicing support for others. This doesn't look good, guys. And it's one of those instances where over the past 10 years, WWE, largely behind Triple H, has revitalized what a lot of us think of when we think of women's wrestling. We grew up with not the Trish Stratus we saw on over the weekend. We grew up with the Trish Stratus getting spanked by Vince in his office. We grew up with Sable on the cover of Playboy. It's come a really long way, largely due to the way Triple H, in particular, has made an effort to reshape the way we see women's wrestling. Yep, the way he's presented it. That's not Vince's thing. And it's unfortunate. That's what we have now, with Vince apparently back in charge of creative. And judging by what we're seeing, it's not a good look at all whatsoever. And again... We can hope that this is something where Vince retreats into the background a little bit. We can hope that Triple H winds up coming to the forefront. When has Vince McMahon ever willingly released some of his power? The track record's not there, guys. No. We got to be realistic about this. It doesn't look great for a lot of the talent that are on the roster. Now, far as this match is concerned, 
I didn't think the match was bad. Lita appears to be out of gas, but look, the way that she worked when she was in her prime, that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to find a wholesome way to talk about Trish Stratus's outfit. Okay. <laughs> I can't do it. So if <laughs> try to do that, I'm teeing one of you up for a chance at podcast immortality, because look, that woman is well into her forties you can make the argument that she looks better now than she did when she I was know. in her 20s I, honestly. being on WWF television and being on the cover of fitness magazines. She looked incredible. Her, uh, her getting through that match without some sort of a wardrobe malfunction would be the equivalent of the can of spinach <laughs> not popping open when Popeye squeezes it, <laughs> when he has to fight in uh, in, in uh, you know in his TV show, <laughs> the the I, I don't know. I I literally look. I I swear to God, I looked at my wife and I said, "Can you explain to me how, how that like that's happening that. right now?" Yeah, and she's um, like, and she basically said to me, "She's packed in there." <laughs> so the ladies go fourteen forty DZ. The match is solid. It's fine. I don't think it was anything like wrong or bad. And it looks like, I mean, at the very least, maybe we get Dakota Kai, EO Sky in a singles direction. Um, I don't, and I don't know what goes on next with Becky, uh, but it, it was fine. I mean, it gets them all on the card. It just, it feels like coming out of Monday now with what's been going on with the women, it's hard to feel incredibly positive about sort of everyone that's not Bianca and Rhea at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, Becky obviously, you know, won the what was the biggest women's match in WWE history just a few years ago. Um, you know, you you can argue against that point, but you know, when you are main eventing yep. WrestleMania uh and, and is the only time that a women's match has been on the well, back then it was one night, but on Sunday night being the main event, yep. it is, you know, the biggest women's match in Wrestle in in, in WWE history. Um, from going from there to this, and I'm not saying that, you know, being in a match with Trish and Lita is anything to sneeze at, but, you know, this match, you know, it, it just kind of was there. It was fine. It wasn't offensive. Uh, you just, you just, you, the, you rarely have the top, top tier stars in matches like this at WrestleMania correct, when they're correct. still sort of in their prime, you yeah, know? Correct. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And uh, I mean, look, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, guys were cutting promos on Seth saying, man, if I thought there was going to be someone in your family in the main event, you know, I figured it'd be your wife. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, that, was, that was what, like a year and a half ago? <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Um, yeah. I Like, listen, it's it, it was a fine match, but, um, you know, it, it, it was a little bit weird to see Becky in this spot when you think about it. But uh, I agree. Um, you know, what what's going to come of the women's division now if you're not named Rhea? If you're not uh, named Bianca, you know, it'll be interesting to see where this all goes. Koopa Loop, what'd you think uh, of this one and, and what we've been talking about with the ladies? Well, we kind of, or at least one or two of us kind of were convinced that Trish may turn heel yeah. here. Uh, I, nothing more to add to the match. I'll, I'll talk about the outfit, right? Um, if you follow <laughs> Trish on uh, Twitter, 
this was uh, she was duplicating her outfit at what WrestleMania 21, 2005, 2006. I, if I'm not, uh, if, things if, might be a little bit more enhanced now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. She was supposed to work. She was supposed to work uh, Lita. In, in that match and that this was supposed to be one of the biggest you know up to then the biggest women's wrestling match of all time especially mania wise but leah got hurt and I, trish ended up working of all people christy hemi at wrestlemania 21 and that was the outfit and i think she pulled it off better now i don't know i, I have a thing for uh women that are a little bit older than the younger gals so she's a plus uh but yeah <laughs> very lucky no wardrobe malfunction here uh or you guys definitely would have got screen uh shots from me in the group text but uh yeah it, it was okay for you mean the minutes. group text i'm not in chad you would you would have got you, that the, the important stuff you get the text andrew it's only when we're like yeah. setting setting up an inside joke on you that you're not involved yeah. otherwise oh, yeah. we want you, you to be a part it. of everything else so yeah you would have um, got you would have got it well dz we got to start with you with ray and, and dominic because we were having some fun talking about this leading in um with ray with dominic and and what i i don't think was debatable going in was that dominic hadn't really proven himself in ring all that much. Uh, I and Chad and Andrew were a little more warm on his character work recently, um, but I wouldn't have debated you that he still doesn't have a, a fantastic body of work in ring. I, I thought this was a really good match. I thought, you know, there were bells and whistles on this, obviously, but you've got the two different entrances. First, they they bring Dominic in like he's freaking Hannibal Lecter almost from, from jail. Then after you've got Snoop, driving Ray down in the low rider, which was awesome. And you knew you were going to get some of the family involvement. So I actually thought the in ring was Dominic's best performance so far. And he did to me seem like he delivered in the moment. It wasn't like it was too big for him of a stage. Like he went out there, he wasn't nervous. He wasn't botching spots. And I thought this was a good, a pretty good match. So where did you come out, come out of it? And it looks like on Monday, they're building to a big match at Puerto Rico that will likely involve Damian Priest and Bad Bunny. Yeah, and no, I thought it was a good match. Um, you know, I I thought they told the story well. Um, you know, you don't get too many father son disputes, uh, so I, I thought it was interesting. I thought they did a good job at the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, which had to be, and, and I will I will give uh, Dominic you know credit for that um, to have to remain in character while your father is being inducted uh, and enshrined into the WWE hall of fame, and not, not getting choked up hearing those stories. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. That would like, be hard. Yeah. Like to, to stay in character there. Uh, I have to give him credit. I thought, I thought they did that extremely well. Uh, I thought the match was good. I, I thought it was some of his better in ring work. Uh, I thought Ray was very good as well. I thought they told the story. Well, Getting Bad Bunny involved there, I thought was was solid. Having the family involved, uh, I thought they struck all the chords they needed to strike in the match. Um, yeah, he he moved up a notch for me after after you know. Listen, I'm I'm an objective viewer. Yeah, and that's... I, I was not I was not sold on him going, and I'm not saying that I think he's the end all be all by any stretch. But, but what I saw from him on Saturday was better than what I had seen previously, and I will give him credit for that. And Andrew, they uh, they will. I mean, that's probably the main event coming up, right? At a Puerto Rico show, we we have Bad Bunny and Rey Mysterio versus Damian Priest and Dominic. Before we go any further, 
the line that we need to recite with regard to what Darren just said is, and the Grinch's small heart. (laughs) Yes, I think it's your main event. It also wouldn't surprise me, depending on the rest of the card, if that's the opener that's designed to pop the crowd. If you do a Cody Brock, they could do that as the main event, right? I changed my mind. Yeah. Stink. (laughs) Stink. Stunk. <laughs> I wouldn't touch him with a 39 and with a, a 39 half foot pole. <laughs> oh. All right. We've turned this into an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway, which shows top <laughs> number. This is wonderful. No, I really like this match. I thought both entrances were outstanding. Two of the best entrances of the weekend. Of course, we all know Dominic Mysterio is prison hardened. And when you go to prison, it changes a man. So he was so dangerous. Can't wait to ask Donald had- Trump about that. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well played, sir. So, I mean, they had to have six security guards, you know, walk into the ring so that he wouldn't harm anybody around him. And then you get Mysterio driven to the ring by Snoop Dogg, who we'll get to again in just a little bit. That's called foreshadowing, kids. Great. And him doing some of the stuff with Eddie's music was pretty good. And then you get the match, which I thought was a lot of fun. I This was really cool. And you had to think that every member of the Mysterio family genuinely loved this. This was this was awesome. And we were concerned a little bit going into this match. If you caught the preview show we did, talking about some aspects of Mysterio's physique, the guy has had a million operations on his knees from doing ranas and splashes and everything all over the years. The fact that he's still able to be... of the worker he was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, he had a good showing here too. He did. That's pretty special. And I love watching him work. He was my first favorite wrestler when I started watching just because of how different he was. This was pretty awesome. Koopa Loop, the the entrances uh, from this weekend, I'll, I'll remember four, five of them that were really, really fun. And this was a match where both of these guys had great entrances. The match was good. It, it really did. There just weren't a whole lot of down spots from, you know, when the moment Dominic's music started till the, the finish of this match. Did you catch, they put a teardrop on Dominic's eye. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, blood in blood out death by dishonor. You, you everyone's watched that great movie. <laughs> um, but they put a teardrop on Dom's uh, face. Uh, yeah, I'm glad uh, you guys brought up the Hall of Fame because, yeah, that, that's tough for Dom to do that and sit there and then uh, have to work a storyline and, and get up and walk out. I thought the match was good. Um, Ray, even though I wanted Dominic to win, I, I, I think this kid has a shot to, to be really, really good in the WWE uh, especially, you know, having to follow in the footsteps of uh, one of the biggest names uh, in wrestling. Well, and uh, what's nice is right now wise. for him, he's totally different, right? Where yeah, he and trouble, he is. When he would have been in trouble was when they were doing when he was a babyface following his dad around. We he was never going to make it like that. We could see it. He wasn't over. No, he didn't have the gear. Now, he it just even, didn't work. He's a different guy. He's a heel. His dad's it, never been a heel in his whole life. You know, like- yeah, and, and look, Monday night it was good to see Damian Priest come out and get involved. And we, we're talking about spots that guys, you know, KSI took in a 
in a, in a costume. How about Bad Bunny going through a table on Monday Night Monday. Raw? This is one. This is a, a massive international superstar. This, this uh, if this isn't the main event of Puerto Rico, yeah, it's definitely got to be something that that jump starts this uh, this next show at Backlash. So, hey, you got to admit, uh, you probably want to watch this match now, even if you're yep. not uh, a Dom fan. But you got to you want to watch this match. DZ, we had a very good women's title match between Rhea and Charlotte. Charlotte came in as the champ. This was a big crowning moment for Rhea. And the the match was was interesting because the first few minutes of the match were a little bit slow. And I'm like, gosh, this is really slow starting. This isn't as, as what I was expecting. And then, boom, they just build and build and build. And they just continue to hit this next level. Uh, the riptide into the DDT was cool. There were some suplex spots. Just it, This was a, a tough worked match, too, between two of the absolute best. Rhea has had a fantastic last year or so. And for all the negatives that we've said uh, recently about some of the women and where they stand, you can't really say very much negative about the last six to eight months that Rhea Ripley have had. And moving forward, she is honestly one of the bigger stars in the company on the men or the women's side. This was a great match. This thing went 23 and a half minutes too. This was a long match. And this was good enough to have been a main event, but I'm glad they didn't put it as the main event. I think it would have hurt the match had it been the main event. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the the slow start was answered by the length of the match. Um, if it you're, was a yep, you're right. 14 minute match, the start would have been too slow. You're right. Um, the fact that they went 23 and change, it made sense. It built and it built and it built. That to be honest with you, it almost had a new Japan pro wrestling feel to it. It really um, did. It did. The way the way the match like built an from, epic match. Yeah, like this lengthy match that you knew was going to be just two big stars going yep. at it for a while. Like it was, yeah, it just kind of cascaded. Um, look, Charlotte took some bumps in here. I th I thought she was going to get you know dumped on her head a couple times. Uh, the suplex where she went all the way over, where she obviously, uh, you know, hit her nose on the mat, and and she uh, obviously had a, a bit of a blood on the, on the bridge of her nose. Um, there was a couple of spots in here where it was like, oh shit, you know, one of those. Um, but yeah, the, I, I thought the match just kept kind of, um, building like a crescendo. I thought they told a great story. Um, I loved at the end of the match, Charlotte was on the outside of the ring smiling. Uh, I don't think that was a character smile like shit. I lost like, you know, uh, Rodless Chapman giving up a home run smile. I thought that was a genuine smile for thinking that they that they put I out a banger too. i think she was uh, like damn that was good that like, was good yeah yeah yep. i like, couldn't even keep it straight right because charlotte is that way like she's a really nice person when you've heard about it she's one of those people who being a heel was a little hard for her because yep. she's like really smiley it was that way for sasha at the beginning when these girls are excited and they're like and they're into it and and that was the case here this was yep. a really good performance yeah, um, no. So, and we've seen it with other, like I think Sasha was was smiling outside the ring with her match. I think it was with Bianca, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yep. Um, Even with Bailey, the one when they had Bailey, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the NXT one that was like, oh crap, yeah. that was an all timer. And no, it was it was a real it was a really good match. I'm happy for Rhea. She she deserved it. Uh, she's been doing great work for a long time. I've, I've been a fan of her since she had that NXT UK title years and years ago. 
Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to her title run. Um, you know, hopefully uh, she she has some big matches coming up, whether it be uh, SummerSlam or, or Queen of the Ring, Money in the Bank. You see, like, it looked like they had a little Raquel in her standoff. That would be just a good, like, first challenger for her. Raquel's yeah, someone that yeah, they probably complement each other well, they, yeah. They could go, like, Raquel and Liv for a couple matches for her and then maybe get to, like, a Becky or someone like that would be awesome. Yeah. Right, yeah, seeing like yeah. her and Becky interact. Um, Andrew, it's great to see Rhea put herself up at the level that she was as a prospect when she came in in the May Young Classic years ago. At she was in NXT, and right when she came up, she was, but then she floundered for a little while until she got into this storyline with the Judgment Day. And wow, she has run with it. And this was a great delivery performance from her on the biggest stage of her life so far. It was. I thoroughly enjoyed the match when they started really slow. And I said this in our chat, not the super secret chat that apparently I'm not part of, <laughs> but the actual chat. And yes, folks, we have found a running gag that I'm going to beat into the ground. <laughs> I, I, I said to you all, I went, doesn't this look like they were told they were main eventing? Because it looked like they were sort of going through the motions. And then around eight minutes in, they flipped a switch and we went from first gear to third or fourth gear really, really fast. This was hard hitting. This was not something where you could say, oh, they were too gentle, not stiff enough. I don't believe any of this. Or they didn't have enough time to tell the right story. It's a very, very, very good match. My one criticism is putting over Rhea in this spot it's the right call now. I'm not denying that. It would have been the right call three years ago, too. Yeah, and, and we will say she's found a good gimmick and a good character, but it wasn't because necessarily of what happened in the Charlotte match, right? It, right. it was what happened after that match. She, If she would have lost to Charlotte and they would have been fine afterwards, we wouldn't have done anything. But you could tell she lost and they didn't have a plan for her after and she just... They couldn't find her voice. Really, Someone is. who's expected to win loses, and then they don't have a plan. That makes me feel real optimistic about who's in charge of creative right now. I don't know about you. Koopaloop, what'd you think about Charlotte and Rhea? Well, since y'all crapped on me about uh, their their previous WrestleMania match, did you guys, uh, did you, uh, Charlotte Marks, uh, over here, did you guys think that uh, this match was better than their previous WrestleMania match with no one there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I I, I yeah, fair enough. Too. Not by much, but I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I I certainly did. What what uh, what is really going to be interesting here um, is with Rio the title, and if Vincent Kennedy uh, McMahon is the director of creative, you know, Rhea is going to be put in a tough situation because we, we know Vince, it, it, it loves him some Charlotte flair. And does Rhea get uh, some baby face pop? If she goes one-on-one, -on -one, this next storyline is with Raquel. I don't know how much Raquel is over on Friday nights. I know they like her. She's an up and comer. Um, would it be a good one? Yeah, I'd like to see a, a more of a, a smaller little baby face. I, I know Alexa Bliss would be good in this spot or, or, or Carmella. And I know now the word's out, Carmella's hurt. 
I, you know, Rhea's one of those that I'm a little concerned about now going forward. Uh, she won the match now going forward. How does she handle this on, on, on Friday nights? And I thought it was real interesting that her and Bianca faced off on uh, Monday night raw. DZ, the Miz man is just such a company guy. Yeah. He's hosting the show and they need a few minutes in between big matches just to sort of fluff the crowd. So first on night one, they have the Miz out there with Snoop Dogg and they introduce Pat McAfee as a surprise to come and have just a, a little makeshift match where he beats the Miz. It's not even a match worth grading, but we see right. the Miz have to do this again on night two. And this is a way to, you know, have a surprise for the crowd. Uh, you have someone like the Miz who, you know, is a safe worker and he'll, you know, he, it's not going to hurt him losing to any random celebrity like this. And man, for as much as people give the Miz crap, this is a guy who's main evented WrestleMania and he's willing to do this kind of stuff for the company at, at this point too. So he is, he is as good of a company man as you'll find over there. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it, he's one of the old reliable guys that you go to in a variety of different spots. Hey, we're going to need a spot in between the women's match and the tag match to kind of, you know, give the crowd a few laughs and give us a little bit of time to bring them down and bring them back up. Let's let's do something like this in between the two matches. And of course, the Miz delivers. Yeah, I mean, the match, nothing is nothing to grade, uh, but it's fun. It's enjoyable. It gives a few good laughs. The Miz is completely in his element uh, in, in this particular role. Um, one of the best on the mic of all time. Uh, and uh, he he fits the WWE uh, company line and, and he fits the WrestleMania host uh, role like a glove whenever he does it. Coop, uh, Pat McAfee, a big star too. He's got a lot going on as far as um, in his personal life. He's not sure if he's going to make a different decision with work. Issues with Brett Favre suing him and, <laughs> and all that. But you know what? He's another celeb that he has huge reach. His shows get massive ratings and this guy likes wrestling and he cares about it. And when he comes in, he doesn't treat it like it's a total joker. He's above it. He's into it. He, he's invested. And you know what, when he's involved in wrestling, it's good for, it's good for wrestling. Like there's just a few more eyeballs on it. Yeah. Not a whole lot of surprises, you know, throughout the two nights of, of WrestleMania, but this was one, I don't think, you know, I, I thought that we thought there could be a chance that McAfee showed up. Uh, yeah, it's been a downer a little bit, even though Wade Barrett has done a phenomenal job on Friday nights, McAfee, just the, the energy that he brought was, uh, was just so, so electric, but look, the Miz company guy, can we talk about Maurice, what she was wearing? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this guy is going to lose every night of the year and still go home a winner. You know, th this was, <laughs> you know, this was, th this was fun. Um, and we'll talk about what happened here sh shortly uh, on night two. But the Miz, you know, I, I do wish he could get more involved into something because while he's not a five-star wrestler, he is a former WWE world champion. He did headline WrestleMania. Two-time um, Grand like Slam to, champ. Yeah. And uh, I, I think he uh, I think he deserves to be in, in some sort of storyline here. I'm not saying it in a, a title chase, but I, I would like to see him get more involved than something that they gave him earlier, like a Johnny Gargano type deal that, in Dexter that kind of just went off the rails quick. But hey, it was cool. McAfee is the man. It was a great pop. And who doesn't love to see Miz get beat uh, by someone that shouldn't be beating? Andrew uh, McAfee and the Miz killed a little time here just to uh to help kind of 
get the 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 crowd kind of come down a little bit before we got him back up for the main event. Can I bring up my favorite complaint that I heard about WrestleMania from someone Please. that was clearly biased? Look, I will never pretend to understand some of the psychology that is on display with the internet wrestling community, okay? If you like WWE, great. If you like AEW, that's great. If you like some of the other promotions that are out there, that's great. Watch whatever you like, like what you like. It's okay. Having said that, George Kittle made an appearance here. And I thought yep. he was great. He For was. He had no training. That clothesline was pretty darn good. He loves wrestling too. Um, if you know, if you ever followed him, they actually had him on Monday Night Raw get an AEW belt. I think from Penta um, yep. uh, down there on an episode that when the game was in Mexico. He's a huge, yeah, huge wrestling fan too. Yeah. So that was really cool. The complaint was, what they couldn't have gotten an LA Charger to do that because they're in LA and he plays for the 49ers. Come on, people. No, oh I God. In addition to this, look, George Kittle's a legitimate star NFL player. Who from the Chargers would be recognizable on a stage like WrestleMania? None, or even get into it and want to do it. Maybe Justin Herbert, maybe. But yeah, you ain't on, you ain't getting people. a quarterback to do and that. No, nope. and he's gonna say, and he wouldn't have done and he wouldn't have gotten into it. Like Kittle, if like if the coaches would have been like Kittle, you can't do that, he would have been like, screw you, I'm doing it. I love wrestling. Think about those I'm tight doing ends, that. man, with Kittle and Gronk. Gronk. Yeah, it just I would have rather say, yeah, I would have rather seen Gronkowski. It would have made a lot more sense because he does have ties to the WWE. Well, I think a lot of people were like, Who is this? What's it going was still on? Pretty cool, and I enjoyed that thoroughly. It's not the performance that The Miz will be most known for, however. And again, we'll get to that on Saturday. And I'm just going to warn everybody here. I don't know about my three co-hosts, but when we start talking about what happened during the celebrity spot on Saturday, I'm going to be a horrible person. I'm probably going to start laughing in places I'm probably not supposed to. Please don't think anything less of me, both to my co-hosts and to everybody out in the audience. Thank you. So the uh, main event for night one, for the first time since WrestleMania one was a tag team match, and the only time ever that the tag team titles were defended in the main event of WrestleMania, and it was deserved. This was the culmination of a lot of the bloodline story that they've been telling. Sammy was only supposed to be a part of it for a week or two. He did a great job with it. They were able to tie Sammy and Kevin Owens' real-life um, history in with the bloodline and something that was really simple that we can all relate to, just sort of your friends finding new friends and jealousy and um, just different emotions that are are very normal for everyone watching. DZ was a great story, and I've said this a few times. I called a match between Sammy, o, uh, Sammy Zayn, El Generico, and Kevin Owens when he was Kevin Steen in a like YMCA in Monrovia in front of no more than 100 people, probably somewhere between 50 and 100. And to see those guys in front of 70,000 plus at WrestleMania in the main event was really cool. And as Andrew pointed out and, and Chad was hitting at too, they were emotional. They were smiling. They were happy. They were able to have a little tribute in their gear because uh, in California, they really made it big at, at PWG. That's sort of where they became like where they were put on the map on the independent scene. This was just a feel good moment. And we haven't, you know, 
like we saw on night two. And we don't always get the feel good moments in WWE. This was like a great way to end WrestleMania night one. Yeah, this was kind of like a, a callback to, you know, the the old time WrestleManias, because if, mm-hmm. if, if you remember up until WrestleMania 2000, a heel never won the main event. Nope. You know, it, it was it was taboo uh, when Yokozuna defeated Bret Hart at WrestleMania nine. It was shocking because bad guys didn't win. Now, obviously, you know, three minutes later. My favorite guy in the world uh, would end up, you know, taking brother away and everybody went home, quote unquote, happy. Uh, but in all seriousness, bad guys didn't win main events at WrestleManias until WrestleMania 2000 when Triple H won the fatal four way. Um, so this was kind of a callback to that. It was the ending that it needed. It was the ending the story needed. The Usos didn't need the titles anymore. Um, you know, they can continue to work as henchmen for Roman. They don't need to have titles on them to do it. Will be interesting to see if they kind of keep this um, going with this undisputed tag titles like they're doing with the Universal Championship. Um, if they are, I don't know why we need red and blue belts. Maybe we can create some kind of a new belt, or maybe we can tell you know Kevin and Sammy to pick the show that they're going to be on, and you know the other tag titles will get a, a tournament for it. What was something? I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I thought the match was sensational. I thought there were great spots. I thought the ending with the three Haluba kicks to Jay, the look on Sammy's face, uh, the false finishes back and forth, everything about this match I thought was tremendous. They delivered. Uh, it was upper echelon of four stars in my book. And uh, yeah, sent everybody home happy on Saturday, making a lot of people think that we're going to go home happy on Sunday too, but not so fast. Koopa Loop. We, uh, we, we wanted Sammy to be the guy to, to beat Roman with, you know, tell the end of this story with the bloodline. What did you think of, of what they decided to do with Sammy and KO and the Usos here for the main event of night one? Yeah. Interesting road that Sammy took to get here. Um, it's, uh, it's still, I, I, you know, it still bothers me that I I think that night two with Sammy, his hand being raised. So you're, you're talking about another yes movement type moment. Uh, that they could have, but I'm, I, I, I'm past it. I'm over it. I just had to get that out. I, I thought it was great. It was emotional for, for everyone involved. The Usos are, are phenomenal. And uh, I like the way that Kevin Owens ended that press conference uh, on, on Saturday night by, you know, by saying, Hey, look, you know, this, the Usos are one of the greatest tag teams uh, in professional wrestling. And I thought that was pretty good of uh, cool of him because you don't hear a lot of that. Uh, these days, especially you don't hit, you see a lot of WWE press conferences, uh, but for what it was, it's great going forward. Look, I'd like to see them on raw. You're defending the raw tag team titles. If you're on SmackDown, you're defending the SmackDown titles. I just wish we would get some kind of formula here with these, with these double championships and stick with it. Andrew finish us up with a uh, night one, Sammy and KO and the Usos. So one other add on from that press conference after Kevin Owens praised the Usos, he also praised Jay and Mark Briscoe, which I thought was a world-class thing to do. That was and, and real cool. quick, just a small tangent. I recapped the Ring of Honor Supercard of Honor show. More than any match this weekend, I would have told you Mark Briscoe is beating Samoa Joe. Yeah, I don't Mark, know what the hell Mark happened. Mark Briscoe there. lost clean. His kids are there crying. Oh, oh, brutal. Was unbelievable. This was the first match he's lost since his brother died. 
they passed out Jay Briscoe armbands, black armbands for the whole crowd to wear. And the guy loses Pro- clean. I couldn't Promoter of it. the year, Gino. Promoter of the year. My goodness. Um, go, but go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, they, that's they, another story for another show. But it actually makes what I'm about to talk about a little easier because I thought I was going to be Andrew, you know, thundercloud coming in over a really good moment. And Gino actually set the stage perfectly. Vince hates tag team wrestling. What do you do now? Honest question. I don't know what the answer is because if you've got a guy in charge who has decided tag teams don't matter and Sammy and KO are tag team guys now, yes, this was a fantastic moment. Because these guys could, theoretically, if Roman isn't going to be there all the time, these guys could main event shows, like we're saying, as their tag team champs. If he's not a tag team guy, what do you do? And I don't know if that answer exists right now. And that's really, really unfortunate timing for two guys that have played a gigantic role in, as we've mentioned, one of the best stories WWE has ever told. Fantastic night one, really from top to bottom. There wasn't anything bad. Like the low point was the Theory Cena match and maybe the the women's uh, six women tag. Everything else was well above average. Really, really good as we move to night two. So let's start with you, Andrew. I mean, we only got about a five minute match from Brock and Omos to open up. Maybe a weird choice to open because it wasn't really fast, but this was very, very basic. And this was a match that I think it did everything that it needed to do, right? I don't think you could have gotten really more out of this. The problem that I have with with Omos is even less about what he can do in the ring, right? He's huge. We, I don't want Omos jumping off the top rope and flipping around. I just don't like the like his presentation. It's so basic, big, old school, imposing heel. Like he's the he's the great Kali. I know. Why can't this yeah. guy talk? He doesn't have any personality whatsoever. Why can't he be a lovable babyface or something? Like have him come out and save Cody Rhodes one night or save a good guy. Have people like him. And then it'll give them a little bit more of a reason to care about him. But you just threw him out there as this guy who's so basic. And like the problem, like, I think you were, you said this at one point, Andrew too, it's like, okay, he's Braun Strowman and, and less athletic. It, like he's just yeah. not, and, and not even as, as like, they haven't been as charismatic or had personality with him. All that being said, this was fine. And you can see like, he can move around a little bit. I just wish he would be presented differently. The question I asked on the show last week was, why should I care? And while the match cleared the low bar that I had set for it, nobody got hurt. There were no botches. It was fine. They didn't do anything stupid with the booking. I've got a question. Given what we now know is happening behind the scenes, was Bray Wyatt really, really smart to walk away when he did? Yeah, I mean, we're still not sure if it was really like something. We don't know, but there's enough smoke to indicate that there were can, problems with creative. Can, can I can I interject for a minute? Because please, um, one of the things that I have come to now believe, um, Bray Wyatt, from from my now following him for years, the tease 
is better than the actual thing. 1,000%. When you put the guy in the ring, at some point you've got to deliver. And And other than the six-man matches he had with the Wyatt family and that match at the Rumble with Daniel Bryan, who is only probably the best technical wrestler in the world, there's no stake to go with the sizzle. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's gotten to the point where, you know, the, obviously the the Wyatt family was was a lot of fun to follow. You know that I I like that faction. The stuff with the Shield was obviously really good, but when it came to the Fiend, when it came to this Uncle Howdy stuff, the initial response, the holy shit, the tease to get there, the original character presentation was one thing. And then when you got into him actually being there and it was like, they didn't even have anything. I know. Like they didn't have any, like, can you imagine watching a TV show and being like, Oh cool. What's going to happen next week? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing happens. Like nothing on the next episode. Like nothing. And and maybe it, maybe someone would say, well, Darren, it's unfair for you to blame brave for that. Well, maybe, but how many times can you go to the well with this different creative idea with the same guy that everybody seems to be infatuated with his creativity that nothing caught. I mean, at some point he has to be somewhat responsible for where the character goes. Well, I I mean, agree. There are very creative people that can't write a script for a movie or a scene, right? A scene because they can't be like, harnessed in or reined in a little bit and he has great ideas but yeah that was um that was strange and and then moving forward where we come with brock we can obviously talk about it in a second how it relates to cody but uh coop what did you think about this whole brock and omos match to open up night two uh, i thought it was a weird way to open the show um i i, I thought it, it it did it served its purpose the fans were hot wanting to see f5s what's concerning to me is Omos was the first match on Raw on Monday night who squashed Elias. And I just thought, okay, the rails are definitely about after a hot segment. I understand it. You're going to have a cool down point, but you're going to bring Omos out who was basically just thrown around by Brock Lesnar in that segment. I just didn't get it at all. You know, if I may jump in before we move on in past generations, the path for a guy like Omos would be really clear and it would work. You'd have Omos lose at this WrestleMania like he did. You would spend the next eight or nine months building him back up into this monster. You hide all of his weaknesses as best you can. And you wonder, oh, who's going to stop this big guy? Who's going to stop this monster? Gong. The only problem is there's no Undertaker anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he yeah. just got beat. Yeah, he got beat on Sunday night, you know, and then he's squashing poor Elias. So normally uh, Brock Lesnar's gone for a while, but it looks like he's going to be hanging around and getting involved with Cody Rhodes. We'll talk I, a little I, bit, which, which I don't understand at all. But me neither. They, I mean, there's no, there's zero rhyme or reason to it. They didn't explain anything about it. And in fact, the opposite of it, the reason why they had him come out is because it may, would make a hell of a lot more sense for him to want to screw over Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns. And, and, and to that point, if you're going, if you're going to do what you did, at least have Heyman there with a sinister smile, a smirk. And yeah, that's what I wanted. Give him a wink and a nod so that you at least plant the seed that, Holy shit. Is Lesnar aligning himself with Roman in this faction now? Like, I mean, maybe it doesn't make sense, 
but, but at the very least, at least it's something. We, it's there. We yeah. saw it. And I smelled it. I, I just thought there's no way and the, that, and I mean, that like Brock the is going to team with Cody here. And it and you did. You called it out, and it felt like it felt it was it was well done in in the beatdown, but it didn't make sense. Like the beatdown. No, because Roman and Paul good. took off. They you didn't and that, see and that's them. They were gone. Frust, that's the part that frustrates me the most. Me too. If, me if, too. Like if we don't get Roman showing up on Friday, and that was how he just walked out of that and just backed up. It's like, are you kidding me? You're going to really try to pull that bait and switch with us? Like, we're like, nobody's even going to think about Roman Reigns not being around for a week or two. I just, I hope they have something at least to continue on with the Usos in him because they, they tease that with him not wanting them to be in the locker room there. Um, Andrew, and you brought up you you brought up a go good ahead, point yeah. though, Gino. Where where, where was Sammy and KO to save That's Cody? The, I know have they had left already. They better have a reason to explain that too. These guys <laughs> that have been saving him for the last few weeks, Cody was the reason why Sammy and 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 KO like reunited, and he they weren't there to help him when he's just getting destroyed by Brock Lesnar for it was seven fifty one, and he got beat down for ten straight minutes. <laughs> they didn't have a match at all. He just got thrown around. Um, Andrew, the women's showcase was the fatal four-way. And what I think hurt this match, there wasn't a whole lot of buildup to it. And coming out of the match, Ronda and it looks like Shayna were injured. Th this match just was sort of in a bad spot because initially it was supposed to be Chelsea and Carmella. Carmella got hurt. Ronda couldn't do very much in this match. We saw Shayna have an injury and then coming out of it, they didn't even really explain that Ronda and Shayna were hurt. And they had Liv Morgan and Raquel become the new number one contenders for the tag team titles. So it was, it just didn't come from this match, which was okay. There was nothing bad about it. It was just probably one of the more lackluster matches of the weekend. And then it's not really great follow-up because of all the injuries and, and just kind of unlucky. I've got a question, and I know this is becoming a running gag with, oh, God, here's doom and gloom Andrew riding in on his black horse like death with hell coming with him. Um, how many of these women wind up leaving WWE in six months if Vince doesn't go away? Well, Chelsea Green, I, she wasn't she one of the ones that was sent the garbage bag with her yeah. gear in it? It's yeah. just it's brutal. But you look at this and you see, OK. Liv and Raquel are fun. I like those two together. And you can tell they've stumbled onto something with the offense being Raquel throwing Liv at people. I think that's <laughs> that is really a good spot. Cool. And also Liv and Shotzi did their best to try to save the match with that little exchange they had at the end. Those two have chemistry. But you wind up with Ronda and Shayna getting the win when they haven't done a dang thing in the entire match, and then you find out they're hurt, it's just, it didn't work at all for me. To me, worst sanctioned match of the weekend on those two WrestleMania cards. It just, it fell totally flat for me, other than those two little spots. And honestly, those little spots are probably because I've got a soft spot for Liv Morgan, and I think she's really fun to watch. It, it just, the rest of it didn't work for me. DZ, someone whose second uh, run here in the WWE, just so much different than the first one, Ronda Rousey, huh? Where she was a few years ago and how yeah. it used to feel when her music hit. And honestly, 
she seemed a lot like Logan Paul at the beginning in what we were saying. She seemed like she was taking it very seriously and that she really cared. And she, you could sense that she was training with Natty and her first few matches were really well done. I think really well put together. She had a good match with Naya and Sasha and some really good matches with a lot of the women on the card. And now I don't know if it's a combination of her not being as into it, maybe just not feeling as into it because the crowd hasn't received her well, that kind of being off. They haven't really just leaned into her as a heel quite as much as they should have. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't like bad, all bad in ring work, but she was obviously hurt and just not in the same place where she was a few years ago. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you guys hit all the points on the match um, in, in relation to Rhonda. It's almost like that debut match against triple H um, and, and Steph while we thought at the time uh, was, was tremendous. Everybody praised it. Um, you know, some people said she stole the show with some of the things that she did. And it turned out that it, it may have done her more harm than good in the long run because she set the bar so high. You're right. Off that match where she had to take it upon herself to kind of continue to evolve and maybe add to her repertoire and do different things the more she wrestled. And she never did. She kept doing the same moves, the Piper's Pit, the, uh, you know, the arm bar, um, you know, the, the same judo throws. She never added another sequence of moves kind of to, to her artillery. And on top of that, um, her mic work was painful. And awful. 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 Like, like, like she it, never, and yeah, we talked a lot about this. I'm glad you pointed it up with Chad. It's like, she never even understood like just her cadence. No, right. No, the it, way your way you're so, supposed to talk when you're supposed to take a breath and stop. Yep. It just, yep. She just come out and so so it's going on. It's like, what are you? Was, you're cutting a promo here. Yeah, she. To be honest with you, at times, you felt uncomfortable watching her because it was awkward and you could tell that she was really like struggling through it. Um, and that and, and look. You know, when you are an up and coming person and, and you're clearly trying and you're in work, your in-ring work is tremendous and it's adapting and it's getting better. You know, the wrestling fans will get behind you. But when you come into WWE as an established superstar, that's essentially a brand and you you fire, a, a you know, a bullseye right out of the box and then you can really make the argument that that match was the high watermark of her WWE career. Uh, I can certainly stand here and say, I don't know if she was ever that good again. Now, maybe it was just because it was her first match. And but she was in the was, ring uh, with Triple H and yeah. Kurt Angle and yeah. even Stephanie, who has a lot of experience from just like being out there and, and knowing that the business and how to set things up, right? Yeah, but she's like, even when she won the title at SummerSlam, I was at that match at Barclays where she started talking to the crowd. Are you ready for a new world women's champion? Like, it was just weird. It was just awkward. It felt out of place and, and it didn't ever get better. And when that happens and you're an established name and a brand, the people are just going to start to shit all over you. And they did. Koopa loop. What'd you think on this one? Should I fire up the uh, Randy Savage entrance music again? For DZ? <laughs> He's on fire. I know. Yeah. Sorry, AC. Yeah, I just got to take every opportunity. I <laughs> yeah, can it's take okay. shots at you. I'm just adding okay. this to the list of things that prove <laughs> conspiracy. I'll be tweeting like Trump soon talking about witch hunts. <laughs> 
I, I don't have much to add to the match. Hey, look, I'm a Chelsea Green Mark. Uh, Gino, you know that. I thought it was a cool moment for her. I've never been a big Ronda Rousey fan. I, look, at one time, yeah, she's the baddest woman on the planet. We we know all the zeros come to an end in boxing and MMA and any type of that stuff. After that WrestleMania match, and I'm glad you brought it up because I would not have thought to have brought that moment up in this conversation. She hasn't done anything for me. She's, remember, she quit for a while. She got mad and she went away. And I don't think there's been any buildup from her to promote anything WrestleMania-wise. And, and, and look, it kind of, I kind of feel AEW-ish uh, with her. Just because it's Ronda Rousey doesn't mean people are just going to watch. They're going to tune in just because she's a part of it. I don't know how much uh, pop she has left. I, I know she has that name power or whatever, but she never really crossed over into Hollywood like they thought she was going to be this next big female rock superstar action hero. I just didn't get it, and I don't get it now. And if they are hurt, we may not see her, Shayna, ever again come back around and, and go after these women tag team titles. Coop, while we got you, let's talk about a fantastic in-ring match. Gunther versus Sheamus versus Drew. Uh, they had a great story here because we know Sheamus has never won the IC title. And Sheamus and Drew have a good um, you know, relationship. And they've had good uh, matches between the two of them. Gunther and Sheamus had a legitimate match of the year contender last year. And this is another one. Uh, this match was fantastic. It was hard-hitting. It was well done. It ends up going uh, over 16 and a half minutes. And this is, I mean, I think it was the best in-ring match of the weekend myself, personally. Um, you may other yeah. you may have liked other matches differently, but this thing just did not stop. These guys beat the absolute hell out of each other. Sheamus's chest was bleeding. And there was a cool picture after where uh, Sheamus and Drew, after the match, posted on their social media. They were just laying there together, beat up, and they said, time for some pints. That was so great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. looking perfectly placed, too. If you thought it was a really slow start to, to WrestleMania night number two, uh, the fans were definitely uh, out of their seats for this match. Just incredible. Uh, incredible performance by all three. Uh, you know where I stand with Gunther. Uh, I, I, I said this multiple times. I, I don't know about now, but uh, before Monday night, this is a guy who you could put a world title on and be a legitimate, legitimate world title champion. He's just, he has everything. The Imperium works with him. Uh, he looks to be in phenomenal shape. And uh, this, this was the match of the weekend for me. Andrew, anyone who knew the old Valter knew what he could do in ring. You're very valid argument or just concern when he got pulled up from NXT was is Vince McMahon going to understand him is he going to treat him the way he should is he going to give him time to tell stories in the matches like he gets to all over and wow uh, for folks who may not have known Walter a year ago before he became Gunther every time he's been on any big stage he's delivered He's had fantastic matches with everyone that they've put in his way, whether it be SmackDown main events, whether it be Clash, whether it be pay-per-view matches. And you have crowned this like one of your personal favorite and one of the best WrestleMania matches ever. And I honestly don't think it's hyperbole. Like I really do think this is five-star. The difference between like four and three quarters and five is usually like personal preference. So anyone that wants to put this at 
anything from four and a half to five stars, I have no problem with it. It, it was so good. Yeah, this was a blast. And honestly, I think this should have opened night two of WrestleMania with how good it was and how good we all knew it was going to be. But then you run into a problem. Who wants to be the person to tell Brock Lesnar he's not beating LA traffic getting out of SoFi? I'm, I'm right behind you guys. Uh-huh. On that. I was going to say the Uber situation was not great either. So he I did a great, imagine. he did yeah. well. Yeah, he I'm did sure. well. Yeah. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. This is something that I don't think is ever going to get old. It is such a simple story. You have three guys who hit really, 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 really hard. Good. Let them do that. And all of a sudden you wind up with stuff like Seamus doing the 10 beats of the Bowery and getting to 27 or 28 before Drew McIntyre just falls down in a heap and he took the last one right on his face. Oh, God, it was so good. And then you have Gunther lifting both of those guys up into power bombs like they're luchadors. The guy is freakishly strong, freakishly stiff. Everything he does is so believable. You, you find an instant connection to this guy. It was so well done. There are two matches, I think, through three plus months of the year that a lot of people are talking about as match of the year. There's this one, and there's Kenny Omega and Will Osprey from Wrestle Kingdom where they fought over the U.S. title. Both were great. Guys, I prefer this one. DZ, this this was a really good uh, two nights in that we got so many different styles of matches too. You know, we've got we got for more for the high flyers. We had great stories told, and then this one was one that had a, a cool story and was just three guys beating the absolute hell out of each other. Yeah, no, this was sensational. Uh, and and again, we talked about it previewing it. Um, the thing that I loved the most was bringing the intercontinental championship back to where it's supposed to be. Uh, it's supposed to be one of, if not the best in ring work of the night. Yep. It's supposed to be one of, if not the best match at WrestleMania, it's supposed to include um, superstars, uh, established stars, great workers. This was a tip of the cap to the intercontinental title matches of old. Uh, not necessarily from them being these bruising type matches because there's been a lot of intercontinental matches that were smaller guys, high flyers, Savage Steamboat, you know, Shawn Michaels holding the belt for a while, things, Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart. But uh, this match delivered in every possible way that it was supposed to deliver. I said coming into it, you know, I would have loved for this to have had maybe, you know, one or two more guys and been a ladder match with like Lashley or LA Knight or something like that. And at the end, I was saying, you know what? Didn't need anything else. Was perfect the way it was. Uh, as close to a five-star match as you could possibly see. DZ, while we have you, let's talk about the uh, Raw Women's Championship from night two between Bianca and Asuka. This one, the build was not very good to it, but these ladies, they tried to go at a really quick pace through a lot of this match. There was It was a little shorter than the other women's match. This one went just over 16 minutes, but I don't think any one of us worried about the in-ring work with this. It's just... The build for Bianca's stories for a while could have been better, but that's not what I'm going to remember from this match. Honestly, the entrance was fantastic. Bianca's uh, Bianca was led uh, out and it was introduced by a group of uh, young girl dancers from Compton that were 
unbelievable. They were so, so good. DZ, you're a parent. So it, I'm sure it was really cool for you to see these kids out there and kind of think of what it would have been like for your kids to have a moment like that. And the, apparently the one girl who was like front and center and she jumped off the screen because of how talented she was. She actually lost her mother earlier in the day. Yeah. I think they had said, and she was out there on the biggest stage of her life, looking like an absolute star. Uh, The knowing that after makes it even more emotional, but wow, that was just, those are like the WrestleMania moments. Yep. Like seeing all them out there on the stage and Bianca twirling her hair with the girls dancing around with them. Like that was really cool. Sensational. Um, you know, an entrance that will go down in history as one of the ones you look back on. Um, maybe it didn't have the, you know, the pyro and the crazy stuff that some of the other ones in the past have had. But this hit uh, on an emotional level with people as parents. Uh, when you found out the story afterwards, it made it. Uh, all that more, uh, both gut-wrenching and inspiring. I, I don't know how that girl, uh, look, I, I lost my dad. I, I was 36 years old and delivered the eulogy and and was, you know, in that moment, uh, just trying to get through it in one piece. How a little girl who just lost her mom could go out there and do what she did. Uh, I don't, I don't comprehend it. Um, uh, it's awe-inspiring, I think is a good term for it. Um, and, uh, it was a sensational entrance. Uh, the match was very good. You, like you said, the in-ring work is not anything you were going to question. The one thing that I'll say, it has nothing to do with Bianca or the in-ring work, but you know, if you would have told me six, seven years ago that, you know, five matches into her WrestleMania career, Oscar would be Owen five. I know. At, at WrestleMania, putting over two champions in the process. It's pretty, what, pretty what, shocking. Pretty shocking. And like once as the Rumble winner, too. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, Chad, this was th- that's the thing when WWE does the glitz and the glamour and they have the machine like this and they're able to present something. There's nothing that can match it. This this entrance was awesome, and the the match was very good. And I'm not exactly sure where they're going to go next, but damn, like a Rhea versus Bianca match, like they teased the next the next night on Raw for either a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania next year. Like that's a main event. Yeah, I'm gonna use your word. the 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 build was to this was wonky. It was it just was. not good, and we, and we talked about it, it at all. No, no, just some goofy little spots here. Uh, thankfully, I don't, I, I don't think they had to see if they could coexist uh, on, on Monday night during a tag match. But uh, the match itself, the entrance, this is what this is the reason why uh, watching these two nights uh, and watching these entrances and these moments, not for just these professional wrestlers and fans, but for these kids involved and their families who may never again be able to. Uh, attend any type of, of live entertainment event to this type of magnitude. This is why nothing really can touch the WWE AEW. It's just, it's, it's not comparable to that. Sure. They, they may put a match together that, that trends longer or does this or does that, but this was what separates WWE from, from the rest of the entertainment, especially uh, professional wrestling, you know, regardless if you're a fan of Bianca or not, I'm not her biggest fan. But that moment right there, and then to hear that story afterwards, Triple H, and he get choked up, and he loses it. 
it's that's a moment you uh it, it's a chilling moment for someone that uh, like me is just a fan and really has no investment in that type of match other than uh it was really really well done andrew finish us up with uh bianca and oscar i liked this match even more than i liked rhea charlotte on night one um admittedly i love bianca's work I think she may very well be the best athlete in the history of WWE with some of the things she is able to do and how effortless it looks when she does them. When she rolls through into slams, it is just a thing of beauty. And in Asuka, you had somebody who wasn't going to be afraid to do certain spots. Sumi, I'm a sucker for the mist anytime that gets worked in. And the way that was done where Asuka actually missed the mist and Bianca was able to counter that into something. I thought that was really cool. Shout out for the entrance as well. I think you guys all nailed it. That's incomprehensible pain and and suffering that the, that young girl must've been going through. And she stepped up and nailed it like a pro. And to add on to one of the things that got mentioned, one of the reasons that we are so hard on WWE when they, in our eyes, get things wrong is We know what it looks like when they get it right. They've shown they get it right. The main event of night one, a lot of night one. A lot of times it's not hard to get things right. That's part of the reason we're hard on the product because we know what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to feel like. And when WWE is firing on all cylinders, like they have been for most of the last six to eight months, it's really, really cool to see. Andrew, I'll let you start with uh, talking about the next quote-unquote match. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting for this. I knew you were. So, we had Miz and Snoop Dogg come out again as the hosts to give us the little uh, the break in the, uh, in the show um, before the final two matches. And Snoop Dogg was going to introduce another surprise the night before. It was Pat McAfee. This time, it's Shane O'Mac. Shane McMahon, which the I was the crowd pop. He got a good ex, uh, um, a response. People weren't expecting it. It just it, it. You have a full roster of people. You have other celebrities probably at your your fingertips being in L.A. I, I can understand because there was some ties with the Miz that they went to Shane. Okay, and and you know what? I won't even get as upset that it was Shane instead of somebody else. But then. This is why you don't have Shane come out because Shane is not in shape physically like he should be anymore. He tore his quad on a leapfrog <laughs> on a basic leapfrog. He tore his quad and you could tell instantly this was not part of the show. And man, one of the stars of the night was Snoop Dogg calling an audible. Somebody was in his ear telling him, Hey Snoop, Shane McMahon just got hurt. You got to go in there right now and just, do a people's elbow and pin the Miz. And for the Miz and Snoop Dogg to just get something out of this. This could have been way worse than it was, Andrew. It could have been awkward live TV for a few minutes where nobody knew what to do. But the Miz is a pro. Snoop is an absolute pro. And they made the best of this. So they start the, the, um, the segment. And Miz gets in Snoop's face. And you see Snoop go, my bad, and point up the ramp. My mind starts racing because in addition to everybody else you just mentioned, I'm thinking, 
you know, we heard Randy Orton might be coming back. We heard Riddle might be coming back. My goodness, we're starting to hear things about Jay White maybe signing on. Is this where they debut him? You know, guys like AJ Styles that weren't doing anything. Austin, maybe. You know, there were so many options. And you hear, here comes the money. Before we go any further, here's an interactive portion of this podcast for anybody that's listening and has access to another device. Cue up Radiohead's Karma Police and press play right now. Shane comes down. (laughs) The last time we saw Shane, he was butchering the 2022 Men's Rumble where he tried to make himself look like the only credible threat to one Brock Lesnar. It wound up being so divisive backstage that there were rumors of Vince saying Shane would never wrestle in the company again. We don't know how true that is. Again, this may have been a Triple H production. This may very well have been Triple H seeing the writing on the wall and trying to get Shane one last opportunity to go out. We don't know. But they start the match. Shane does a drop down. Shane does a leapfrog. And he comes down and you know something's wrong. This wasn't one of those things where you're like, are they working? Is this an angle? No. You knew something was wrong. You mentioned it. Snoop and Miz saved the segment. And how you know that this was such a tremendous save and one of the best pieces of business that you will ever see in all of professional wrestling came by way of Corey Graves after the segment. They throw to Cole and Graves at ringside. And Graves goes straight into the camera. I don't know if Snoop realizes what he just did. Yeah. That's a shoot comment right there, folks. And that is Corey Graves standing in awe of somebody saving the segment better than a lot of trained wrestlers ever would have. That was remarkable on his part, even more so because we don't know if he would have passed a standard drug test. We know <laughs> indulging in his off time. There may or very well. But I, well I was going to say, Andrew, I, I do know that he wouldn't have passed a standard drug test. I, I can feel pretty confident so about it. About- it's one of those things where you're just, even when stuff doesn't work and you have people that understand the assignment. They freeze sometimes. It you can, can still, that yeah. moment could have been too, there's 70,000 people out there going, uh-oh, you get a little worried, you get a little anxious, this was supposed to happen, what do I do? It was but- so good still, and the, it was just, you look at that and you're going, if that's the last time we see Shane McMahon on television, what a memory that is. <laughs> DZ, quick thinking on uh, on live TV on his feet here, huh? Yeah, no, I, and I, I think they were saying that the that the referee might have been shouting a couple of things to him Some that may have been coming through, yeah, from Grill. But that being said, you still got to deliver it, um, and he did. And, you know, credit to him. Um, you know, Andrew hit everything. I certainly don't need to rehash it. But uh, all I could say is that, um, you know, for some reason, they the McMahons seem to be relatively quadless uh, as a family. <laughs> Yeah, they skipping Coop. leg day right in the gym. Skipping yeah, leg day. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, what'd you think? Well, it, my first reaction was, did you see Miz's reaction as Shane's just laying there in pain? He's just like kind of like he's moving just, around the ring. He's laying he there like he's. Like, I was gonna say he's laying there for a minute. Like, oh crap, what do I do? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if Snoop was supposed to be involved in this or not. He says post-match that he was not supposed to be involved. I'll go with that story because it sounds better. Uh, he's a hero. Uh, he, he just is. And you could have sent anyone else out there and it would not have been as cool as Snoop Dogg coming out there and doing that. And, and look, AC, let, let me cue up your doink music. You brought up a good point. That line that Graves said after the match, uh, I don't know what Snoop realized what he's done. That, that that was icing on the cake for that segment. I'll say my least, I probably have to say about any of the matches on the two nights was that the edge Finn Balor, and it's not because it was bad or anything. It looked like early in the match, in this Hell in a Cell match, we had an injury from Finn, so they stopped. They looked at him for a while. They were still able to get 18 minutes out of this. I thought the match was over. But me too. I didn't think they were going to be able to do yeah. anything. And and at the way that it was set up, DZ, it was right after the Shane injury. So it was like, oh, gosh, did we just get another injury right after this and things not going well? But these are two pros, and they got the best out of it. We didn't see either one of these guys on Raw, so we're not exactly sure the direction for them moving forward. Hope Finn is okay there. He was stapled in his head when it got cut open. They stapled his head so he could complete the match. So I'm sure they probably had a lot of things planned that they had to either nix or cut out or they weren't able to do. But it just shows two pros able to get this thing done. I just, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it because I think there were probably stuff that they didn't get the chance to do that they wanted. But it's sort of gone on for a while. I think these two guys need to just kind of be going in different directions now. Yeah, uh, word to the wise kids, don't throw ladders at your friends' heads. Uh, <laughs> no, when, no. Because when the pros can't figure out always the right way to take that kind of hit where you uh, are able to avoid a serious injury, it just goes to show you don't try this stuff at home. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that obviously threw a bit of a monkey wrench into things um, and uh, it probably changed the direction of the match a little bit. Uh, the blood was, yeah, like, I mean, you know, for AEW be a typical match on a Thursday night, but, um, yeah, this is know. like a mock, this is like Moxley on the pre-show. Yeah, you know? pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> but, uh, you knew when they were not going to Finn and they were kind of zoomed in on edge and everything kind of stopped, uh, you knew we had a problem. Um, you know, kudos to Finn for finishing the match. That could not have been easy. Hopefully he's doing all right. It was a, I mean, a scary looking cut to say the very least, my God. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was okay. It was, it was all right. Uh, it's probably what a hell in a cell match is supposed to be. I had a couple of really cool spots. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, definitely ready to move on. Uh, I still don't understand the point of having the demon character lose. Uh, we kind of talked about that in the preview. I, I really don't get it. Um, Amen. I also, Amen. Yeah, I also don't, the Judgment Day faction thing has kind of gotten a little bit wonky where you have Rhea, who's kind of cheered, <laughs> but yeah. she's, she's with Dominic, who's always booed, and Finn is the head of the faction, who's usually booed, but then when he comes out as the demon, he's cheered. Really weird stuff going on there. I, I, they have to figure out how to get some continuity there. Coop, Hell in a Cell. Well, we got the old K, the old hell in the cell, right? For AC, we 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 did that for him. Wasn't he the one complaining uh, about the red, or was yep. that DZ? They were listening. No, they were listening. 
Yeah, they were listening to us, thankfully. I don't know if who it was, Big Johnny, or, or who it was uh, snooping in on our conversations here. I Look, I like Edge. I do. I love the entrance uh, by Alter Bridge. Love the song. It's just one of those songs, he, you know, um, that you uh, that you immediately, uh, it just brings you, you know, you get those chill bumps, you stand up. I, I just thought this one should have went in another direction. Um, I, I thought Finn should have been over. He should have won this match. I don't understand why, and you know, going into it, knowing Roman was going to win with booze, I guess maybe that's why this placement was there and edge was going to win all along, but, uh, seeing the post-match damage, uh, that Finn, uh, put on his social media accounts with the staples in his head, that's just brutal. It, it look, how many times other than like, a uh, a Sid, uh, a Shane McMahon, somebody blowing a leg or a knee. How many times have you seen a, an actual, you know, doctor or medic I mean, Joe, get in the Joey, ring in WWE? Joey Mercury, yeah, Joey Mercury taking the the ladder off the face was the last one that I could think of like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it, it was uh, it was uh, it was interesting, no doubt. But yeah, we got to get away from this. I don't know how much edge it has left uh, on a contract or what he wants to do. He's still impressive, but we definitely got to get, uh, uh, Finn going in another direction here and get him back on the winning track. Once he's healed, Andrew finish us up with hell in a cell. Thank God they did away with the red cage. <laughs> we all just acknowledge that for just a moment. That alone added three quarters of a star to my match rating. When I saw that it was a generic standard, you know, charcoal colored cage rather than that red monstrosity nobody ever wanted. Thank you, WWE. It's like Thank the SATs. They got 400 points just for writing their name. Yep. Exactly. I don't need much. I am a very simple man. The match was fine. I'm happy Finn's going to be okay. That was freaking scary. And it's one of those instances where I almost wish they would go back to the old way of doing Hell in a Cell where the cell was the weapon. We don't need all the chairs and the kendo sticks and the tables and the ladders. We don't need all of that. If you're good enough, with your psychology, the cage is all you need. DZ, main event time. We, uh, we've spoke a lot about the main event throughout the show and at the beginning, but Roman Reigns gets the win over Cody Rhodes. We had Solo Sokoa get thrown from ringside early in the match. The Usos came in to get involved. Sammy and KO came out to even the odds. But in the end, it was Solo who again was out there to help Roman. So Roman gets the win. He continues his dominant streak. And now moving forward, they've sort of shoehorned Cody into this feud with Brock. Again, like we've said, it's always about what's next. And it'll be very interesting to see what the plan is with Roman. Because if you have Cody occupied for a while, are you just going to have Roman off TV? Or are you going to slide in someone else to just, serve a month or two uh, on TV as a feud. Anything will feel a lot less for Roman after the stuff with uh, with Sammy, with KO, and with Cody, which was definitely pretty high-level stuff. Yeah, well, like we talked about at the start, um, I had no problem with with the call to stay with Roman. And the match was fantastic. Oh, yeah, well, the the match was fantastic. You you knew it was going to be very good. Um, you know, these two guys can go all day. Uh, the false finishes, the story they told, 
the crowd, obviously. I mean, can you ever? I, I I made a joke, and listen, I'm a I'm a I'm a big Roman guy, but I made a joke in the middle of the match where Roman was standing in the corner, kind of looking at the crowd when they were chanting, "This is awesome." And I was like, "Wow, he's never heard that before," <laughs> you know, uh, which is a little hard on him. I know, he, but he, he he's a very he is a very good worker, but they've spent years shitting all over the guy. Um, but yeah, the the match was fantastic. More outside interference than I think I can ever remember in a WrestleMania main event. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I remember the, you know, the Sid Papa Shango, you know, nonsense in WrestleMania eight, but I, I don't remember having so many guys involved, uh, in, in the outcome of the, of the match where you had five different guys interfere at different points of the match from the outside. Uh, I found that to be really interesting. Um, and when they started to get some interference, uh, I looked over at my friend Bob, who was with us, and I said, Roman's going to win. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, baby faces don't win these matches when there's outside. So much like this happening yeah. when there's even even if you can kind of argue, well, it does not matter. They, they don't. They're not going to have a baby face win with any kind of help. The baby face has to win that match clean. And as soon as that stuff started, uh, I think it kind of tipped the hat of where they were going. Now, again, I supported them doing this because of the importance of Roman and the story and the bloodline. So long as that continued, we're now sitting here 48 hours after that main event in complete no man's land. And if you didn't have a plan, if you didn't know what you were doing, or if your plan was up in the air because of the sale of the company and it was a, we'll have to figure this out as we go, whatever it was, um, then you made the wrong call. Because now Cody is stuck in a feud that makes no sense. Roman has nothing. Usos have nothing unless they're going to keep going back and forth with Sammy and Kevin. And your biggest story of the last two years is now just kind of stuck in neutral, which is the worst possible thing you could have done. So I am very concerned that they are going to come down with a crashing thud if they don't figure this out quickly. And Friday, Gino, Friday night better be a lot of Roman Reigns on SmackDown. I, I, we better get some explanations uh, with Usos, with Roman. I, I, I'm sure certain we're not getting anything Brock or, or Cody on TV, but we better get some explanations. I, I'm okay with, with, with Roman keeping it. Um, but SmackDown, Roman better have some answers. We better get some answers. I don't know if we get a new challenger on Friday night, but we better get some answers. I, I, I'm, you know, this bloodline has been uh, compared to the NWO, not the end of NWO when everyone was in it. And we had, uh, the, you know, the NWO red and then the LWO when, when just everybody had a, had a shot at being in that group, but this was rivaled with that, with that NWO storyline. It was that impactful. And for, for this to happen and they don't have a, a continuation, I, it, it was, was it all for nothing? I don't know. We'll see the match though. I, I thought when solo came back out, Cody, Cody knocks him off and, and Cody gets the win. I, I was flipped the other way here. I thought for sure. Cody was walking out of there a winner, but, uh, I'm concerned at this point. I am concerned at this point because, you know, I think we all assume that if if 
if Cody wins this title at SummerSlam, if they go in that direction, that happens. And this, and that's AWE booking. It absolutely means nothing. It, it just doesn't mean anything to me. And then you were going Roman, what, three, four years as a champion? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you're going to ever get this moment back, uh, Andrew. Tell us, where, do you, where did you stand on the, uh, on the main event? First of all, we are overlooking a major jump from AEW to WWE in the form of minus one being at ringside. Oh, yeah, that was very cool. That was really cool. Cody's entrance. But that again, how do you awesome. not have him win when that's happening? You're showing the well, kid and everything. There was one way that the Brock Cody storyline could have worked. And I'm going to run this by all of you. It wouldn't have been perfect, but it would have worked. What if instead of Solo coming back out, you do something where both guys are down and all of a sudden Brock's music hits. He comes down. You don't know what side he's on. And he winds up beelining to Cody, kicking the crap out of him. Roman's lifeless body gets draped all over him. And all of a sudden, you've got, oh my God, Brock's in the bloodline. What's going on here? Where is this going? I don't think that's perfect. But I think that's better than what we had, which was Sunday night being a Triple H job and Monday being a Vince job and the left hand not knowing or caring what the right hand is doing. Because right now, as Darren mentioned, you're in no man's land with this storyline. Nobody looks good at all whatsoever. And two other notes. One, I understand not putting the belt on Cody there. You think you're going to get a better opportunity to end the title reign, that's fine. But you've squandered three opportunities that would have all made sense. Drew at Clash at the Castle, Sami Zayn in his hometown, Cody at WrestleMania. All three would have made sense. If you've got a plan, it better be a damn good one. And also, this acts in some ways, I think, as a deterrent for some AEW talent that may be interested in jumping over. Because, yes, Cody got his WrestleMania main event, I'm sure he got paid handsomely by WWE. Fine. Wonderful. But if the payoff is you're going to be staring up at the lights after a storyline that has this guy's going to win the title at WrestleMania in big, bold letters all over it, isn't that a negative on the recruiting trail when guys' contracts come up? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, it, like you said, he was still in the main. He was in event. the main. I was gonna say he's you been, know a, he's a year treated, after coming over. Yeah, and he's been treated well, but it's 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 absolutely something. And I'm so curious to see where we are going. Moving, I, I forward. will say this: it's kind of interesting. I, I listen. I know Roman has been, you know, the guy or the blue chip prospect of Vince's for a long time, but you know they did do this to Roman twice. Yeah. In the main event at WrestleMania. Everybody thought yeah. the first time he fought Lesnar, he was going to go over there. And that's when Rollins, of course, came out and cashed in the briefcase. And then a couple of years later, you know, there was there was no shot that Roman wasn't going over that year over Lesnar. Uh, the one where Lesnar busted him open the hard way and he doesn't go over again. So they have done this before where you've gotten the swerve, and that's kind of you know where I, I felt it could happen again. Um, 
but I did have that funny joke where I where I posted on Twitter, you know, Triple H saying, "Oh yeah, you took a sledgehammer to my throne." <laughs> Here you go. Here's your receipt, Cody. Have a good Here. day. <laughs> Here you go. Coop, give us a final thought on uh, Mania and uh, and Raw after. Uh, you just expect the unexpected, right? Uh, I think with now with such a big roster and with so many guys and gals on NXT, you know, the Raw After Mania for me used to be the debuts. Uh, you know, the 2022-23 wrestling season is basically over. And Monday night started, you know, we, we sometimes we have those rematches immediately. Was, oh, we saw this, we saw that. I, other than the the Cody Brock spot, I don't know what a lot of uh, I don't know what it accomplished. And uh, like I said, it's I'm going to give it a couple of weeks. It's going to be interesting to see Friday night, and it'll be really interesting to what those those television ratings are next Monday on Raw. We know SmackDown always does good ratings. There, look, you can feel the anger on on. I'm sure it's Facebook and everywhere else, but you can really feel that anger on Twitter that people were legitimately upset that uh, Vince McMahon had a lot to do with Monday night. And uh, we'll see, we'll see if that has a, a lasting effect or if he was just playing big wig. I will say this. I think the WWE, um, it could go South, but I think the WWE, if you're going to look at good owners, I think these, I think WWE's got them a, a good set of owners. I think we all can agree. This would probably be a lot better than what would have happened if, if, uh, oh, yeah. Someone overseas would have would have purchased this company. Every week on That's What G Said podcast, Chad Cooper helps us out with this week in wrestling. We hear Andrew and Darren talking about old wrestling with the old wrestling rewatch. Make sure to give everybody a follow as we're all horse racing guys and a couple of big weeks coming up in horse racing as we lead to the Kentucky Derby. Make sure to check out Andrew Champagne on Twitter. You can give him a follow at Andrew Champagne. Follow Darren at the track seven. Chad Cooper is at the Chad Cooper and uh, very lucky to have them helping us here each and every week on That's What G Said podcast. Another round table in the books. Thanks so much to Andrew, Darren, and to Chad. And thanks so much to all of you folks for hanging out with us on That's What G Said podcast. That's going to do it for this episode. We've had a little schedule off the last few weeks, but we've still been able to pump out all the content, just sort of a few things here on this show, a few things on this show. Coming up soon, we'll have the episode, what, we're up to episode six recap of uh, The Mandalorian with Tim Kelly. We'll have that coming for you in the next few days, and we'll keep, uh, really focused on what's happening in the next month as we lead up to the Kentucky Derby. NBA playoffs will be starting next week, so we'll check in with Eric again and uh, have a little playoff preview before we start. The grind never stops here on That's What G Said Podcast.